Okay, good morning. Let's call to order the special council meeting strategic session workshop of January 26, 2023. Okay, that's good. Are we good? Okay, it sounds like it. Um, before we get started, I'd like to remind participants of some procedural items for this workshop. During the workshop, remote participants will remain muted when not speaking. If remote participants have a question or comment, please use the raise hand feature. <clears throat> Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order voice vote will be administered by the city clerk for each vote. The city council workshop is being conducted utilizing teleconferencing and electronic means as allowed by government code subdivision 54953E and resolution number 1089-21 reaffirmed by city council on January 10th, 2023. Council members have the option of participating remotely or in person. Members of the public may participate in person, online, or by telephone to provide public comment. Please submit a speaker card to the city clerk in person or use the raise hand feature online to request to speak star nine on a telephone. Location and teleconference workshop details are available on the council agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this workshop via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. City Clerk, can we please have the roll call? Mayor Klein. Present. Vice Mayor Dean. Present. Councilmember Melton. Present. Councilmember Cisneros. Present. Councilmember Mellinger. Present. Councilmember Srinivasan. Present. Councilmember Sell. Present. Seven present, Mayor Klein participating via teleconference. <coughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll now go to public comment. Uh, I will go ahead and open the public comment. Members of the public will now have an opportunity to address council on all agenda items listed. This category is limited to 20 minutes with a maximum of two minutes per speaker and individuals are limited to one appearance. If there are many speakers, I may shorten the time for individual speakers or extend the time for public comment. No other items may be discussed at this special workshop. A reminder to the public, please submit a speaker card to the city clerk, raise your digital hand now, or dial star nine on a telephone if you wish to address the council. I will call on members of the public participating in person first, then the city clerk will ask remote participants to unmute their microphone when it is their turn to address the city council. Speakers will have two minutes to speak. For members in person, we have a timer with lights. Uh, City so Clerk, ah, just, just uh, never mind. It'll be on the screen, uh, counting you down. Uh, and the first speaker card that I have is Tara Martin Milius. Good morning, Honorable Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council Members, and staff. I am uh, so delighted to be here, and I have to tell you, having just spoken to some other cities, I am so delighted to be in Sunnyvale. We are so much better run than so many other groups, and so I am just internally grateful for all that you do for us and continue to do. And of course, I have my asks as well, and those asks are to... Um, continue to accelerate the environmental actions that you have. 
And there are new metrics that are coming available in terms of GHG area-wide. So they can go to cities and so forth. So that's a, I don't know whether it's, a, I'm sure it costs. Okay, so knowing that it's there though, gives me hope that we can uh, fine tune our own uh, climate plan a little bit better. The other thing that I ran across that was a future kind of issue is there is apparently research going on on um, some organism that is being created to uh, devour plastics. So um, those are the kinds of things that I think are uh, really important to keep our eye on. And you keep us safe, you keep us healthy, you keep us in clean water, the sewage works, the streets are cleaned. I am so very grateful for all that you do and delighted to be here. So thank you so very much. But climate is our most urgent thing for the whole, for us and for the world. So thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Stephen Meyer followed by Charlene Liu. Hello, good morning, Council Mayor, Vice Mayor, uh, Stephen Meyer here. I live close by, right by Fremont High School in the Fairbury District. My mother-in-law lives like a quarter mile from here. Uh, Sunnyvale is a beautiful city, but there's lots of improvement. So today I'd like to first focus on revenues. Uh, revenues are very important because there's big things to build, Civic Center, Phase 2, other key projects. So first off, in the short term, uh, please go after grants. Grants are available, federal, state, nonprofits. Uh, if you can, add staff to actually focus on grants, because if you get grants, you can do a lot of stuff. Um, with regard to grants, I really like to ask you to stop criticizing the state officials. Don't buy the hand that feeds you. Josh Becker, Aisha, uh, Evan Lowe, they're all the sources of your money. So don't sit here and complain, it doesn't help. Also, I'd like you to consider a parcel tax. I'm willing to pay more. I'm a rich retired guy. There's lots of rich retired white people here that can pay more. So I'd really urge you to consider a parcel tax. On spending, you do really well. One area of spending that you don't do well on is golf. Golf is very inefficient land use. You are stewards of the land, you should maximize the benefit for local citizens. A lot of people come from out of the area to play golf at a discount. That's not right. Lastly, I'd urge you to focus on transportation safety. We had four deaths last year. The attitude I see from staff is the equivalent of the attitude with regard to gun control. People are dying, you're doing nothing. It's serious, folks. People are dying. Four deaths. What DPS wrote last year in the response was victim blaming. No one should get killed walking or riding bicycles. You need to take action urgently. You can do big things. Civic Center is a big thing. It's a beautiful project. Why can't you build bike lanes, protected bike lanes? Why can't you make our streets safer? I don't know where the holdup is. Please fix it. Thank you. Next up, we have Charlene Liu. Hello, council members. Thank you for allotting this time for me to speak. At today's strategic workshop, you're going to be setting council priorities. 
And I would like to suggest that you add a new priority, and that is accelerating the implementation of the active transportation plan. It's of utmost importance to have this in our priorities because having a safe and walkable and bikeable city benefits everybody. The city transportation division is working hard to implement the ATP and we appreciate their effort. However, the city lacks the resources to complete the ATP in a timely manner. And we make this statement because we know that the, that the amount spent on the ATP so far is, is a shortfall of what's estimated to be spent in order to complete it in a 10-year timeframe. Because of lack of funding, many high priority projects in the ATP are stalled. For example, Sunnyvale Saratoga bike lanes, making them safer, grants were denied in the last year and a half, and therefore it isn't going forward at this moment. Admittedly, active transportation is already in the priorities, but it is misplaced, and this is why. It's in the priority that says ability of infrastructure to support development, traffic, and active transportation. However, transport, active transportation doesn't belong. This priority is meant to be a reaction to the growth in the city, the growth of population, growth of businesses, growth of vehicle traffic congestion. It makes our infrastructure, make sure that our infrastructure is able to support the growth. But unlike development and traffic, active transportation is not a manifestation of growth. So I suggest that you remove active transportation from this priority and make it its own separate priority. The ATP is a forward thinking plan and the city needs to lead active transportation behavior to counter humans' natural tendency toward passive transportation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have no other speaker cards. Is there anyone in the room currently that is interested in speaking under oral communications before we hear from remote speakers? Okay, city clerk, do we have anyone remote uh, who is interested in participating? Uh, yes, Vice Mayor. First up is Crystal Wickham. Crystal, you've been unmuted and you have two minutes to address the city council. Thank you, Mayor, Vice Mayor, council members and staff. This is Crystal Wickham. I'm chair of the Sustainability Commission, but speaking for myself. I encourage the continuation of the council priority for accelerating climate action. I appreciate the things accomplished in the time since it was first adopted as a council priority a few years ago. The guiding framework and funding of the Climate Action Playbook has enabled progress, such as the all electric reach codes for new construction, improved standards for EV charging capability in new multifamily construction, and the continued rollout of the food cycle program to serve all residents and businesses, among other things. I do want to draw attention to the word accelerate though. It does not seem like the next moves of the Climate Action Playbook are being accelerated. Quite the contrary, and through multiple reasons, like the pandemic response and staffing challenges, uh, other things, it, it does feel like we're puttering along in a gasoline powered car instead of using the superior power and torque of an electric motor. I ask you to look at ways that climate action can truly be accelerated. Is it through looking at the speedometer more often, like more reports to council on progress? Is it by getting all city departments into the car and using the carpool lane to go faster? Could it be through defining, approving, and funding the game plan 2028 this year so there's a clear route to achieving the 2030 targets? Perhaps the city could accelerate the implementation of the active transportation plan through additional funding. I've also been thinking a lot about building electrification lately. 
And the Climate Action Playbook has a goal of 20% of buildings to be electrified by 2030. New construction alone will not get us there. Over 40% of the city's greenhouse gas emissions come from burning gas in existing buildings. It's a difficult challenge and we need to prepare residents and businesses. There are local examples that the city could use. Let's get started and accelerate into the future. Thank you. And Vice Mayor, that was the final remote public speaker for public comment. Thank you. Uh, I will go ahead and close the public comment uh, and I'll now turn it over to the mayor for his opening remarks. Thank you, Vice Mayor. Welcome everyone. Um, let me start with a few opening comments before we begin our day. Yeah, first, I'm sorry that I won't be able to be there in person. I'm glad that the majority of council will be in the room along with city staff, of course. And so thanks to everyone who made the time to make sure that they're there today. Um, I always love our strategic planning workshops each year. You know, this is one of the most important council meetings, one of three uh, that we have each year, but, but it's especially important as we have multiple new council members this year. You know, our morning session will give everyone a fantastic overview of where the city stands in a lot of different areas and show the numerous efforts that our city is currently undertaking. Uh, and I just want to, of course, thank the city manager, the directors and city staff for investing all their hard work into the preparation for the materials and making sure that today is going to be very productive. Um, you know, the great thing about this workshop is it allows council members to ask questions and actually give some meaningful feedback on a variety of city issues. You know, I look forward to our three afternoon topics, especially, uh, and as we look at conceivably changing some of our strategic priorities. But we are lucky to have a diverse council uh, representing our diverse community. And, you know, council needs to learn to work together as a team. And the Brown Act sometimes makes that very difficult to build consensus and, and find out um, how people feel about certain issues and, and just figure out the future direction for the city in a more general way. So that's what we're here for today. You know, we have a lot to get through. Uh, there'll be time for questions, but, but keep in mind, you know, we have to make sure that we hear from everyone today. And, you know, for me, this is a great opportunity to find out what, you know, what our council really, you know, cares about, as well as trying to figure out, you know, what, from a priority standpoint, what directions we want the council, what the council and the city to go into. So I know this is going to be a productive day. Um, let me not waste any more time. So thank you for a chance to say a few words and looking forward to our day. Thanks. Thank you, Mayor Klein. Uh, city Manager, would you like to provide opening remarks? Yes, thank you, Vice Mayor, and thank you, Mayor, for those, those remarks. Um, next slide, please. I'm going to just give a brief overview of what we're going to do today. And this is a, a brief look at the agenda. Uh, after a brief overview, uh, we're going to get into uh, focus areas, which are really um, presentations from departments uh, on current activities and updates on uh, both study issues and our current council priorities. We have three strategic topics this afternoon. We'll have a segment for each and time for Q&A and council discussion. And then we'll end the day with a council discussion about the current priorities and whether the council wishes to make changes to those. So next slide, please. Really the purpose of today's workshop um, is to look forward. Um, we take a, a whole day to do this and it's always productive. 
but we are trying to look ahead. And so you'll see in the presentations this morning, most of the focus is on current activities and things that are coming up for the council this year. Um, we, we try hard, although, you know, to take out the stuff, talk about stuff we did last year. We're really talking about stuff that we're gonna do this year or next year. Um, we will have a, a fiscal report from Tim Kirby. And also this morning, uh, Tina will give a staffing overview. So next slide. We have a framework for this workshop that really keeps us grounded. And that framework comes from our general plan. Uh, and within the general plan, uh, there's a community vision. And this was, it's, it's developed a few years ago, but by many community members. And I think it's still very relevant today. So this is really what guides us to continue to manage Sunnyvale effectively. And that vision is that Sunnyvale is an attractive, safe, environmentally sensitive community, which takes pride in the diversity of its people, the innovation of its businesses, and the responsiveness of its government. So we use that as a guiding light to keep us focused. Next slide. Also within the general plan are our specific uh, priority or focus areas, and we've organized the presentations around that. And so these include having a strong, diverse community, a vibrant local economy, being a regional leader in environmental sustainability, a safe, secure, and healthy place for all, a city managed by responsive and responsible government, and a community with a distinctive identity. We've organized our presentations this morning around those key principles in the general plan. And so we'll talk about how the council priorities align with those. And also uh, a lot of the projects and study issues that we're currently uh, working on. Next slide. This afternoon, we'll have our strategic topics discussion and there's three topics. We're gonna give, uh, uh, have an overview of our economic development strategy and talk about next steps with that. Uh, we'll be presenting on enhanced recycled water program that we're beginning to work on, uh, which is timely. And then our third topic is services for unhoused individuals and both some new opportunities and council direction we need about what comes next. Uh, with that, I would like to turn it over to Sean Spano. Sean is going to be our facilitator for today. He's going to help keep us on track. Uh, and so, Sean, I'll hand it to you. Very good. Thank you, uh, Mr. City Manager. Sean Spano, so I'll be your facilitator today. Uh, one of the council members mentioned your MC for today. So I'm, I'm sort of the uh, choreographing and making sure that, as the city manager just said, everybody stays on track and uh, we move through the, the day in a smooth, orderly, meaningful way and uh, accomplish the goals of the, of the session. So I do consulting work, I do facilitation work, and um, the about question there, uh, all work in the public sector, um, local government. I work with lots of different agencies around the uh, Bay Area, and I've worked with Sunnyvale for several years now, uh, doing the council strategic session, working with the city manager and his executive team. Uh, my contribution here is in my own humble way to help city government work effectively. I want to echo the very first comment we heard from the public uh, comment that Sunnyvale is an incredibly well-managed uh, city. 
It's a joy working with the staff here. It's been a real pleasure working with the city council members here uh, in terms of the relationship building and the ability to effectively run city government. Your Sunnyvale community should be very grateful for the work that the staff and the council do here. Uh, so my role again is to make sure everybody stays on track, on time, we move through the day, have a meaningful, deep discussions about the important priorities that are in front of you. And uh, on ground rules, we stay, a couple just quick ground rules, we stay on topic, and on time, uh, Michelle is going to be for staff presentations, holding up little uh, time cards, and we're going to keep you on your time frame, uh, uh, staff. So you know, take a look at Michelle. You have five minutes left. Please adhere to that. When we come to council discussion and questions, I'll give a general time frame around uh, how much each council member has. Please feel free to take that. We won't be giving time frames there, but we just ask that you monitor yourself and uh, be as concise as possible. There are some issues that will be very useful to bring up here. And then as you think about it, council members, it might be useful to take some of your questions offline. It may not be as useful to, to address here. And the uh, my uh, last ground rule outside of staying on topic and on time, is um, maximize participation. We heard that from we heard that from the mayor. Uh, we would love to hear from everybody and give everybody an opportunity. All the directors, executive staff around the room will have an opportunity to present, and we want to create that opportunity, obviously, for council members to ask questions and make comments. So, with that said, then we're ready to move into our first presentation. We'll hear from Tim Kirby, your finance director. He'll give an over uh, an overview of the uh, financial situation. Tim will hand it off to Tina Murphy, your HR director, a director to give a staffing review. And uh, uh, council members, let's hold your questions, please, until Tim and Tina are done, then we'll open it up for questions at that point. So Tim, if you're ready. I am. Good morning, I'm Tim Kirby, Director of Finance. And I just wanted to say, Michelle, you might wanna switch places with Kent when Trudy starts talking. <laughs> <laughs> just a little light humor to start the morning <laughs> um the uh um i'm gonna be presenting to you in three different um all-day workshops over the next you know few months and um this is the first one and i think about these presentations um you know, as sort of a group. And so this one is really a high level overview of what, what's on the long-term horizon. What are our fiscal challenges that we're facing? When we get to the study, uh, study issues budget proposals workshop, we're gonna give you a little bit more detail on where we are fiscally year to date and set the context going into the recommended budget. And then when we do the all day budget workshop, that's when we do a real deep dive into all of the different areas of the budget. And so that's sort of the, the thinking, my thinking behind these presentations. Next slide, Sean, please. So in terms of a high level overview, this is a timeline. It kind of gives you an idea. I'm gonna go through each of these um, um, areas of concern or areas we're watching um so that you know what where we're thinking when we're thinking about our 20-year planning these are the kinds of things we're thinking about and where they fit within that 20-year long-term plan next slide please so just to orient you a little bit we talk mostly when we're talking about um you know fiscal issues we talk mostly about our general fund and that's where we receive all of our 
primary taxes are, it's the largest fund in the city and it's where we deliver uh, the majority of our, our, our core services from, um, you know, police, fire, libraries, parks, all, all of the one, traditional city services. Um, the, except, the big exceptions there are water, sewer and garbage, which are their own enterprise funds and also development related services, which is also its own enterprise fund. But in the, in the general fund, we have um, four really major revenues. And when we're doing forecasting, we're looking at these not only individually, but as a group. So we're, we're trying to understand what's the overall trend, right? If one's trending down, what are the others doing? Because really what we're looking at is a, a sustainable picture. Property tax is our largest revenue source. It is has been growing and it continues to grow. Um, and that is based on the assessed valuation of properties throughout the city, commercial and residential. Sales tax is currently growing. It has been um, flat since the early 2000s at hovering around $30 million a year. It's currently above that. And a lot of that has to do with rising costs and rising prices, right? Because sales tax is a percent on, you know, taxable dollar. Um, TOT or transient occupancy tax, that's the hotel or bed tax sometimes called. Um, that's a tax that's paid by travelers who are staying in the, in the city in a hotel. And uh, that's a percentage based um, a fee on room rate. And that has been up. It's recently up. It's down from its peak. It crashed pretty hard during the pandemic. And um, because obviously travel stopped. Um, most of Sunnyvale's travel is business related. So um, also because businesses were shifted to a remote environment largely and stopped traveling, that also affected it. But it is starting to recover now. So that's a, that's a good sign. Um, UUT and franchises, so utility users tax is a tax on uh, gas and electricity and telecom. That's been relatively flat, um, and that has to do with um, changes in you know energy consumption um, that are offsetting um, increases in price. Um, but we are we're watching that one closely. We are currently auditing our UUT uh, our providers and. Um, and uh, working through that with them. And we will be reporting out on the results of that audit uh, by the budget workshop. And, uh, and so those are the four major revenues. Oh, and I'm sorry, franchises are um, paid by like uh, the, the garbage company. They're essentially a fee that's paid for the right to have access to the city to work. So cable, the garbage largest is PG&E. That's the largest. And those are stable. Those are really based on a pretty stable um, revenue sources. Uh, next slide, Sean. So again, we've been watching, it's been very volatile over the last few years. And um, frankly, honestly, it's been pretty volatile since the Great Recession hit. Um, it's been uh, challenging to be in finance that whole time and really try to figure out what's what's going, what's coming next. Um, but right now, um, CPI, inflation, everybody is well aware. Um, and this is even a little bit um, dated at this point. But it's uh, it has been climbing steeply, and and uh, that is impacting not only city operations, you know, our cost to buy things, but it's obviously impacting the community and their ability to you know consumer, um, you know what what consumers have available to spend. So it does it does uh, impact us. Next slide. Um, home prices home prices have been falling because interest rates have been rising. Um, I just heard on the radio on the way in this morning um, that interest um, long-term mortgage rates have actually started coming down. So that's a good sign. And that demand for housing is still, obviously, everybody knows, very high. 
So uh, that's a stable indicator. Or that's a good indicator. Um, and that will keep, um, you know, new residential developments being built. And, and that has ripple effects through the economy. However, housing prices are coming down and that will affect our property tax growth because our assessed value is based on the cost of a, you know, the new cost of a home increasing. Next slide, please. Sales tax. Again, this is a volatile revenue source and you can see the dip from COVID in this graph. And then you can see it coming um, back as the economy has begun to open back up but also as things like fuel prices and other prices have increased due to inflation. So we are seeing a bump in sales tax. We also got some one-time bump in sales tax because we have a heavy biotech industry and they were producing a lot of products um, related to COVID testing um, and other types of support of the pandemic. So we did see some uh, short-term increases in those. And um, we, when we analyze sales tax, we use a consultant um, for the new council members, sales tax on an individual sales tax remitter basis is confidential information. So if you ask me, what is our biggest sales tax producer, I will reply to you with an alphabetical list of the top 10. So you, that's kind of just how that works. It's confidential because um, it can lead to information about how a business is operating and what a business is doing. Um, next slide, please. So um, in terms of short term, we talk a lot about climate action. Um, in terms of our short term, we are um, moving, ESD is working hard on next moves. Um, they are, short term moves are funded and underway, and then they are continuing to work on game plan development for the next cycle uh, coming next year. So that we have our eye on, we know that there's not currently funding for the next round, um, but we're keeping an eye on that. Next slide, please. Um, we do continue to have long-term pressures. I talked about inflation. Um, CalPERS did not return um, uh, their goal. Their goal, CalPERS, is to have a, a return on their investments. And I'll get into a lot of detail at the budget workshop on this and probably more at the, at the um, study issues budget proposals workshop. But their goal is to hit a 6.8% return. And last year, they were minus 6.1%. And some folks actually think that's a little bit worse because they have some lagging investments. It might be more around seven. So they have, they do some private equity that doesn't report out until after the close of the fiscal year. Um, so that we are currently working our CalPERS numbers. I do wanna give council a heads up that it is gonna impact the long-term budget. Um, the way it works is they ramp in losses over a five-year period. So we have some time to adjust for it. And we also were conservative last year. The prior year, they had a 21.3% return. We didn't assume all of the gains from that. We hedged against that. And so right now we're looking at somewhere between two and $8 million a year on the conservative side of a budgetary impact from the losses from last year with the larger numbers coming later in the financial plan. So. Um, in the short term, we have a gap that we're going to be looking to fill as we develop our budget. But just a heads up, I'll be talking about that more um, as we as we move through the budget process. We have two trust funds. I won't get into too many details on those, but they're for a med a retiree medical that's called Other Post-Employment Benefits, OPEB, and uh, pension trusts. And those are where we park money and we can invest it under a different set of rules than we can invest our normal treasury funds. So it allows us to get a stronger return. 
And then um, we have total compensation costs. So those are rising, of course, because inflation is rising. So, um, but also because of PERS. So the two bars that you see on this graph are um, the current cost for salaries, benefits, retirement, and everything at $120 million. And then you can see over the next 10 years, that grows by 60, uh, $40 million to $160 million. Those are annual costs. So we're going to, we have to, we're currently, our plan incorporates and we're currently working towards it. But we're, that's one of our challenges, absorbing an additional $40 million a year in costs just from where we are today. Assumes no growth in staffing. That's an important point. No growth in staffing there. Um, next slide, please. These are the two trust funds. I'll just, the trend here is, um, you know, did real well in 2021. That was when the market did really well. And then coming back down in 2022 a little bit, you know, because the market did not do well. So mirrors a little bit of what CalPERS is experiencing. Um, these for retiree medical, we start drawing on these trusts about 15 to 18 years out from now. And then on pension, it's sooner we look to draw from that trust to help us with those peak years that I was talking about in the prior slide where it's up around 40 million. Next slide, please. So resourcing services, demand for services is still very, very high. And, and everybody feels that, we all know it. Um, and re and it's, it's expensive to resource new services. So that's always on our radar. Um, population is increasing. We have new facilities that are gonna be opening the Lakewood Branch Library and Learning Center. We have new parks. Those are all putting new demands on, on resources. And they're not just renovated. We are, a lot of times, for example, at Fair Oaks Park, we're added the all-inclusive playground. Well, now that adds additional maintenance costs, right? And, and additional capital replacement costs and those types of things. So we're always thinking about that. Next slide, please. In terms of future known investments, council is pretty aware of these. Um, you know, we, we know that they're out there. We don't know, uh, they're not fully funded or maybe some of them are partially funded, but city facilities, transportation, bike and ped, um, like I said, operations for new uh, parks. And then on the enterprise side, you know, we have some very large projects on the enterprise side going. Um, Romana was, I hope you don't mind, Romana was kind enough to mention to me that they just wrapped up a, a sanitary sewer master plan. And now they're looking at how those projects will be built into the budget. So we're working through those types of things. Um, we of course have the clean water program, which is uh, throughout the entire 20 year plan is uh, just shy of a billion dollars and costs are gonna increase on that because of uh, inflation and, and just the general environment. So um, always looking at all those areas of infrastructure that are unfunded or underfunded. Next slide, please. Longer term, we're looking at climate adaptation. So increase in costs for energy, water, wastewater disposal, increasing regulations, um, needed investments to address sea, rise, sea level rise, um, we just got out of an intense weather cycle. You know, we're anticipating seeing more of those, um, whether it's hot or dry. And then um, the next moves to advance climate action, they will be considered for funding. We talked about that when, the, when that plan is um, complete. Next slide. Nobody likes to predict a recession, but they come about once every 10 years on the average. Um, we have, um, they are currently, there's currently mixed information about whether we're in a recession, headed into a recession. Maybe we're not. Yes, we are. Nobody really knows, right? And like this morning, I said with the housing, um, 
market, that was an indicator that will that'll help hold back a recession, right? So I think we're just watching that. We're being careful and cautious uh, about what's happening in the economy, and and specifically, we will work. We work with you know Connie a lot on um, just what's going on locally, what's happening, who's moving, who's coming in, what's the impact of that on the local economy and our revenue sources. <clears throat> Next slide, please. Uh, major facilities. We talked about this. We did get funding in for uh, Fire Station Two uh, renovation. That's our primary training center. So we're excited about that. Um, you all had a study session on the corporation yard, and of course, are familiar with our efforts on the next phase of the civic center, which uh, encompasses the main library. And then um, bring in another contract to you soon on the clean water program. Um, so that one is in full in full gear and moving forward. Um, well, next slide. So what are our eyes on? Possible recession, keep an eye on that. We're keeping an eye on the um, job market locally, lots of layoffs happening, and we're concerned about that. Um, the drop in home prices will likely affect our property tax revenue, at least in the short term. Um, increased costs for goods and services are a real challenge for us right now. We have our vendors coming in all across the board saying we have to raise our price, we have to raise our price. And even if we have an existing contractor coming in and asking for price increases. So we're working through those issues. And then um, the Sunnyvale Managers Association is a, a labor um, bargaining unit in, in the city that is, uh, their contract is coming to a close this fiscal year. So that will be on the, on the table. And I'm sure T you'll be talking lots to Tina about that in the near future. And with that, I think I might've stayed in my time. All right. Yes, you did. Over to Tina. <laughs> Congratulations, Tim. Really well done. I thought for sure I was only going to have three minutes to go over my slides. This is a treat. Um, so good morning, Tina Murphy, Director of Human Resources, and I'll provide you a bit of an overview about. Um, could you speak closer to your mic, please? Thank it's you. Because Chip and I are sharing. <laughs> it's meant for tall people. Okay, how about that? <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so next slide, please. All right, uh, this chart shows our full-time equivalents or authorized FTEs. And this is just through the end of December. Our full-time equivalents are our full-time employees, our part-time employees, and our term-limited employees. It does not include our casual, seasonal, temporary employees. And so this chart gives you a nice little um, graphic depiction of where the majority of our employees are authorized to work. Okay, next slide, please. As far as our staffing level trend, um, you do see that there was a bit of a dip in 2018 on the top line, and that was just based on changing the way that we budget our employee or our positions from a budget to position allocation to the full-time equivalent. So there was a small dip in that top line just in 2018. In 2020, that bottom line, you'll see that there was a significant bump from July 2020 to July 2021. That was due to uh, the city freezing 32 positions. So that was a big change from the pandemic. Um, the number of recruitments has gradually gone back up. It's not quite to where it was, but you'll see that the number of um, filled positions, which is that bottom line, the, the dark blue line, it's coming closer to where it was in July 2020 based on 2022. So we've gradually brought back 27 of those frozen positions. We still have five in uh, library and recreation that remain frozen primarily for that branch library that um, Tim had mentioned earlier. Next slide. Okay, this slide shows you our historical turnover rate. Uh, we did project out what fiscal year 22, 23 would look like. 
based on um, our, our turnover so far this fiscal year. Last year, we had a high of 12.49, which is um, a little bit higher than what we'd like to see. We're projecting uh, a little less than 12% at the end of the fiscal year if things stay on trend. Um, a comparison to our neighboring agencies, which run between 10 and 13%, uh, we're, we're right in line with that, but it is high for all of us. So that's something that um, you know we are all looking at as a way to um, bring that that down, so that we do have fewer employees turning over. Next slide, please. Okay, our citywide separations. The blue line shows our separations. The red line in the bottom shows the number of retirements. So those track a little bit carefully. There is a bit of an anomaly in 2018-2019 where we had a higher number of other separations. It's not unusual when a leadership changes uh, to see changes at other levels within the organization, which is what we noticed there in 2018, 2019. Um, again, the projections and those dotted lines out for 22, 23 are based on where we are so far this year. Next slide. Um, people always ask about, you know, what does it mean by non-retirement separations? This chart is very small, so if you have any questions or want to see it in a bigger format or a bigger font, please let me know. Um, but it does break down the number of non-retirement separation types. Uh, the orange bars that are kind of at the top, at the bigger ones, those are for another job. So if someone is taking a job with another agency or another um, organization, that's what you'll see. The green lines, which are the next lineup, those are unknown. So an employee doesn't let us know exactly why they're leaving. And the purple, um, which is a pretty consistent number from year to year, are involuntary separations. Next slide. So as we come out of COVID, we are seeing the number of new hires and promotions increasing and kind of returning to that pre-pandemic level. Um, for calendar year 2022, we did hire over 150 employees, which is a great number. Um, and then to keep in mind that we did have a hiring freeze in fiscal year 2021, which is uh, part of the reason for that drop between 1920 and 2021. Um, coming out of the freeze, we had an increase from 21-22. And then keep in mind that the, the little chart for 22-23 is just based on six months. So if you project that out, we are going to be seeing numbers closer to fiscal year 1920 again. Next slide, please. I provided this slide just as a trend to show you that the number of open jobs is um, increasing, but yet the number of applicants is decreasing. And we're not exactly sure of the reason for that, if it's people are deciding after the pandemic that they don't want to return to work, or if there are other reasons for it. We are seeing this more at our higher level management level than at our entry level positions. But it is something that the city is, is recognizing as well. This chart came from our um, applicant tracking vendor that we use. So it's, it's interesting that they're looking at it nationwide, but we are seeing that the number of public administration positions are, um, the number of vacancies are significantly down um, from where they were pre-pandemic. Next slide. All right, um, the mayor has always asked where we're getting our new hires from. So I provided this little chart. It doesn't look as round as it did on my slides. So I'm not sure why, <laughs> why it's not a perfect circle, but we had about 6% of our new hires from fiscal year 21, 22 come from outside of the greater Bay area. But a majority of our employees did come from the South Bay um, and from the nine greater Bay area counties. So I thought that that was pretty interesting that we're pulling more local than we have in years past. 
And then our final slide here is for FTE by department. So again, it's the full-time equivalent. The total number of full-time equivalents is that first column after the department name. The number of vacant positions is that second column. And then the vacancy rate is the last one. This is similar to the pie chart, but it does provide you with the number of vacancies um, and the overall total vacant uh, positions by the city. We're looking at about a 12 to 0.8% um, vacancy rate. So this includes, again, your part-time, full-time, and your um, term-limited employees, but does not include the, to the total number of temporary casual employees. With that, I'm going to turn it back over to Sean for questions. Very good. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Tim. You did a great job getting us started. Uh, so now we open it up for council questions, comments, and uh, we've allocated about, <clears throat> excuse me, about 10 minutes for this segment. So just monitor your time here. And uh, if you have questions or comments for Tim or for Tina, please, um, uh, we're just going to be very informal. You can just raise your hand. And Mr. Mayor, I'm going, my back is to you, but I'm going to make sure that I include you in the conversation. Uh, Council, Mem uh, Council Member Mellinger, get us started. All right. So uh, my question has to do with, you mentioned a decreasing interest in public service jobs, apparently, uh, the 30% decrease in job applications. Um, you know, obviously with the recession, with the uptick in layoffs, you know, do we see that as something, you know, with that uptick in layoffs, can we use that for aiding recruitment? Um, and last, last quick thing, you asked why it wasn't oval. Uh, it's because the projector is angled, I suspect. The, it's a circle on the piece of paper, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, I do think that the tech layoffs will be beneficial for us in some ways because that is going to increase the number of uh, applicants that we receive. <clears throat> An interesting conversation with another HR director from a, um, a special district yesterday, which was talking about their entry level positions. They pitch it as this is a stepping stone somewhere else. I'm like, great, you can have them be a stepping stone for us because we could always use qualified, <laughs> experienced tech folks. Um, and so I do think that we're going to see a number of people who are coming out of the tech industry. And we saw this after the last dot-com kind of um, change. People are looking for more stability in their career, and public service tends to have more stability than other um, organizations. Very good. Thank you. Council member? Yeah, thank you. This question is for Tim. Tim, on your slide, you had the uh, average home price coming down, but what happens to the number of units sold? Uh, is that constant or increasing or? No, it, it, it does change um, and does shift and it has been decreasing a little bit. It, it kind of, if you remember the, the feds uh, signaled that they were gonna rise, raise interest rates, um, I think early last year. Um, and there was sort of a rush at that point. Uh, we saw an increase in the volume of home sales. Great question, by the way. So, um, and lately we've seen it sort of come down, um, but it's pretty stable. You know, it doesn't move around too much. Um, I don't think people, too many people time the market on when they're going to sell the home. There's more yeah. reasons for it than that. Yeah. I would imagine stock prices of local economy yeah. companies would matter. And then how about the commercial real estate here? Does this take into account the commercial real estate? You talked about the home prices. Commercial real estate, we've seen uh, significant growth in assessed value over the last 10 years as commercial properties have turned over. Uh, I think a lot of that was because, and Connie might have a better, uh, be able to speak to this as well, but 
that a lot of commercial properties don't tend to turn over very often, right? Um, so we saw a lot of redevelopment, a lot of building, everybody's experienced it over the last 10 years. Um, I don't have a similar chart uh, handy, but, uh, but it is something we track. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Others, yes. Councilmember Cisneros. Yes. Um, yeah, I have some questions for uh, both of you. Um, so, some, so I noticed like uh, the rising prices is attributed to inflation. So when we say um, that we are getting more revenue because of that inflation, does that also mean we're not? You know, that could be a little bit deceptive. We could see that because of inflation, that money isn't worth as much as it was some years ago. So, you know, when we're thinking about our priorities and what kind of money we can put where, uh, is that something helpful to keep in mind? Like we might uh, we might not have very many net new dollars. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it cuts both ways, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, because, you know, you see like, oh, we have all this extra money, and now I'm thinking like, is that money we can spend or is that <laughs> because I wish it was money I can spend. <laughs> it is it is revenues over expenses and both are on the increase so yeah okay. yeah all right um, I think that's helpful when you know members of the public and us look at that you know yeah. not to get too excited yes um, okay um let's see so and then I had just a question and or a request so when we get when we have a budget workshop later on and we get that wonderful document that you give us and we spend days and days um reading it something that i think would be really helpful for me and um i don't know about my colleagues so i won't speak for them but for the things that change a lot from last year since the last time i saw a document can we have that in bold or red or somehow indicated so that i don't i'm not thinking like is that different than we had last year I, yeah, yeah, I think we generally highlight, we try to highlight those big changes mm -hmm. in the city manager's message and the mm -hmm. overview. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I definitely, I've heard that from um, um, other other council members. Mm -hmm. So I think we can, you know, put a little more focus on emphasizing what's changed over the year over year. That's awesome. Thank you. I, I think that'd be helpful because this is all, all needs to be in context and pulling apart, like you mentioned, when you look at um, the general funds revenue, don't necessarily look at that as individual things, but you do have to if you're looking at, at dips, at downturns. So I think that would be helpful in, in terms of thinking that through. Um, I was just thinking about that as I, because I know I'm going to be going into much deeper depth. Um, and then uh, I have some questions for Tina. Um, so when we had the pie chart on employees, the number, that's employee count, not how, like their total comp and how much total comp we spend in each of those pie chart categories. Does that pie chart, when you do account for total comp, look similar, or would there be significant differences? The pie chart is actually based on the full-time equivalent, so it's based mm -hmm. on positions, not based on the actual dollars that are associated with that. So it could be that you have um, positions that are paid more, positions that are paid less. There's there's no tie to what the, the budgeting component to that is. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, because I was connecting that to the budget and thinking, um, if I were to look at that, the total confidence positions, mm -hmm. uh, FTE or, or part-time, that would look different. Mm -hmm. Okay. It would look very different. Very, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I wonder how similar those are. Um, and how, and we were noticing, you know, the applications and the need for public sector, those are not matching. Having a reduction in applications, but an increase in need um, but, and you mentioned that was primarily for upper management. How, what percentage of upper management roughly it, are internal hires? Because I also noticed people leave for promotions or extra money. 
Um, I don't have that number right off the top, but just anecdotally, yeah. we do like to promote from within. I think that that sends a good message. It also is really great um, indicator that we're doing our job and training the next generation mm -hmm. to move up. Um, but I can look that information up. Later. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily. Anecdotally, there's that because I saw that gap. We're having people leave for promotions, and I'm like, well, we need people, people who would quote those promoted positions. So I was like, oh, where, where is that exact intersection? What does that look like? I think that'd be very helpful to see. And uh, let's see. And then I was going to mention our local hires, uh, get most of them there. And I know it's true the tech industry, because I worked in workforce development specifically for the tech industry, that um, local hires, so if they're from the South there, hopefully from Sunnyvale, they have lower attrition rates. Do you find that to be true? In some uh, departments, yes, and others, not as much. Interesting. Interesting. I'd love to get into that, not now, but at some point, I think it's really interesting. Um, do they have connections here? Are they less likely to want to move? Um, that limits job opportunities. So we'll, uh, that's just a interesting piece. Um, yeah, and uh, I think that's all I have. But thank you very much, both of you. Very good, thank you. Uh, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. Uh, and first off, just thank you to you both for the presentations and for starting us off on such a strong note. Uh, I think I'll, I'll start with human resources and then move over to finance. Um, I appreciated that last slide where you had the pie chart around new hires by location. Uh, I just one question I had is, do we have any information? And it's okay if you don't have it off the top of your head. Of, how many are actually relocating after they get hired? That would be from that. So we have oh, about so, 6%. Ah, okay, okay, thank you. And then um, in terms of the historical citywide turnover rates, uh, do you have any ballpark numbers on what the turnover rates are at other similar cities right now? I do. Yesterday I spoke, spoke with a couple of HR directors because I knew this question was going to come up. Um, <laughs> Gilroy's looking at about 13% right now. Um, there was another organization that was looking at a little bit closer to 15%. So we're right in the, the sweet spot. What I did hear is that and the, when you combine um, public sector and private sector together, you're looking at, at least in the tech industry of closer to 18%. Mm. So we are seeing lesser amounts than that, which is great. Yeah, no, thank you. Do it we know big. which cities are doing very well on that? Are there any cities that have in the in the region that are extremely low with their turnover rates? Or? I would love to say that there are, but I, we're all experiencing you know, turnover either due to retirements or people accepting positions elsewhere. We're all struggling with recruitment efforts. Okay, thank you. Uh, and then I'll go over to finance now really quick. Um, what, one question I had is, uh, I really appreciate the slide and just the information around future known investments, what we know is coming down the pipeline. Uh, do you have really just rough ballparks of uh, what the distribution of those costs are, which of what we're seeing come down, especially on the slide, I think it was slide 20, where we had uh, sort of listed out by city facilities, transportation, bicycle, operations, parks, et cetera. Uh, which of these are gonna be the heaviest hitters? Sorry, let me get to that no slide worries. so I can see the categories. <laughs> this is um, Vice Mayor, this yes, is- Yes, yeah. that is the one. Oh, that's the one. So um, in general, so in general, the largest project, the heaviest hitter in the city is the Sunnyvale Clean Water Program. So I'll just put that out there. Um, transportation projects um, are very, and like bike pet infrastructure, that kind of stuff, varies very widely on the cost. If you're replacing a bridge, 
you know, that's a huge project that could be 30, $40 million. If you're just striping a roadway that could be, you know, hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand, right? So it, it varies widely there. Um, but, and then city facilities, they, that, those are more um, controllable costs, I would say. We're scoping the size, we're scoping the features. Um, those will be mid-level, they'll kind of be in the mid-range. You know, you saw that on the corporation yard, 100 million for the whole, roughly I'm rounding up, sorry, Chip. Um, <laughs> um, you know, on that whole facility, but uh, uh, one of the smaller fire stations, I think they were looking at renovation around 20, 15, 15 20 million a fire station. So it's, you know, we have some ballpark numbers on there. I don't know if Kent, you wanted to add anything? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to chime in because, you know, when I, when I think of the question, you know, which are the heavy hitters? it's the ones that are unfunded, right? Yeah, I mean, we true. spend a lot for sidewalk and street maintenance, but we have a good funding source in place and we get we get revenue from gas taxes. We set aside money from the general fund. We planned for it. I mean, we're seeing inflationary pressures for sure, but it's well-funded. City facilities is gonna be the biggest gap, right? We haven't identified funding for the corp yard. We funded one out of the five fire stations that need to be upgraded. Um, we do not have funding for the library yet uh, for uh, replacing the main library. And so there's a big gap there. It's not the biggest total cost, but it might be the biggest gap. You know, operation costs for new parks uh, will not be $100 million, Chip. Um, so that one is, uh, there's definitely pressure on us, but it's probably the smallest. Um, uh, and we have funding. We built funding in for that for the new park that opened last year. Okay, thank you. Actually, I really appreciate that framework. I think it, it helps a lot to hear it in those terms. Uh, and then the, the final question I had is um, I, just related to our sales tax history. Um, I noticed the big spike in 2022, uh, where thankfully it was great to see that we had gone above pre-pandemic levels. Uh, do you know what the, the main contributors to being so high are? Is it the, bi the biotech that you had mentioned? And uh, how long term do we see uh, these figures in the sales tax? Or do we think it's going to go back down to where it was pre-pandemic? Um, I'll report out on that in a little bit more detail in, in uh, the study issues budget proposals workshop. For we sure. are um, about 40% uh, business to business sales. Mm. Um, but I would say that spike is largely driven by, you know, just inflationary costs rising. Um, and like I said, there is some one time that we can give you a little bit more granularity on, on the, uh, you know, on the impact of one time costs. You know, the other sector that we saw doing really well was auto sales and, yeah. and that's softening up. So that, yeah. that's not as, as good today as it was a year ago. Um, I also think, you know, the, uh, uh, sales tax on fuel. I mean, we all yep. experienced it. It spiked way up. It's back down now. And so we're going to see less sales tax revenue from that. Um, Connie may have more details, but I know the auto sales were very healthy and it started to cool off. Yeah, and the only thing I could add to that too is that, as Tim said, we are very uh, reliant on business-to-business -business sales tax, and a lot of those businesses, similar to us, right, had one-time expenses to ramp up our employees and our offices with a lot of the work-from-home equipment that was needed. So that was also an artificial bump that that will not continue um, because a lot of those were one-time purchases. Um, so we're going to see that uh, decrease. 
Okay, we, we just answer your uh, last piece of that. Um, we're projecting a, you know, a flattening of that peak, but not necessarily a steep fall off. So at least in the short term. Okay, I actually really appreciate all of those answers. Thank you. Um, and then I, a question that that inspired in me, and this is more on the on the larger sense. And I think I'm asking you more so because I know you just have so much experience and just knowledge on how these things work. How do the, the big changes in CPI affect things like sales taxes? Do we tend to think that you know spending will go down if CPI is going very high, or is it just the way the numbers work out? They they balance out. It, it's it, it it's hard to say. Yeah, it's hard to fair. say. No, it varies all over. It's all over the place. But yeah, okay. it, it generally expenses when sales tax when costs increase, they kind of balance each other out. You know, the prices go up, we get more revenue, but our own prices go up, and we have to. It costs us more to do business, so they sort of trend together and balance each other out. Okay, thank you. Those were all my questions. Very good. We have time for a couple more. If any other council member, council member Sal. Um, so this question is for Tim. Um, um, economy is cyclic over uh, a large time frame. Um, has there ever been a situation like we're going into in the past uh, in Sunnyvale's history that you know of? And how did uh, Sunnyvale best react to it? to protect revenue and grow the revenue if possible? What are some mechanisms for doing that in this situation? Yeah, I can think of two. They're not the same um, conditions exactly, but the, the dot-com bubble, when that burst, um, that was a big adjustment for us. Uh, back then, sales tax was up around a little bit higher than where it is yeah. right now. And um, then the Great Recession, of course, everybody um, experienced that also impacted us. And we saw actually property tax really flatten. And even in, in one year, our commercial property assessed value went negative 1%. So it's, you can actually, um, you can kind of correlate those two. Um, my, the answer is long-term planning and our reserves. That's, that's the answer on how we ride out those waves and how we make sure that we provide sustainable services. So we, you'll see when we get into the budget, uh, we have some pretty um, strong reserve policies that buy us time to make adjustments uh, that are more moderated and more thoughtful to address changes in, in economic cycles. Okay, Tim, and then, can I just I, you know add something to that just yeah. a little plug for economic development, right? Yes. Part of it is also <laughs> the, um, uh, from a policy perspective, right? Is looking at your balance of commercially zoned property uh, versus conversion to residential, and looking at those areas as to where you do protect the areas where businesses could be located. Um, Tim, you could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but the property tax from commercial tends to be a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. than um, residential because commercial, even though the property ownership may not change um, as often as residential, there's still constant improvements that are occurring in those type of uses. So there's revenue associated with that. Okay. We have time for one more question. One more question. <laughs> okay, this is for uh, uh, HR. I was, um, we have some vacancies and we have retention. Um, what are some of the best tools that we as a city have for, for your department to help you do uh, the excellent job that you're doing to continue doing that. 
Um, I think we have a fantastic staff, so that certainly does help. Uh, the other thing that I think is always a, a great idea is for our current employees and even our former employees, they're really good advocates for us. And so being able to explain to them why Sunnyvale is a fantastic place to work, I think that helps all of us make our jobs easier. Thank, Thank you. you. Sean, Mayor uh, Klein has his hand up too. Okay, we'll go to uh, Mayor Klein and then uh, Councilmember Melton. Mayor Klein? I'll try to keep it very short to keep us on, on schedule. <clears throat> uh, Tim, I'll have multiple questions prior to the budget workshop, but definitely looking at um, what we, you know, what where we stand as far as um, revenues and you know what the what the potential recession and how we respond to that I think is really critical. Um, Tina, I just want to thank you again for for the hiring by location. I do think that that really really gives us a better view view of um, vehicle miles traveled for our for our employees. So that actually is a very positive thing. I did have one real big question as far as vacancy rate. So uh, page thirty four and talking about. Um, the vacancy rates by department. And, and most of these are running around 10%. And I understand NOVA is pretty unique because it's grant funding and all that. Um, the biggest worry I had here was IT and, and wondering if that's affecting operations from a city standpoint. I don't know if that's you or, or and, and what we're doing from an HR standpoint to, to look at that. But are there other departments? And I know we each department has different FTE counts are there other, which are the departments that we're really worried about that we need to fill quickly? Um, I think with IT, it, Kathleen has done a great job with being able to use contract assistance to be able to fill those vacancies. Some of them are relatively new because we are looking at it as of the end of the year. So she did have a couple of departures at the end of the year. And with a smaller um, department, like 36, um, it, you know, every person is a big percentage. So that I think is why the percentage looks so big, similar to Nova, um, they are similar size. I, anytime there's a vacancy within public safety, that's one we always wanna fill as quickly as possible. Um, we are doing a really great job with trying to fill positions in public works as well. But I, I don't know if there's any one department that is uh, you know, more concerning than others. Whenever there's a vacancy, if it's a, you know, one that's incredible that we need to be able to fill it right away, that's something the city manager uh, makes the determination to move that up in the recruitment queue. Okay, I appreciate that, thank you. Very good, council member Melton. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I, I don't really have any questions. Tim, I'll circle back with you offline on some things that I'd like to talk about. I, I just wanted to make a comment. Um, I love this opening chapter that we do uh, every year during the strategic workshop and the story that I see, Tim, um, is one of immense fiscal pressures versus increasing demand for city services. That's sort of the lens that I'm going to apply to the this workshop, maybe even later today when we're talking about one of our three breakout sessions and potentially increasing city services even more. I'm going to be thinking about that during our upcoming um, study issue workshop, and of course, at the, the budget session. I heard you say, Tim, um, that due to uh, pension returns at CalPERS, um, immediately we're going to have a $2 million hit, and that's going to increase to $8 million per year for the rest of the year. 
And you and Kent, Tim, are not going to bring that to council for a vote, right? We don't get to decide whether we're going to pay $2 million a year more to Sacramento. You're just going to bake that into the recommended budget. And obviously, that's less that we have to provide services to residents. So that's a fiscal pressure. Um, just on Tuesday, we talked about the courtyard, largely unfunded. Um, we launched a bunch of new potential study issues and from a policy perspective and for um, doing things for the city of Sunnyvale and our residents, I think they're great policy ideas, but there's going to be the cold, sober reality of the resources available to do all of those. And so sometimes I mention um, what I refer to as the Sunnyvale way. Uh, and for me, the Sunnyvale way really manifests itself at the study issue workshop when everybody makes a bunch of sober choices about drops and defers and what it is that we can do now, and especially what it is that we can't. Um, so that's the lens that I'm looking through. I would like you, Tim, um, when you and Kent launch the recommended budget, I think we need to have a discussion about that page in volume one. It's about page 20 every year, and it's just the one page list of unfunded massive things that we have. I think if you spent 30 minutes to an hour just talking about that to help everybody get on the same page, that would be helpful. I think you should talk about unfunded projects in volume two. I see that increasing, and I'd like to get those with a flashlight shown on them. I agree with council member Cisneros. Um, anything changing in volume two from last year, more than X dollars per year, need to shine a flashlight on that. Any new projects in volume two and any projects in volume two that are going away. I think all of those need to be highlighted on a separate piece of paper to council. And every year I advocate for something and I'll do it again this year. Um, staff works very hard in pulling together the recommended budget we drop it and then council needs time to review it before the budget workshop so i always advocate to the greatest extent possible that staff can drop the recommended budget sooner rather than later and i won't define it any more than that sooner is better in the public process in my opinion because it gives the public and council more time to review it so i advocate for that thank you sean very good Okay, so uh, we have the uh, session today divided into three segments leading into the late afternoon discussion by council uh, around priorities. We have now finished segment number one, the financial report and the staffing uh, review. We are ready for a break. We're going to take 10 minutes and then we'll come back and get into segment number two, council priorities update. So we have 10 minutes and we'll reconvene at that point. Thank you.
David. David. Okay, so now we move into our focus area discussion, and this includes council priorities underneath these focus areas. And just as a quick reminder, at the end of the day today, council will formally adopt these six priorities um, and any changes that come out of the discussion today. So this helps tee up that uh, later conversation. We're going to start with a strong, diverse community. Let me move. To the next one. You'll see the two council priorities underneath that. Um, the speakers, the uh, directors will speak to those, and then we'll move through the, uh, the rest of the focus areas and the priorities underneath them. Asking council to hold on your questions until we move through all of the presentations, and then we'll open it up at the end. So starting with strong, diverse community, we'll have Trudy Ryan, Chip Taylor and Jackie Guzman. And I believe, Trudy, I think you're starting us off. I do believe so. Very good. Go ahead and go to the next slide, please. Is that close enough? I'll try not to cough into the microphone. Um, next slide, please. I want to start off talking about the housing strategy, the implementation of this housing strategy that the council adopted in 2020. We've made um, a, a bit of progress and you'll see this come up a couple of times uh, throughout the morning as I talk about uh, different of the strategies. Uh, coming up next will be the right to lease and tenant protection relocation assistance, uh, both of which were in the strategy, the right to lease was also a separate study issue. Um, and so we have been working, We've, we thought we would get it to you um, last year, um, but we are working to get it to you um, early in, in 2023. Next slide, please. Um, a, a lot of these um, items that I'm talking to you about um, revolve around housing. Um, so we do have a study issue to look at the minimum parking requirements for residential uses. It was a much bigger study that the council um, shortened at last year's study issue workshop and um, asked us really just to, to start out with a comparison of our parking requirements versus other agencies. Um, we will be returning to council in the middle of 2023 with that data. Next slide, please. We are also working on an update to the single family home design techniques. Um, it has been um, uh, the direction of the state that we have more objective standards for, for design um, aspects of, of development. And um, we've been able to, um, uh, to get um, study issues uh, approved by the, the council, as well as we've sought grants. Um, so this one was a study issue that the council asked us to, to go and look at the design guidelines. Um, and we're, we're changing the word guidelines to techniques and, and um, standards uh, just so that it's clear that there's less objectivity associated with them. That will be coming to the council uh, later in 2023. We are in the stage of, of, of um, getting ready to start our community outreach on that effort. 
Um, next uh, is the study issue looking at the housing mitigation fees. The council is very familiar with this because we actually brought it to you on Tuesday. So we can go to the next slide. Um, a study issue from last year that was added in um, is the universal basic income um, evaluation. And uh, we did include, the council did approve the budget uh, for us to um, add that to our list. And we have um, submitted our, our scope of work and we're working with finance to have a, a request for proposals and expect to be back to the council in early 2024 after um, conducting the study um, and doing a, a fair amount of community outreach, there are a number of agencies and individuals who have contacted us um, expressing their interest in participating in the study. So even though we haven't formally started yet, there is a fair amount of interest from the community on that. Right, next item, please. Um, also, as part of the housing strategy, one of the tasks, uh, sort of an ongoing activity, if you will, is to um, promote accessory dwelling units um, for the newer council members, if you're, if you're not clear. Um, that would be a second unit, a smaller second unit on a single family property. The state has broadened the definition to also include it on multifamily properties uh, where you, you take an existing structure of some sort and you convert a portion of it into an additional um, unit. But essentially, it's a multifamily unit because we don't um, have the same um, same issues that you might have with single family in, in terms of setbacks and things like that. Um, and it's not always an issue. Uh, we're, we're also exploring uh, working with other cities in our county on uh, pre-approved plans. Uh, so there is a, 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 a group through the city's association um, that also includes county planning staff called the Planning Collaborative. And we're all sharing information regarding our housing elements, um, but also things like promoting accessory dwelling units. Um, We've been sharing um, quite a bit of literature with each other that we have um, from, from guidelines on how to develop um, multifamily um, uh, as well as uh, the accessory dwelling units and, and how really to get, how to respond to some of the questions that we get on the housing element, but I'll be covering that later in the slide. Uh, next, please. Um, another housing strategy item that we'll start on this year. Um, this was actually in the third <laughs> tier of the items. So we're already into the third tier of housing strategy of three tiers. Um, we will be starting again early 2023. Um, and um, throughout this year, we'll be seeing what other um, agencies are doing, what different organizations are doing, because there is a collaborative of, of, um, of churches that have provided an RV parking program. Um, uh, and um, Mountain View, for example, has already has their, um, their city RV safe parking program. So we, we do have some samples to um, select from. We're also going to um, make sure that we look statewide to see what other agencies in the state are doing. Um, we will um, be engaging with the county on potential sites and funds for um, implementing a safe uh, parking program. Um, you might have your regulations, but not have a site. So it, it is important that we also look at that. And there, of course, there will be study sessions and public hearings on it. Um, so we do expect to be able to complete that by the end of 2023. Thank you. Um, good news. We have some new funding from the state. It's a permanent local housing allocation. Um, we got 
a lump sum of three million, but that's really to look at several years worth of, of activity, sort of a catch up. And that in the future, we're looking at um, about 500,000 a year. Um, we're looking at um, starting a senior rent program with that, that funding, um, uh, pulling in the money from the, from the last four years of, of 1.7 of that 3 million, um, and then spending the entire amount um, in the future years on the senior rent program. So this is in some ways an extension of the tenant-based rental assistance, but it's very specific to the seniors. Um, uh, we would also be evaluating whether or not additional staff is needed to, um, to operate that such a program, or if we could partner um, with um, another, with a nonprofit of some sort to, to manage the program. In either case, um, those costs would come out of the, the grant fund. Next slide. And then as I promised, I was gonna talk about the housing element. Um, this is a sore subject with a lot of communities. Uh, state does, it's the only portion of the general plan um, that is required to be reviewed and approved by the state. Uh, otherwise, cities do have a lot of discretion in terms of how they organize their general plan and how frequently they update components of their general plan. The housing is put on a specific cycle. The cycles vary by region of the state so that a region is planning their, their housing element um, together. We uh, submitted our housing element last year um, in plenty of time uh, for it to be adopted uh, by January 31st, but that's only plenty of time if the state didn't have uh, significant <coughs> comments. And um, while I would say we had significant comments, um, not necessarily as significant as some of our, our neighbors. Um, so the Housing Community Development Department of the state is um, very particular, um, really wants to see a lot of justification um, the fact that we've done a great job in the past isn't sufficient, um, although we are trying to pull together some of that um, to help build confidence uh, with the, the HCD staff that, that we are, we know what we're talking about. Um, Sunnyvale's had um, housing programs since the mid 80s and has continually increased um, the amount of housing that can be developed in, in the community. Um, we will be coming back to the council um, for um, uh, to kind of review some of the, the ideas with you, just tell you this is what we're thinking of submitting as our next review cycle. And um, the, the adoption of the housing element is tied in with the schedule for the Moffat Park specific plan. We are relying on the environmental review in the Moffat Park specific plan um, because that's where the, uh, uh, a, a big chunk of the 12,000 housing units that we need to plan for are located. Um, and then the reason I put deadline is January 31st. Um, it doesn't, there's no sanction if you don't meet the deadline, other than you do have to have a strong rezoning program to, to show that, um, that you will be able to, um, and, and get that completed by next year to show that you'll um, be able to um, meet your, your housing allocation. Next slide. Um, also from the housing strategy is um, the age-friendly initiative, and uh, we, we have been uh, working um, with getting more information from the community on it. There are some advocates, uh, teen advocates, that we've, we've um, just been working with and discussed with. We are paying for some of the aspects of it through the housing mitigation fee um, to encourage senior housing, and then the the thing about senior housing, it's not just that 
only seniors can live there and then maybe they're happier because they don't have children underfoot. Um, in some cases, actually, seniors would prefer to be a mixed um, age. Um, so it's more about the unit itself and the services that are available to them, um, that the, the, the you know, fewer steps, um, less things like thresholds at the at, when you go through a door. It's really easy to trip over those in case you didn't know. <laughs> um, so this is an ongoing program. It isn't something that we'll just complete by the end of the year. Hello? Thank you. Uh, next slide, please. And then I'm going to turn it over to Chip Taylor. Thank you, Trudy. Uh, wouldn't be a meeting without John's phone going off. Um, <laughs> uh, so good, morning. <laughs> good morning, Council. Chip Taylor, I'm the Public Works Director, and I'll go over um, some projects that we're working on that fit into this category. So the first is I'll talk about the Civic Center Phase 1. So as you can see from the photo up there, uh, El Camino is down at the bottom of that photo, uh, and Matilda is over to the right side with all of kind of running through the middle with the curve there. Um, on this plan, you can see the new city hall up by Olive that's uh, getting very close to being completed for construction. Um, and then we also have the new EOC that's built and occupied. And we're working on the building renovations within uh, DPS as well. And then once we get done with the city hall, we'll start to do the uh, demo of the old city hall and the SOC buildings, if we can call them buildings. Um, and then that'll be a whole uh, site plan there, a new park area, and a lot of great open space for the public, which is going to be very exciting. So we're excited about that. Um, going on to show you a few more pictures of what it's going to look like and kind of where it's at right now. Um, you can see from the top picture there, that's uh, a picture of the City Hall from uh, the All-America side. So that's looking, this building doesn't really have a front or a back. It's really both fronts. Um, we try to make it that way so people can enter wherever they want to. Um, and uh, then you can see on the right side there, you see the new amphitheater that'll be created, kind of a small little amphitheater within the park area. And then on the bottom, uh, you can see kind of the new area that's out in the front near Olive that'll have a nice plaza there, uh, planters and seat walls, that sort of thing, so people can utilize that space. Next slide. And here's a great drone photo from December, um, and even things have even changed more since December on the ground at least. Uh, but here you get a really good view of the solar array. So one of the big components of this is net zero energy, uh, lead platinum. And so you can see it just in a very extensive solar array that just isn't just the roof line. It actually extended beyond the roof line. So that's why you have this large canopy out there to take advantage of as much space as we could um, with that uh, solar array. Next slide. A few interior photo photos that uh, you can see. Uh, the new council chambers over to the left there is making great progress. Uh, it's really going to be a beautiful space, a great space for meetings and for the public to interact. Um, so that'll be uh, something that'll be a nice showcase feature. Uh, we have the one-stop counter on the right side there. So that'll be for mainly for CDD, but we're out there as well, um, kind of getting those permits and working through things. It'll operate similar to how it does today, uh, but it'll be a nice space out there as well. Um, then we have the typical office layout on the bottom left there, uh, more the typical cubicles that you might see, open office environment. Um, and with that lead platinum, we have the window, so you can get that light all the way in. So the offices tend to be toward the center of the building, and then the cubicles are on the outside. So we take as much advantage of the natural light as we can. And it's really nice going into the building because you do see that difference with the natural light. And then we have the public terrace that's out there on the olive side. Um, and you can see the planted uh, areas that are out there, the seat walls that are designed. So that'll be a really nice space as well for whether it's events or just want to go up there to have a coffee that sort of thing. Next slide. 
So here's the timeline. Uh, as you can see, the, the timeline goes much further back than 21. A lot of pre-work that came into this uh, to get it to where it is today. Uh, but you can see we're um, right at the beginning. This kind of stretches right for 23 this year mainly. Uh, we moved into the EOC last year around September timeframe. Um, and then this year, we're actually going to move into the City Hall in the March timeframe is what we're looking at right now. It's looking like that's uh, getting more firmed up as we go. Um, and then as soon as we move into the new City Hall, they'll start to work on the rest of the site. Um, and uh, that site work will be completed a little bit later in 23, probably in the September timeframe. Um, and then the renovations at the public safety are ongoing right now. And that'll be sometime in the summer where the renovations will actually be completed. And those. Next slide. And then as soon as we get, well, not even as soon as we get done with that, we're already starting the next phase of the uh, Civic Center with the main library. So uh, we're in the process of uh, looking to plan and kind of solidify what was in the master plan uh, for the main library. We'll have some options of either kind of expanding, renovating the existing library or building a new library uh, to kind of reassess what sort of services we need, what sort of services we might want to do in the future, what sort of size we might need. Um, and then a timeline for that, we have a consultant that's going to start here real shortly to work on that and anticipation that we bring some things to council probably next spring to make some decisions on whether uh, the city would want to go out toward a bond measure potentially in 24. So that's our goal for that. Next slide. And then we've got a new new branch library that we're building. So uh, this will be out at the Lakewood, uh, Lakewood Park area, essentially. It'll be the Library and Learning Center. Um, it's approximately 20,000 square feet. Um, and uh, we have a partnership with the school districts to work on that. So it's been a good partnership, a good opportunity to share resources. Um, and it will be built on Lakewood Elementary School property. So that will be on that property. Um, we have uh, the timeline right now is we have, um, it's in design and permitting. So it actually had to go to the Division of State Architects um, and uh, they have to actually approve it since it is on school property. Uh, we're hoping to bid sometime mid this year. Uh, we'll start construction in the fall and then we'll move in in the end of 24. So uh, that'll be a nice, nice facility. It's gonna be a very good facility. Next slide. Uh, this one I won't spend too much time on. Uh, you just saw it recently, about a week or two ago, and it's the community center grounds renovation project. Uh, so it's that 14 acre area just outside here. Uh, it was built in 1973. Um, and we have, uh, it's a cultural, cultural diversity park theme. Um, and so one of the nice features of that, uh, activating that area and a lot of the people in the community that use that area really does um, you know, solidify that. And the project goals, we really wanted to enhance the recreational usability of it. So get rid of some of the, uh, the pond area from a water usage side, as well as activating the area and increase the attractiveness and sustainability. Next slide. Timeline for that. Um, so we did the outreach last year. Uh, council already reviewed it, gave a nod to the concept design. So we're already starting to work into final design. We'll bring some uh, potential Wi-Fi capability back to the council, so you can consider that in the near future here. Um, and then we're the design will go through. There's a typo there. I think it's supposed to be through late 23. Um, and then we'll actually bid it next year and then go to construction 23 or 24, 25. So it'll be completed at 25. Um, so that's moving quite quick, quickly. And with that, I'll hand it over to Jackie Guzman to talk about equity, access, and inclusion. Thank you, Chip. Um, so as far as uh, Council's priority for equity, access, and inclusion, um, this year we completed an organizational assessment 
Um, about half of you participated in interviews. We had employee focus groups and an employee-wide survey, um, which actually got a great response. Over half of employees participated in the survey, and that really informed the employee trainings um, around um, EAI that began in September. Actually, this week, DPS is um, completing their trainings for our sworn officers. And of course, they, because of um, their complicated schedules, have a planned training um, that they do every year that we tapped into. But overall, managers have received eight hours of training, and all employees have received four hours of training. And this is really helping us create a baseline of knowledge among our employees, really to build a foundation for success for how we operationalize equity and how we deliver our services. Um, we are getting a lot of great feedback as part of the training. The training is not us just um, providing information, but really getting information from our employees about um, the areas where we can um, really improve our organizational culture and bring in a culture of belonging. So our Sunnyvale employees for equity and diversity um, have chosen four focus areas um, and they will be spending time inviting other employees to form subcommittees um, to work on these focus areas. The focus areas are fostering a culture of belonging, uh, improving communications um, from the top down and the bottom up, within the organization, harm reduction, and that really involves um, looking at our policies and procedures around how to address bullying and microaggression, things like that within the organization and building bridges um, across employee groups. And the fourth is opportunities for hiring, promotion, professional development to increase retention in the organization. So those are the four focus areas our C team is going to be looking at specifically with an equity lens. Um, and we will be coming up with recommendations for the city manager um, at the end of this year. Next slide. Um, in terms of our external work around equity, access, and inclusion, um, Council did form a Human Relations Commission. Um, you asked us to work with the subcommittee on boards and commissions to come up with a work plan, and we met with the subcommittee this week um, and got some really good feedback on the draft plan. We will be taking that back to Council as a study session, likely in February, mid-February, um, and then starting the recruitment process for commissioners. Um, we anticipate that that um, process will happen in the spring. Our goal is to really have commissioners be appointed and begin the work in June. Um, and they will be focusing again on uh, policies and programs related to diversity, equity, access, inclusion, justice, and belonging, and really making sure that our programs and services are accessible and transparent. Um, the other thing I will also mention our, on our external work is um, that we are planning a Sunnyvale Unity Series again this year. Um, we'll begin with an inter-ethnic panel in March, um, followed by bystander training and de-escalation training in the summer. 
Um, and this is really uh, in response to, we're partnering with school districts on this. So Sunnyvale is taking the lead, but we have partners in the school districts. We really wanna address um, issues that have come up around um, inter-ethnic tension in, in schools in the community, but also acknowledging that there has been an increase in anti-Asian hate incidents. And, and we really want to address those issues with our community, but also provide tools for community members for how to address incidents when they happen. Next slide, please. Um, I'll also talk about our ADA transition plan. This is our uh, Americans for Disability Act uh, transition plan, which is required by law. We uh, adopted it in June uh, of last year after discussing it with our advisory committee on accessibility. And the plan really has two components. One is a self-evaluation of our uh, policies and programs, and the other is the physical infrastructure improvements. So our self-evaluation, we're having an audit of it because it was done back in 2017. So we wanna make sure, have we made progress? So we're right now looking department by department to see where progress has been made and where we um, still have issues we need to work through. Council recently approved some funding for consultant support. So we'll be um, hiring a consultant to work with our departments to, to address those. Um, recommendations from the report. On the physical infrastructure side, um, there are a lot of, uh, <laughs> of, of deficiencies that we need to take care of, and we really do not have the funding to address all of them. So we have funding every year in our CIP to address and correct those issues. And so, um, we have information here on what was what has been done in 2022 last year and what's programmed for 2023 in terms of um, ADA curb ramp retrofits, accessible pedestrian signals, um, signal timing to increase um, walk don't walk times and raised uh, sidewalk repairs. Of course, if we do get an ADA complaint, we have a process to go through to address those issues specifically. Um, and we have an ADA coordinator that um, works through that. And with that, we will go to our next section. Okay, so very good. That, that wraps up the first focus area. And just as a reminder, there were two council priorities that Chip and Jackie just addressed, Civic Center modernization and equity um, access and inclusion. We are now ready to move over to vibrant and innovative local economy and setting this up. You'll hear from Trudy again, you'll hear from Connie and also uh, Marlena Sessions. Trudy? Yes, thank you. Uh, the two main areas that I'll be talking about are uh, development activity and the area plans that are currently being developed or, or revised. Uh, so next slide, please. Uh, this slide just um, kind of shows you that we continue to get busier. So this is actually looking at square foot of development. This is not net new development. This is um, looking at applications, um, in most cases, to replace something on property. Sunnyvale has very little vacant land. Um, the, the different bars talk about what's uh, pending and what's under construction um, uh, uh, throughout the process. And um, you can see there was a, a, a bit of a dip of under construction in 2020. 
but we've more than made up for that. And um, we've, you've probably seen that as you've driven around, driven around town, there's quite a bit of construction going on. So this is just the, the non-residential aspects of the community. Uh, next slide. Uh, hotels, um, many, many city managers were jealous of how many hotel applications we had in the pipeline um, in, the, in the early and, and mid um, teams. Um, and this, this just little snapshot of the last uh, six years shows you that it's still very strong in Sunnyvale. So even though the number has come down, it's because a lot of those hotels that were um, it, you know, pending um, have actually been completed and opened. And, and Tim covered a little bit of that um, um, in his presentation about the importance of hotels um, to, to Sunnyvale and, and how it's uh, a bit of an indicator of some of the economic conditions. Um, there are items on the 2022 bar that might come off. We had a project that's been stalled for a while. Um, another project that decided not to proceed um, those are smaller hotel projects, but you can see we still get new applications um, and those are still pending. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, this, is the, this is the trend in the residential. Again, a little bit of a, uh, of a down, um, if you will, uh, in, the, in the 20 and 21 um, areas, but you can also see that the increasing percentage of the units in that pipeline that are affordable. So that's the increased focus, that's the ability to spend the housing mitigation funds to assist nonprofits in their development of, of affordable housing. So that's not all 100% um, uh, buildings that are 100% affordable, that also includes a number of the inclusionary requirements. Uh, next slide, please. Um, I, I really like to point this out to the council because it um, it's helpful for you to have this picture in your head of how much is residential and how much is non-residential in terms of the permits. So who are the people that we interact with on, on, on getting their planning approvals and their building approvals? Um, and it's the majority is single family. Um, the majority of the single family, though, are small remodels, small additions, um, roof, roof repair, roof replacement, um, very small, which you'll see really well in the next slide. If you look at the valuation, it is only 6% is single family. Everything else, other residential, multifamily residential, and by far the, the non-residential is um, that's the valuation. So those are the big office buildings. Those are the hotels. Um, those are the um, tenant improvements, as, as Connie mentioned, um, commercial, not just retail, but, but other office and commercial often do interior work that requires building permits. Um, and before we leave the, the, the kind of the character of the building permits and the, and the planning activity, um, I just want to emphasize that this is not just community development. It's not just building and planning. Um, our partners are um, uh, public works, public safety, um, environmental services, um, just in terms of the actual review and processing um, and inspections of applications. Uh, so next slide, please. Um, the, the big, big, big plan is um, the Moffat Park specific plan, which is uh, about two square miles. 1300 um, acres. So it is uh, big in a lot of senses geographically, it's quite large. But also um, the ideas around um, Moffat Park are, are big, uh, really 
pulling in a lot of the values and the value statements that you see in the general plan. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, Moffat Park has been sort of re to redefine that as an ecological and innovation district. So two words that are repeat often in this slide presentation and, and not just from the community development perspective. Um, next slide, please. So as um, I hope you know, we have released a draft of the plan and the environmental impact report that have been prepared. Um, we had a meeting with the planning commission uh, this week to accept comments, um, uh, oral comments on, on the environmental impact report. We had one speaker, um, which was like fantastic, although we are not yet at the end of the comment period. So we don't know yet how many comments we'll receive it's been our experience that it's the last day um, it, that we get the comments. And typically we get uh, comments from about um, 10 agencies and maybe a handful of others, um, but that's not always the case. We've also noticed in recent years that um, there is a lot more interest and activity around um, the potential for development. So we do see a lot more comments. We had our public workshop last week um, and then next week we have a workshop with the city council. Um, with the city council, we'll focus on the community benefits. With the public workshop, we broke into groups and um, just answered questions and took comments on, on um, aspects of the draft plan. So it's pretty exciting for us that we're at this stage. Um, we will continue the outreach right up until the, the plan adoption, which we're, we're looking at dates in, um, in March for the, plan, uh, for the various commissions that will uh, be um, providing a recommendation to the city council and then April for city council action. We have three other um, um, activities that one's already in progress and that's the central Arquez plan. I'll tell you a little bit more about each of these in the following slides. Uh, Perry Park is an amendment to an existing uh, specific plan. And then we have a couple of infill sites that we will not be starting on. The Perry Park and infill sites, we won't be starting on until the Moffat Park specific plan is completed. So next slide, I'll tell you about um, Central Arquez. Um, there is an existing specific plan um, that was adopted in 1999. Um, it was revolutionary. We, I think we allowed 70% floor area ratio. <laughs> Um, we, we later adopted the Moffat Park specific plan where we had um, uh, enabled some higher FARs. But for many years, Sunnyvale was um, um, capped at 35%. Um, so this is a, a comparison of the building size to the lot size. And that was very indicative of the kinds of businesses that located um, in, in Sunnyvale. But as the need for land for residential increased, also the desire for a different type of, of office building. So it was sort of mutually beneficial. Um, the Arquez specific plan is one of the few that has no residential. Um, business and, and industry need a place to operate and not to be concerned that they're too close to residential. Um, so this would be uh, expanded area, approximately 80 acres. Um, Applied Materials is the primary uh, property owner, and they are the ones that asked about um, uh, the, asked the council to initiate this change. Expected completion is in 2024, so we'll be busy with you. Um, that's okay, Sean. You can you can move ahead. Um, the Perry Park specific plan, uh, the council recently considered um, in November two two separate requests um, and. When the plan was adopted, the council had said, hey, we have a couple of sites that 
might be appropriate for housing. So we've rolled those all into a package. And as we look at new um, industrial um, office uses, we'll also look at um, the potential for adding housing in the uh, Perry Park area. Um, and that'll take a little bit longer. We anticipate early 2025 for completion. Um, two small infill sites, uh, one that was um, er earlier in 2022 is a, a site on uh, Wolf Road and the other site um, council recently um, uh, authorized is a, a site on uh, Knickerbocker um, next to where the Sunrise Assisted Living is. Um, the Wolf Road is already in process. We are studying um, a mix of, of uh, commercial and residential or commercial only, uh, excuse me, residential only on, on the on the site. Um, obviously, the council would always have the option to retain the commercial as it's currently planned. And then Knickerbocker, we would be looking at um, changing it to allow uh, residential. Um, I will now turn it over to, um, to Connie. <laughs> Thanks, Trudy. Um, um, I'm going to be telling you guys, providing an update on two study issues. The first one is our uh, service uh, workers retention ordinance. This was an ordinance that was um, suggested by council and ranked to help with uh, service employees that are contracted by some of our large tech companies as they transition from one vendor to the other and how we can um, ask those uh, businesses to retain those workers. Um, we have completed some initial analysis um, looking for what other cities have done um, similar ordinance um, and have found that there's not many cities um, nearby Santa Clara is the only city that has an ordinance specific for private industry. A lot of cities have these type of ordinances for their own organizations, public agencies, but in the private sector, um, Santa Clara nearby is the only one that we found. Um, we have done some preliminary outreach with uh, some chamber members as well as the Moffitt Park Business Group. And our, the initial feedback from that outreach and engagement that we found is that, um, you know, the question was, does the city really need an ordinance? Um, part of it is some of these large companies already have some of those clauses in their contracts that they must retain those employees for continuity, you know, experience and institutional knowledge. Um, so does the city really need to do it? Um, the way the ordinance was proposed is that it would impact businesses with 25 or more employees. Um, and that would impact a lot of our small businesses in Sunnyvale. And also, how would the ordinance address uh, workers that were hired for a specific job, such as a repair person to work on the AC unit um, of those buildings? And, and really, the, the big issue was enforcement. How would you enforce this uh, from the city's perspective? Uh, the Santa Clara ordinance um, and some other ordinance in the cities are primarily, um, they, they only have recourse is to go through civil court um, to sue them. So we are gathering all this information, and our goal is to bring this back to council for with a recommendation in spring of 2023. So stay tuned. Next slide. Um, the other study issue um, under economic development that we're working on is the permanent closure of Murphy Avenue. Um, we have completed our outreach and analysis um, on this study issue. Um, we found that there is strong community and business support for the closure. Um, staff, uh, has uh, found it a, a a manner in which to recommend and address the maintenance cost. Um, there's strong support from the Sunnyvale Downtown Association with the caveat that there is no additional um, 
you know, cost for the businesses to continue to use the street. Um, the one of the biggest issues that we found is, you know, how do we address the accessibility issues on the street to ensure that the street is accessible to all. Um, and like I said, we've completed the outreach in the study and this council item um, will come to you in two weeks on or less than two weeks on February 7th. That is it. Oh, Marlena, I'm sorry. No, thank you, Tony. Good morning, all. Thank you. I have two jam-packed with numbers slides for you today, but I always think about these in terms of uh, every number represents a job seeker, a career seeker who might have been laid off, and a business that we're trying to uh, serve with getting them their talent in, in real time. And then, of course, the numbers also will represent the great services that NOVA provides. Next slide, please. So... Perhaps surprisingly, given the last uh, three or four weeks, the unemployment rate still is hovering around 2.1%. I would expect when we get the end of January's numbers, that'll be tweaking a bit. Um, I wanted to bring you more than 333 businesses in our Nova region next year. And I'm happy to say that our small but mighty business services team just uh, doubled last week. We now have four business liaisons. We were for a significant amount of time during 21 and, and 22 had one and, and two business liaisons. Liaison. So these are the folks who connect with businesses, who perform what we call rapid response uh, activities when there is a layoff, and uh, we have a, a, a much bigger team now at NOVA, so I'm happy about that. The WARN notices, this is the state and federal law that says when a company is going to let go of individuals, uh, 75 or more, they need to notify the local elected officials, Mr. Mayor, for example, and the local workforce system, and within 24 hours, our rapid response team makes contact with that employer. Of course, we've been hearing a lot this month again about um, some tech layoffs and uh, that number I have for you today of 4,040, that was through calendar year December. Unfortunately, that number is now just one month later, 10,500 in the Nova region based uh, mostly on Google with 2503 and Meta with 2058. Next slide, please. And this gets into the great services, service delivery. We have had uh, an interesting pivot, as you know, at NOVA from um, fully in-person services back in the day to uh, fully remote during the, the height of the pandemic. And now we have hybrid services offered. So we're seeing walk-in traffic again, happily. And we're also able to give people everything they need via Zoom, believe it or not. So we are at about uh, 1,476 unique customers. And uh, total services provided, many, many customers get many services from us, be those workshops, one-on-one -on -one career advisor appointments, employer events, uh, connections, uh, networking events, et cetera. Uh, the career advising appointments have, have gone down this last year. And again, we're, we're looking at that. Is that because of perhaps a time lapse where we study how long a dislocated worker takes to be dislocated, perhaps go through their severance package, perhaps go through their grieving process, and that is real, and then come and find their way to NOVA. So we're, we're monitoring that very closely. How long does it take for an individual to find us? And we're doing a lot more marketing and outreach this year as well. I will stop there. Thank you. Okay, very good. Thank you, Marlena. So that wraps up the innovative uh, uh, and vibrant local economy. All very important items. There is not a council priority underneath that focus area. We move over to the third focus area, regional leader in environmental sustainability. 
You do have a council priority underneath that focus area, accelerating climate action. I'll turn it over to Ramana and then Chip. Ramana. Thank you very much, um, Sean. Good morning, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and members of the council. I'm Ramana Chinakotla. I'm the, I'm the Environmental Services Director. Sorry, Chip. Force of habit. <laughs> Um, today, um, some of the topics I'll be covering um, that will be advancing this focus area include um, the Climate Action Playbook, uh, stormwater management, water supply, recycling and zero waste, and um, the Clean Water Program, which I'll be turning over to Chip to, to cover. Um, next slide. So this is a busy graph, but it's some, some, um, a graph that um, some of you have seen before. Um, this actually shows the progress that we've made um, on reducing our community greenhouse gas emissions. Um, we always start with the 1990 levels, which is usually our baseline. Um, in 1990, our greenhouse gas footprint was about a million metric tons um, of equivalent carbon dioxide. Um, so as part of our climate action plan that we adopted in um, 2018, uh, we adopted a goal of reducing our carbon emissions by 56% by 2030 uh, and being carbon neutral, which is 80% in reductions by 2050. Um, I'm happy to say we're doing really, really well in reaching that goal. Uh, as of our 2020 um, greenhouse gas inventory, we are at around 44%, around um, pretty close to reaching our 2030 goal. Uh, a big portion of that reduction is obviously attributable to our, the pandemic impacts, which actually reduced our transportation emissions significantly. So we actually expect to see some increases when we do our next greenhouse gas inventory, which will be for 2021, and that'll be released in uh, spring of 2023. Um, one twist in this whole equation is um, the state has actually adopted a new state target of getting to an 85% reduction by 2045. So as we uh, work on our new game plan, we will be looking at how that impacts our climate action playbook and our climate action plan. Um, next slide. So in terms of um, getting to our goals, these are the six strategies that we've adopted in the playbook um, that will get, to get us moving in that direction. Um, promoting clean energy, decarbonizing buildings, decarbonizing transportation and sustainable land use. Um, those three are the ones that are going to have a significant effect quantitatively. Um, the ones at the bottom, managing resources sustainably and empowering your community, adapting to climate change are going to have a qualitative effect on how we address climate change. So these six strategies then lead us into kind of eight broad, what we call plays. Um, which have very measurable targets and goals and metrics to track how, how far we are going um, in, each, in each of these, uh, in advancing each of these strategies. And then the last piece of the puzzle is what we call our game plans. Um, we adopted a game plan in, in when we adopted our, our climate action uh, plan. And a game plan is basically a series of actions, specific actions or moves um, that advance these plays and strategies. Um, and we, we are basically working on our current game plan. Next slide, um, Sean. 
So um, this game plan has 46 specific actions or moves. Uh, we're making some really good progress on about 34 of those. Um, 17 of them are completed, another 17. Um, we are working on them and we're making substantial progress. A few of them have been delayed, uh, largely because of the pandemic. Some of the things like uh, transportation demand management, things like that, we've basically delayed because um, many of the employers were actually not having employees coming to work. Um, similarly, a few of them have been put on hold, uh, mainly because, again, one staff um, vacancies. Second, um, we have to interact with other agencies to work on that, um, on those moves. So some of those reasons, we've basically put those on hold. Uh, next slide. Um, some of the work we are doing um, this year, um, and we've worked on this last year, and we're going to continue to work on our electric vehicle infrastructure. Um, I'm happy to report that working with Public Works, um, we now uh, we will have about 12 DC fast charging ports at three locations: uh, one on Sunnyvale Avenue, off of Sunnyvale Avenue, one on Francis Street, uh, and one here at the community center. Um, thanks to PG&D, we only have one of them on. Um, the other two we hopefully have will have um, turned on this year. Uh, we are adding uh, 11 new ports as part of the Civic Center. Um, and then those will be public again. Overall, we have about 300 publicly accessible stations that are available in Sunnyvale. Um, and in terms of EV adoption, um, we have a really high adoption rate. This is actually more than what our goal was at this time. Uh, we have 6.8% of our residents currently own an electric vehicle. In terms of our fleet, we are making steady progress. We already have 11 electric vehicles in our fleet. And as the council knows, um, every time we bring a new vehicle for a replacement, we always look at, is there an EV alternative? Um, and that's something that uh, is now a standard policy. Um, we also have put in about 10 charging ports for our city fleet. Um, and that will definitely help us as we keep moving towards electrification of our city fleet. Uh, on the education and um, outreach side, our drive electric program has been a really big hit. Um, we have a couple of different ways we basically reach out to our residents. One is our um, ride and drive event, um, where we uh, partner with dealerships and bring electric vehicle models. Um, and people can come in and test drive them, uh, learn about them. And, um, and then we also have webinars. So in 22-23, we hope to do um, three webinars and two ride and drive events. And um, last year's program was very successful. We, have, we had at least 400 people who visited and took advantage of these drive, ride and drive events. Next slide. Um, on the building electrification front, um, you're very aware that our new city hall is going to be all electric and net zero energy. Um, the Lakewood Branch Library is also designed to be all electric. Um, on the reach code front, uh, we now have um, reach codes that we adopted in 2021. Um, and uh, CDD um, is reporting that we have about 90 buildings that are now basically part of this reach code, um, and they will be following this reach code. Um, CDD is also a community development department is also studying what we call reach course phase two, 
which deals with uh, electrification of our existing buildings. Some of the things, issues that um, we will be, or they will be looking at, or uh, how does it impact equity? Uh, what is the timeline for this to be done? Uh, some of the barriers and what approaches to take to make uh, existing building electrification possible. Um, solar permitting, there's a new law that allows uh, fast tracking of solar permitting and uh, our CDD, our community development department is actually working on an instant online permitting pro system. Uh, they also have an $80,000 grant to help them do that. And they hope to have that available to the public in September, 2023. Um, can you go back for a second? I just wanna to touch also on our support programs, which are induction cooktop programs, which we rent out. We are partnering with the library on that. Um, that's been very successful. And also with Silicon Valley Clean Energy on the future fit home program, which allows people to take advantage of incentives and technical assistance for their home electrification. Next slide. So um, lastly, on our game plan 2028, which is our next set of actions and moves um, that we are working on this and we are currently in phase two of this, where the technical analysis space is right now, uh, where we are just starting on that and we hope to bring um, this game plan to the city councils for their review um, later this year and also for adoption in next text early next year. Next slide. Um, on our new stormwater permit, this permit was adopted in 2024, um, sorry, 2022. And we have a number of um, different um, items that we need to work on to basically meet these permit regulations. Uh, we are also working on a funding evaluation study um, that looks at a dedicated stormwater fee that's property related. And we hope to work on that this year. Next slide. Some of the permit priorities are the biggest one is we are required to do about five acres of um, green stormwater infrastructure over the next five years. That is the permit term. Uh, stormwater treatment is also now required for much smaller projects. Um, so that, it, that is going to impact us and also our community development department. Uh, we are required to achieve 100% trash reduction by 2025. So that would mean we would have to install a lot more trash reduction devices. Um, we also have for the first time bacteria control programs that we need to implement um, to ensure that our creeks are bacteria free. So that's something they will be working on and a few other things um, that will add to our workload that we're gonna be working on. Uh, next slide. Uh, shoreline protection is something that we, can, we will continue to uh, spend time on. Um, there is a phase three feasibility study. Phase three refers to the section of the Sunnyvale shoreline and um, the shoreline protection basically addresses the impacts of uh, sea level rise. And it is a, a project to ultimately build levees to protect the Sunnyvale shoreline. Uh, phase one is addresses the San Jose shoreline. Phase two addresses Mountain View and Palo Alto. So we've been able to get um, a budget, uh, a grant, or uh, a budget actually awarded by um, the federal government uh, to the U.S. Corps of Engineers, which is the agency that will do this study. Um, Valley Water or Santa Clara Valley Water District 
is also kicking in another $1.5 million match. They are the local sponsor. So we will be working with both those agencies in advancing this study. Um, and our, obviously our final goal is to get this um, to construction and get the lay the groundwork for construction funding. Next slide. Um, reliable and sustainable water supply. Um, you probably saw all the rains over the last two months, but before that we were grappling with a very uh, severe drought. California now has moved from a severe drought to a moderate drought, but we're still not, not out of the uh, woods yet. So we continue to monitor that. Um, the city council adopted a 15% water use reduction goal last year. Um, we are doing really well achieving that goal so far. Um, one of the things that we will continue to keep working on is water conservation. We partnered with Valley Water um, very heavily and also SFPUC and BOSCA, uh, Bay Area Water Supply Conservation Agency on water conservation programs. Uh, another thing that we will be working on this year is to look at water budgeting and how that would pan out in terms of um, making sure our billing system is able to actually program that uh, if we ever get to a very severe drought and we need to do water budgeting. So that's something that we'll be working on this year. We will know uh, how our water supply outlook looks like for this year in April. And that's something we will share with the city council at the time. So far, the indications are looking very promising. Um, and it's very likely that um, we will have a very favorable water supply situation this year. Um, and of course, we'll also be working on recycled water expansion, which we'll be touching on this afternoon. Next slide. Um, just this graph actually shows how we're doing in terms of our water consumption. And the green bars um, are the ones for 2022. And so far, um, since July, we have been meeting our target of 15%, we're actually at 15.6%. Um, next slide. Uh, another big project we'll be working on this year is our smart station next gen project. So this is a project that replaces the aging equipment at the smart station and also improves the diversion. Um, we hope to increase the diversion by about 10%. So we will be working on some of the design and equipment portions this year with infrastructure coming in next year. Um, and we're also working on some potential new partnerships with other cities. Right now, Smart Station operates in a partnership with Sunnyvale and Mountain View. So we hope to get uh, Cupertino. We are pursuing Cupertino as a potential partner, and that's something that we'll work on this year. Next slide. Uh, another big piece of our solid waste area is uh, reducing the use of single-use plastics. So as part of that, phase two of our single-use plastics uh, initiative is looking at um, how we can reduce the disposable foodware that's used in restaurants. So we will be doing some pilots this year to um, look at reusables versus disposables that are compostable. Um, and then we'll also uh, follow that up with findings and recommendations and come back to both the Sustainability Commission and the City Council with some recommendations. Next slide. So lastly, uh, we are continuing to expand our organics collection program. Last year, we finished all multifamily um, apartments, which is almost close to 30,000 units. Um, 
and this year we will be focused on rolling out to some of our commercial customers we've already addressed the large commercial customers these will be the smaller ones um, and we hope to get about 5000 additional food scraps or 5000 tons of food scraps uh, from these commercial rollouts um, and that concludes my presentation so chief i'm going to turn it to you uh, for the clean water program side Thank you, Ramana. Um, Chip Taylor again, Public Works Director. Um, so, uh, Sunnyvale Clean Water Programs. This is one of our largest capital projects in the entire city, that in the history of the city, really. And it's one of those items that you don't really see, but it's incredibly important. And not only important from a regulatory standpoint, but just providing clean water back into the bay, back into the area that we bring it to. Um, so with that, we've been replacing uh, the treatment plant um, over time, uh, we've started with the primary system, which is actually the purple on the far right of the graph there. Um, and that's essentially where all the wastewater comes into. So that's the primary piece. Uh, some processes are done there to move it on to the secondary process. Kind of each process takes out certain elements from the wastewater uh, to make it cleaner as it exits the property. Um, and then we just bid out and we've just awarded the secondary treatment. So that's going to be the light orange uh, on the right side over there, kind of just above the purple. Um, and that'll be our next treatment component. Um, and we're also just about to award at your next council meeting, I believe, uh, the plant rehabilitation. And that's gonna be the pink on the far left side over there. And that's gonna be rehabilitating certain components. So not replacing them, uh, but rehabbing them to make them more usable and to fix certain components that are broken. So we essentially have to keep all of this running while we're doing all this work. So we're kind of fixing the airplane as we're flying. Next slide. So there's a picture of the uh, headworks and the primary treatment. It's almost completed. Um, most of the work above ground is all done. And so we're gonna start actually testing it and doing the commissioning here next month. Um, so that'll start very shortly. Uh, that'll occur over a few months. Um, and then uh, once we get completed with that, then it will actually get handed over to the environmental services department to run. Um, and that'll complete the construction of that phase. Next slide. And then we have the secondary treatment, uh, thickening and dewatering. That was the second piece that was recently awarded that we're starting. Um, and so that was the largest single project in Sunnyvale ever, uh, $278 million award. Um, it'll start right now, it's pretty much starting right now. And then it'll complete in 27. So that's kind of the next piece that we're replacing and we'll clean the water even further. Next slide. And then as I talked about, we have the existing uh, plant rehabilitation work. Um, and so that's just mostly aged infrastructure. A lot of it is uh, related to electrical components that are really old that just need to be replaced that we've been kind of sticking together over time. Um, again, we have to uh, have the uninterrupted treatment uh, and we have to have the compliance while the pond system is in operation. So that whole pond system will eventually go away as we do some of the secondary treatment, but we have to use those ponds for the time being. Um, and then um, one of our, we only received one bid for that particular project um, and it was uh, actually $24 million over. Um, so that's one thing that uh, finance has been working on modeling all the rates and looking at all the components to see if we can make that work. Um, so that'll be presented with the award. Uh, fortunately, I think we're gonna be in okay shape with that, but you'll see that a little bit later. Um, and then we're just evaluating uh, the bids to make sure everything else is correct, but I think we're in, in good shape to bring that to council uh, on the 7th, um, and then it would begin construction shortly after uh, that gets awarded, if it gets awarded by council. And like Connie said, we're done.
Oh, no. Okay, Sean, back to you. Very good. Thank you, Chip. Okay, so that takes us through the third focus area. We key up now for the uh, um, fourth focus area, safe, secure, healthy place for all. There's one council priority. Yes. Sean, I just wanted to make a, oh, a quick sorry. comment uh, since Chip glossed over it. Um, it was, I realized that. I didn't realize that. <laughs> it was on the slide, Chip. Um, it was, it was. On the primary treatment system, we do have a large construction claim. Uh, and so we've been working with the city attorney's office and, and public works. We've had some mediation sessions. Um, we are trying to settle that claim but if we're not able to settle, the city could be in litigation over costs for that project. And just to put it out there as a warning that we're dealing with that right now. Very good. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, chips okay. Okay, so we're moving forward now into the uh, next uh, area, focus area, safe, secure, secure, and healthy place for all. There is one council priority underneath this focus area, ability of infrastructure to support development, traffic, and active transportation. We'll hear from Chip and Trudy again, and our first time hearing from a public safety director and chief of Bonneau. So I think you're up first, Chip. Yeah, I am. So sorry you have to hear from me so much today. Um, uh, so the first one I'll talk about next slide here, we've got uh, the feasibility of establishing a cricket stadium at Baylands Park. Um, so this is one that was gonna be potentially a larger stadium um, and uh, cricket actually worked with the fairgrounds over at Santa Clara and they've uh, looking at doing that for more of a stadium. So this is gonna be a potentially a smaller, a smaller facility that we would look at here. And this would be just looking at the feasibility of that. We're actually waiting for cricket to decide if they want to actually spend the funding to actually work on that. Um, so that's something that's kind of on hold until we hear back from the cricket folks related to that item. Next topic. We've got uh, improved bicycle and pedestrian safety at Sunnyvale Caltrain Station. So this was a study issue and it was kind of put on the, uh, on the side as far as looking for a grant in order to do this. Uh, fortunately, we were able to secure a grant pretty quickly to be able to do this study issue. Uh, it's about almost $400,000 from Caltrans Sustainable Communities Grant. Um, and uh, we actually have the scope of work and the request for proposals are underway. And then we'll, the study will actually take until 25 to be completed, but we'll likely get started later this year. Next slide. Pedestrian and bicycle facility installation on Tasman. So as you know, we have the temporary facility on Tasman right now uh, to remove one travel lane and allow bicycles and pedestrians to use that travel lane. Um, so this particular study issue would actually look at evaluating the removal of a travel lane in both directions uh, to see whether that's feasible to provide uh, pedestrian and bicycle facilities. This is an area that was narrowed when light rail came in and there's just a tight corridor there to make anything work outside of the roadway. So that's why we're looking at that particular uh, option to uh, allow for bike and pedestrian facilities. Uh, the scope of work and the request proposal is underway. Uh, we hope to select the consultant in March of this year, and then we would complete the study next year. Uh, the council will actually be considering potentially expanding or extending uh, the timeline for the temporary closure and upcoming council meeting, I believe, on February 7th. Next slide. Uh, Poplar Avenue sidewalk study. So this is a, a stretch of Poplar that goes into the middle school. Um, and it's got some missing sidewalks there, uh, as well as curb ramps. And so we'll be looking at ways to uh, incorporate a sidewalk or a pedestrian facility along that stretch. Um, and we'll be doing the public outreach. We've completed actually most of the public outreach in the technical memo. So we'll have that completed, we hope, like this month or next month. Um, and uh, then we'll present that to council after that. Next slide. 
This one is reevaluating our traffic calming program and the policy, including the thresholds that we have. So we have a, a traffic calming program that's been in place for a number of years with certain thresholds for traffic uh, in order to incorporate any new uh, uh, traffic calming features on a particular roadway. We'll be reevaluating that whole program to see if there's things that need to change, uh, things that we need to add to there. Uh, we'll look at all the thresholds and all the criteria to see if those need to be changed and updated and what that might mean if they are changed and updated. Um, we'll consider any of the new uh, innovative traffic calming techniques or tools that we might be able to use. Um, this will have an extensive public outreach process. There's usually a lot of comments uh, related to this, a lot of ideas that come out of that. So we'll be working through those um, and starting, um, you know, sometime later this year, we'll do the request proposal. This, this, we're actually starting the request right now. So it's pretty close to going out and then we'll complete it next year around fall of 24. Next slide. So here I'll, I'll go into a lot of our active transportation plan. I know that there's a lot of interest in the active transportation plan and kind of trying to move it forward. And I'll give uh, some summaries of some of the items that we're actually working uh, toward or have been working toward. We've got a lot of items that have already been completed um, and we're working on a list of that to kind of put on the website or provide the council so they can see those things. And then here's a lot of the items that we're actually working toward right now. So the first item I'll talk about is the uh, bicycle pedestrian safe route school improvements. So in this one, we've got, um, these are bike lanes, they were class one, class two, class two buffered, class three and class three buffer facilities. So we have all sorts throughout the city. Uh, we're actually looking at doing uh, accessible uh, pedestrian buttons. Uh, so during the pandemic, we learned that a lot of people like to be able to not touch something. So they actually developed some uh, wave systems. You can actually wave at the signal uh, close by and it will actually activate it, uh, which makes it a little bit more useful for everyone. Um, we have uh, new sidewalk and streetlights in Perry Park. So as part of that specific plan, we're building out a lot more uh, pedestrian infrastructure, especially in areas where we didn't have that before. A lot of these areas were industrial type areas, didn't have sidewalks, and so now they will have sidewalks. Uh, we have our safe routes to school improvements uh, on Sunnyvale Avenue and at Maud and in the Snail neighborhood. So we've got multiple projects that we're looking throughout that entire area. A lot of grant funded, some were federal earmarks that we received. Um, so we've got a lot of opportunities there and a lot of projects coming up. And then we have our quick build safety improvements. So that was another federal grant that came down through our Metro Metropolitan Transportation Commission. Um, and that'll be all throughout the city. A lot of little, little small type projects that provide great benefit to pedestrians and bicyclists. Next slide. Then we have two sections of the Stevens Creek Trail that we're looking uh, to extend. Uh, the first one is from Dale Heatherstone to West Remington and eventually to go over to Mountain View High School over Highway uh, 85 there. And so that one is actually being managed by Mountain View. It's mostly in Mountain View property, even though it's right at the edge of Sunnyvale there. We're involved with it. We've been a co-sponsor with it. They've received some Measure B funding. Um, and so they were received about $4.8 million from Measure B. It was a competitive grant. So having both agencies work together was uh, a great benefit. It'll get the environmental and the design phases um, uh, completed. Um, they've completed actually, or the completion of the environmental design will be in 24. And then completion of the actual full design will be in 25. And then they'll be looking for some construction money after that to be able to construct that piece. And I'm not sure if it'll be constructed where they'll just do the trail or they'll try to actually build the uh, overpass at the same time. So we'll see how that goes as we learn more about the design. Next phase. 
Then we have our, our section of uh, Sunnyvale, or of uh, Stevens Creek Trail, which will be from West Remington to Fremont. Uh, that'll be managed by us. Um, and it, we actually got awarded $3.5 million from Measure B. Uh, again, that was a competitive grant. Um, and so we were very beneficial in being able to get that. The consultant award was uh, June of 22. Um, so we're actually already started the outreach process um, and we're working toward that. We'll complete the environmental phase in 24. As you can imagine, working by the creek, there's a lot of environmental process that you have to go through to make sure that that's done correctly. We'll complete the design in 25. And we think we have most of the construction money already in place. So as depending on how everything works with the other segment, uh, we'll figure out when to construct that piece of it as well. Next slide. East Channel Trail Master Plan. So the East Channel, it kind of runs through the whole city. Um, that's one where we don't have a full plan for how we would build out uh, trails on there, use maintenance roads, that sort of thing. Um, so it would um, actually study the alignment and the crossings and connections. So a lot of the pieces of this are gonna be, how do you cross roadways? Do you go under, do you go over, do you go at grade? That sort of thing. So those are gonna be big components. We'll have to work with Valley Water, of course, we'll work with Santa Clara, that'll be part of it. Uh, we've got $1 million from the city, uh, $1 million from Google, and $830,000 from BTA Measure B by Comped Grant. And so we'll release the request for proposal this spring, and then that'll get started. And that'll give us at least a master plan, and then we can start to build from there. Next slide. Homestead Road, safe routes to school improvements. Um, so this is kind of separate from the work that's already been done out there uh, related to the crosswalk, the pet scramble, that sort of thing that you may have already heard of. Uh, so this is more of a county project initially that is leading into kind of cities constructing some things. Um, it would be from uh, Foothill Expressway to Hollenbeck. Uh, it'll be led by BTA. Um, we have several partners that you can see there with the county, Los uh, Altos, uh, Cupertino, and Caltrans. Um, advertising uh, for the RFP was actually in August of 22. The consultant selection is underway. And then they'll get into the design phase, which um, we hope will not take too long, um, but it will take some time to complete all that work and create that connection between the areas there. Next slide. Bernardo Avenue undercrossing at Central <coughs> Expressway and the Caltrain Railroad tracks. Um, so we're currently looking at design alternatives. Uh, this is shared with Mountain View, as uh, Mountain View is on the other side. So we've been working with them to create this. It's a brand new underpass that doesn't exist today, brand new connection for bikes and peds in the area there. Um, we'll be bringing this to the council uh, sometime this spring to select uh, an alternative for which we wanna go forward with. Uh, we'll need both councils to essentially act on that alternative. So we'll try to work through that process as we get closer. Um, and then once we get the alternative um, selected, then we would move into design um, and uh, construction after that. Uh, design phase, we're, you know, we're gonna be looking for money. We do have some funding for that. Construction is gonna be a little bit more challenging. We do have some funding, but it's gonna take a little bit more to be able to get it constructed likely, just based on what we're hearing from Caltrain related to their costs and the cost to construct these. We have a VTA Measure B grant, $3 million for the design, and then $15 million for construction. And as you can see, there's some gap there. So we'll see as we get more detailed in design what that's really gonna cost. Next slide. Um, Sunnyvale East and West Channel Protection Project. Um, and so 
This particular one we've got, uh, it's a hundred year protection by uh, Valley Water um, and they've had the design complete and they're working through some agreements with Google and some other of the campuses that are out there because initially it was going to be kind of a straight channel there. Google has looked at doing a little bit more natural design. So they're working through some of those and then they'll do a uh, construction duration of about two years once that's all completed, uh, hopefully in the next year or so. Um, and then we do have a joint use uh, cost share agreement with Valley Water to um, provide funding for paving the maintenance roads. So in some of these areas, we'll pave the maintenance roads, we'll be able to use them for bikes and peds. Um, and uh, especially in the Google area that they've already constructed, we're actually having Google build it a little bit differently. They wanted to, it's a little bit more enhanced and so they'll do some of the maintenance of it. So we get some benefit there as well. Um, and then the West Channel improvements will be from Caribbean to Matilda, and the East Channel will be Caribbean to the Christian, uh, John Christian and Greenbelt. So kind of those stretches are what we're looking at there. Next slide. Caltrain grade separations. Um, so this is one that uh, I'm sure you probably followed, and we recently made some decisions on this. Uh, it took a lot of outreach, a lot of effort to get to the final decision on what grade separations we're going to look at. So this would be, um, we have a, a Measure B funding. So in the Measure B uh, itself, the legislation actually had $170 million that would go to Sunnyvale, or there was a larger dollar amount that we worked with some of the other agencies to commit $170 million to Sunnyvale. So we do have that funding for both of them. It's not enough funding for all of this, but it does give us a real big jump start. We completed that feasibility phase, um, as you know, and on Mary, uh, under the Caltrain railroad tracks, we've actually selected the um, jug handle underpass. So you can see that there where essentially uh, Mary would go under the tracks, under Evelyn, but you'd have this kind of roadway that would connect between Evelyn down to Mary. Um, and we're moving that project forward first. That's been the one that's been the most interest to kind of get it moving forward and get it jump started to get it completed. We're working with Caltrain um, on the environmental phase. We're trying to work out an agreement with them. We're still in that phase uh, and you may see something related to that in the near future to approve that. Currently the cost estimates that we're hearing back uh, that we've seen are about 280 to $320 million. Very expensive to do these, this work. You have to keep Caltrain in operation while you're doing the work. So it is incredibly challenging to do that. And then Sunnyvale Avenue would follow after that or be kind of in parallel in a way. It's not necessarily following, but just slightly after. Um, and it'd be bike and pet only. So it actually would close that crossing to vehicular traffic. It would be bike and pedestrian only with an underpass for the bikes uh, and the pedestrians. Um, and the construction for that, as you can imagine, is a little bit lower because uh, it's a smaller facility that would need to go under. And it's about 90 to $120 million. Next slide. I think I'll hand it over to Trip. Thank you. I, I'm got this one slide and then I'll give it back to you, Chip. Um, this is um, the air quality noise and environmental justice updates uh, to the general plan. Actually, um, we do have a, a noise element and, and an air quality element. Um, noise is one of the seven required elements that the state requires in the required general plan. Um, there, as I mentioned earlier, there's no specific time frame for updating that. Air quality is an optional element that Sunnyvale added in in the 1990s. Um, it made sense to update the two of them together, uh, particularly after some of the specific plans and the land use and transportation element were, were completed. Um, the state had uh, uh, passed a law that said once you update two of your elements, you need to um, include environmental justice policies. And um, 
Luckily for us, I think air quality and noise have a lot of environmental justice aspects to them. So we have uh, incorporated that and we've also identified uh, environmental justice policies to sort of hold on to, and then we'll distribute them throughout the, the general plan document once um, once other elements are updated. Um, we're, we're pretty far along. We have a draft update that staff has uh, reviewed. We're waiting for our consultants availability to complete the environmental review, the CEQA review for that. Um, and we'll then um, uh, be able to um, schedule the, the public hearings in late spring. Uh, I just wanted to mention that the, the same um, individual that worked on our land use and transportation element uh, general plan, CEQA, excuse me, yeah, the general plan and the CEQA documents, the EIR, um, is the same one that's working on the noise and air quality. So there's a lot of familiarity and it was designed to, to make this a little bit more cost efficient. And um, sorry, it's been delayed, but I'm happy it'll be coming to you this spring. Chip? Back to me again, okay. Um, so <laughs> fire station number two design. So as we did a fire station master plan recently to look at all of our fire stations and kind of determine um, how we want to either replace them or remodel them, uh, we determined five of them because one of them is a little bit newer. So we had uh, less need to do something there uh, to do some sort of work there. Uh, fire station number two was the uh, full kind of reconstruction essentially. Uh, the other ones will be remodels that will be plugged into the budget over time. Uh, this one was funded, uh, which is fortunate. Um, and so it was originally built in the 1960s. It is the training center that you see out there uh, with the tower. The tower won't be included in the full re uh, rebuild, but it will remain there as well. Um, it includes um, a self-contained breathing apparatus service. I'm sure the chief can talk a lot more about this. Uh, the building will do uh, some work on the training tower, but not replacing it completely. And then there's a paramedic trailer out there as well. So there's a lot of hodgepodge of things out there that have been built up over time because it wasn't fully designed to be exactly the way it is now. It works for the moment, but it definitely will work much better once it's fully constructed. Um, budget, we have $4 million for design, uh, $36 million for construction. Uh, the consultant selection is taking place uh, here shortly, uh, and then we'll complete the design uh, late 24, and then we'll start construction after that. So um, that's well into progress, and uh, it'll be exciting when that's done. And I'll hand it over to the chief at this point. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Fine Noah, Director of Public Safety. And um, I will cover the current staffing for sworn personnel and our recruiting efforts. Um, I just want to start off by saying that um, because my math skills are not as good as uh, Tim Kirby, that's why he's the finance director of the Chief of Public Safety. So I have to update some numbers that are on the uh, slides there. And so our actual staffing uh, right now is not at 188, it's actually at 186. Uh, and we are projecting that with uh, six recruits that will complete training by March, uh, the actual staffing will be increased to 192. Uh, and so with those numbers, we're anticipating by uh, the end of fiscal year 23-24, we would probably be looking at 198 actual uh, sworn officers in our department. And so currently we have 26 public safety officers in training. Uh, those are really, really excellent numbers. Um, um, our recruitment efforts have been outstanding. Uh, the last two uh, recruiting projects, we have filled all the uh, allocated positions, uh, which amounted to 41 positions. And this is outstanding in light of uh, the national challenges of law enforcement agencies and retention and recruitment. Next slide. 
I think in, in prior years, um, there was a request for a breakdown of the uh, separations in, in public safety. And uh, as you can see with uh, the breakdown here, where the positions were at with people who have resigned uh, and uh, retired from the department. And once again, I have to apologize, but math is not that good. I mean, the council member sitting next to me pointed that out to me. And, uh, <laughs> so instead of a uh, you know, total of nine for fiscal year 22-23, uh, I checked the numbers again, and it's actually at 12. So that concludes my presentation. <laughs> <laughs> council member, you were uh, called on to do all sorts of things. Yeah, you were right? so close. I mean, I <laughs> okay, that concludes that focus area. And so now we're on to the um, uh, fifth focus area, responsible and responsive government. You have one uh, council priority underneath this focus area, which is improved processes and services through the use of technology. So this will be the first opportunity to hear from Kathleen today. And in addition to Kathleen, we'll also hear from uh, Tim again and Chef. Kathleen, are you up first? Yes, I am. Okay. Good morning, council members and public. My name is Kathleen Boutet Foster. I'm the chief information officer here at the city. And before I jump into the presentation slides, I'll just do an update on the vacancy of fun fact for all of you. On January 10th, council might not have known, but you actually approved the last set of IT classifications that we've been working on that actually creates a more accessible and inclusive recruitment. We've been working for very many years to make sure that the bachelor's degree requirement is not the only way to qualify minimally here in, in Sunnyvale's IT department. And by doing that action, you made it accessible to a lot of people. So we do have six recruitments in the vacancy queue recruitment that are going through right now. And I'm very, very excited to know that with that change, we will definitely be able to recruit more people quickly. So just a quick follow up. Let's get into the technology updates. So the study issue that we have currently that we're working on is the Smart Cities Initiative Program. This came from council last time, and we have been working diligently to have a consultant walk through with every department all of the different things that we are doing currently that is smart. So I don't want people to think that the city hasn't been initiating smart initiatives or technologies. We have, but we want to showcase that. And then we also know we have things to improve on, ways that we can do even better. So we're showcasing that the improvements that we can do, but we will also be providing a prioritized list to council on here's what we can be doing in the future to be smarter. That will include things like infrastructure changes, new initiatives, new programs, as well as probably some shifts in the way we do things today. We hope to complete that report for you in May. As it relates to, next slide please, for the projects that we're working on that were part of council priority initiatives from before, the big one of course is our enterprise resource planning phase two, which is our HR portion of the project. And here we're hoping that by the end of the year, we will finally have a system that is going to be quite frankly, bleeding edge compared to our, all of the other cities that we've heard from so far. Many of them have gone live with the same system, but what we were finding out now is that they have continued to do a lot of manual processes. And that is not what we bought the system to do is create more manual processes. So again, my favorite council priority, improving processes through technology. And that is why it's taking us longer. Payroll in the public sector with CalPERS and all of our bargaining units is complicated work. So thank you for giving us the time to do the proper testing. Next slide. 
And I'm very excited, hot off the press, just yesterday, our city issued a purchase order for our contract to start the Public Safety Dispatch 911 computer-aided CAD program. And this will actually start in two phases. We were going to do this because we wanted to control costs and make sure that we manage expectations. The first project, phase one, this contract, is really to look at taking all of our requirements and implementing those in the system in a way that we can actually prove that, yes, this will work for us before we get into a deep technology implementation project. I am a big fan of fixed price projects and contracts that holds our vendors to costs. And so that's why we have split this up into two. So there is going to be a gap between around the October time and when we start the full implementation, hopefully we'll have that for council in January of next year, and then we'll get everything done. But we wanna control costs and make sure we do this right. Next slide. And that takes us over to Tim. All right, just cover, cover a couple quick slides here. Um, one of the things the finance department works on with other departments are uh, specific fee studies. We do them um, over a variety of different topic areas from utilities to um, uh, other business operations. So I'm just gonna cover a couple today. We're in the middle of a development enterprise fund fee study, which what that means is we're looking at all the development fees that the city charges, uh, building permits, fire permits, planning <laughs> fees, et cetera. Um, and we're updating the fee structure as part of that, um, changing it up. And uh, we're anticipating that the study results will be reflected in this upcoming uh, recommended um, fee schedule for the next fiscal year. Um, but we'll, you'll hear more about that prior to that because the changes are um, many and, and uh, will require some additional study or, or additional review. Next slide, please. And the other big uh, study we have going on is a nexus study for what's called a public facility impact fee. So this is a developer related fee that's collected. It's under the uh, Mitigation Fee Act. It's similar to park impact fees or housing impact fees, traffic impact fees. This one is focused around the impact of new development on city administrative uh, facilities, public safety facilities, and um, um, the library, library facilities, other community facilities. So this is a potential funding source that will help with replacing some of those, that gap or filling some of that gap that uh, Kent was referring to earlier on city administrative facilities. And again, we expect this to be um, coming forth with the 23-24 uh, recommended fees. And now I will hand it back over to Chip. And in the interest of time, I think you just saw a good presentation on this on Tuesday night related to the courtyard master plan. So uh, it was, uh, you know, essentially we didn't have any significant comments from council other than a lot of uh, things related to uh, the environment and trying to incorporate as much as we can related to our climate action plan. Uh, so we'll certainly work to incorporate those into the final document. We'll get that back to you and then we'll look to find the funding for the future phases uh, for that particular project. Next slide, I'll hand it over to Sean, who can then hand it back to me. Okay, very good. On that focus area, efficient, very, very efficient. So nicely done, <laughs> Kathleen, uh, 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 Chip. And now we're going to move forward here onto the sixth and final uh, focus area community with a distinctive identity. And of course, your priority underneath that focus area is downtown Sunnyvale. And to uh, we'll hear again from Chip and Trudy, and we get to hear from the first time from your uh, parks uh, library and parks recreation director, Michelle Pereira. 
Chip, are you starting us off? Yes, I am. So we can go to the next slide. Uh, next slide right after that. Okay. So first one is I'll talk about the Orchard Heritage Park and Heritage Park Museum long-term analysis. Uh, so we have a, a consultant that we've been working and tweaking a contract on that with COVID, it kind of slowed things down a little bit. So we're really close to actually releasing that. And then that'll get out to uh, actually looking at that long-term plan for what do we do with the orchard over time? And then also uh, the museum may want to expand at some point. And so will there be some opportunity areas for that to happen as well? Um, we have late 23 for completion of that. It may take a little bit longer just based on some of the delays. Next slide. Plasdell Soul. So this is kind of the second phase of Plasdell Soul. As you know, it's out there. It's a great space out there for the community. Um, and so we'll be adding some additional features to that. Uh, Council had already approved the concept uh, back in August of 2020. Uh, the design is underway, uh, detailed design. So that's already started. And then the construction we hope to start uh, mid of this year. Um, and it'll add several features kind of covering a portion of the garage entrance to add more lawn kind of lawn. I mean, it might be artificial turf areas uh, that'll be available uh, for the public as well. So making it more usable than it is even today, because when it was first constructed, there weren't a lot of residents downtown. Now we're getting a lot of people downtown. So it's getting really exciting. Next slide. Mary Avenue overcrossing. So this is um, actually going over 101 and 237 over from uh, Kind of Peary Park area over into the Moffat Park area, connecting that. Uh, we're uh, currently in the process of completing an environmental report related to that. Uh, the project that council actually determined would be quote, quote, the project for the EIR is actually two high occupancy lanes, so one in each direction. And then there would be protected bicycle facilities and sidewalks. And all the alternatives include bicycle facilities and sidewalks. It's more about if we have lanes in the middle for vehicular traffic, how are those lanes used in some way? The EIR also has four um, other alternatives that could be selected at the end of the day. So it doesn't preclude uh, the council from selecting those. And it would be four vehicular lanes. So two in each direction, uh, two vehicular lanes, one in each direction. Um, only bike pads, so just a bike ped overcrossing essentially, and then remove it from the general plan and don't even build it at all. Next slide. So EIR is underway. Um, we, we don't have any funding for actually constructing the overcrossing. So we wanted to get to this phase and then figure it out. Uh, Moffat Park, you know, doing its revamp over there may be a part of that. Um, and so uh, we'll be updating the cost estimates with the EIR. Um, and then, uh, like I said, there's funding still needed for the final design and construction. So we just have getting through the environmental phase to select an alternative. Um, the public comment period will be this summer for the draft itself. And then we'll finalize the draft in late 23. And then that'll be brought to council to select that alternative that then we would be able to look for design and construction funding. And then this is a slide I'd actually like to do because I like Atari, but I'll hand it over. <laughs> uh, thank you, Chip. Uh, this is a study issue that has been on our um, plate for since 2019. We did delay the start of this because we received grant funding that we could um, sort of reprioritize. Um, the grant funded projects really had to do with compliance with state mandates, so it, it wasn't um, I hope you won't think that it was frivolous of us to, to spend the, the money that way. Um, this is a, a, an item that was suggested by the um, Heritage Preservation Commission. And it's to look at the uh, first thing that we'll do is look at the results of a 1996 study. So in 1996, we looked at patents and um, business names and all, you know, all things technology. And it was, um, it was a huge list. And so 
getting some specialized consultant help to sort of focus that into different technology sectors, perhaps, and um, thinking about how to acknowledge and, and celebrate the um, the uh, technology and innovation aspects of Sunnyvale's history. So that will um, get started um, in more fully in the middle of this year, and it'll be about a year and a half. Next slide, please. Affordable housing. Uh, we do have um, three. Excuse me. We have four projects that um, are in the pipeline, and one of them is currently under construction. We call that Block 15 um, of the Downtown Specific Plan at the corner of Iowa uh, Charles Avenue, um, Charles Street, excuse me, and uh, Matilda Avenue. Um, that's making amazing progress. Uh, and then we have a renovation in addition of a project on. Um, uh, on Waddell, 125 units for Orchard Gardens. Um, Midpen um, is uh, the, uh, the third one that's on Sonora Court. And there's actually a second project that Midpen has on Sonora Court. Um, we're, not, we're not very far along on that one. They have not submitted their planning applications. Uh, those alone are about 580 units. Um, and there are many other inclusionary um, housing units uh, that are affordable in the city pipeline. Uh, next slide, please. Um, a lot of activity in the downtown. So this map shows you the boundaries of the downtown specific plan. And um, uh, I thought I was going to have to update this map for the, the M oval on the bottom um, that it was uh, approved or not approved, but um, we have to redo that one. So it's still pending. Uh, but this just gives you an idea of how the, there's a variety of different types of land use and um, phases of activity uh, associated with downtown activity and even included Plaza del Sol. So not, not just uh, private development projects. Uh, next slide, please. Um, council likes to get a good update of what's happening at City Line. Uh, these photos are dated. So the, um, the construction on block three south is now six levels above ground, um, as opposed to the four when I took this photo before Christmas. I was asking the developer if I, if I took the photo yesterday, if I would have seven floors, they weren't sure. So, but there might be, I didn't go out there. <laughs> um, then um, I think the council's familiar with some of, the, um, some of the artwork that's been installed as part of that project. And um, that just, just it, there's a lot of activity, a lot of concrete that has uh, moved into our downtown. Uh, next slide, please. Other development projects in the downtown include the 100 Altair. If you haven't been by that one, um, pretty much the skin on the exterior is done. They've, they've moved to doing the interior work. That one will have a connection with Plaza del Sol through the, the street paving that will bleed into the um, plaza and the plaza will bleed over to it. it um, it'll give an opportunity to sort of expand the, the plaza side um, when the streets can be closed. Um, we have the Carroll Street, oops, a couple more. Uh, Carroll Street townhomes uh, have commenced con construction. So that's a much more low density type development, more, more typical of what we saw in the, in the 90s and the, in the early 2000s. Dienza Bank is just a new exterior, but you can see that um, it, you know, they stripped quite a lot of the exterior on it to make the building more um, um, uh, attractive to, to their um, office tenants. And then the council approved the joinery project at Matilda and Olive. 
uh, now next slide. Um, a lot of new tenants have come into the downtown. If you haven't been there, um, I encourage you to go. Nature's Ice Cream, I tried that out the day that Connie mentioned that they had opened. Um, but you can see there are a variety of different kinds of restaurants and stores um, that, and they're not just in the city line area. They are also on historic Murphy Avenue in Washington um, and, um, and a little bit beyond in some cases. Next slide. Um, the council uh, approved the design concept for the, uh, the general downtown wayfinding and gateways for which there is a capital project, but it's a couple years out before the, the capital project will get going. But essentially it establishes a de design vocabulary and allows the city line developers to complete their required uh, gateways um, along Matilda Avenue. And next slide, please. Um, one of the one of the grant funded projects that I mentioned is to develop objective design criteria um, for our area plans, our citywide um, development, um, and then we merged in a study issue that was looking for objective. Well, to update the landscape standards, uh, planning commission frequently had um, thoughts on on. Uh, sizes of trees and species of trees, and we thought it would be better for the development community to, to have that information up front. So we are working on that. We do have that grant funding for it. Um, the public draft will be released fairly soon. Um, we, we do have an administrative draft that we're currently looking at, and we would bring it to for public hearing um, in the middle of 2023. Uh, next slide. Um, Village centers, master plans, um, we thought we were being very clever in 2017 when we adopted the land use and transportation element. And we identified a number of, of larger shopping centers as opportunities for mixed use development to introduce uh, more housing uh, throughout the community. It was about 900 um, housing units, um, but in small doses in um, seven general areas, but some of those uh, general areas might have two or four sites associated with them. Um, we um, expected that each village center would develop its own master plan and that would be paid for by the, the interested developer. Um, <coughs> changes in state law really kind of changed our thinking on how to approach that. So we did, uh, were successful at getting a LEAP grant and we pushed this forward so that we could get, <coughs> get ahead of the applications that we've seen where um, the developers kind of making up their own ideas of what they think is right. Not, not, not sure how, how successful we'll be with um, the future developers um, working with us and um, complying there. We you know, have some concerns about um, uh, some of the housing laws that um, have taken away some of the local control. Um, in, in some cases that might be good. In other cases, it, it'll be a, a more of a challenge for the, for the council and the community. Um, this, we do expect that to be complete by fall. We just had our first of two um, uh, community outreach. Uh, next week will be the, the second one. Uh, next slide. And now I will turn it over to Michelle. I'm interested to hear from you. Great, thanks Trudy. Um, good morning, everyone. Vice Mayor, uh, Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of City Council, Michelle Pereira, Director of Library and Recreation Services. I'm here to talk to you about our robust public art program and a few things that are coming up. Um, one of them is our Sunnyvale Icon Project, Sculpture Project. This is really going to be a fun one that I think everyone's going to love. It will be one shape that will be selected by the Arts Commission and the City Council and then fabricated most likely in fiberglass to be then painted and placed around the city. We're looking at about 20 of these sculptures 
And I can tell you the top five vote getters from the outreach efforts were cherries or apricots, um, sun, parrots, fruit boxes, or a water tower. So those were the ones, one of those will be selected uh, to be uh, fabricated, painted, and then placed around the city. And we will be looking at locations and making a recommendation to the Art Commission and the City Council on where those will be located. Could you give us those five again? Please? Absolutely. Cherries or apricots, a sun, parrots, fruit boxes, or water tap. Thank you. And we will expect installation of those towards fall of 2023. So keep an eye out for that. And then the other one you're already familiar with is the utility box art project that has been um, phase one has been completed in the downtown area. And now we're moving on to phase two. I will be doing another 16 boxes in this phase two project. And we've already received uh, a lot of submissions for artwork and a jury has um, scored those and we have a short list now of who will be doing the artwork on the next boxes. Um, and so you can look for those to start installation towards the end of spring. And after this, um, I will mention there will be another round of utility box artwork, which will be um, in partnership with the school district and the teachers to try and get some of the students involved. So that should be really exciting. Um, lots of great things coming up. Uh, if you take a look through the master plan and the um, outreach efforts we've had, you'll also start to see in uh, subsequent years, artwork for benches around the city, which I think should be, you know, a really another great one, and also a mural project. So lots of great things coming up. Back to you, Sean. Okay, that takes us through the uh, six focus areas and the council priorities. This was information for council. I do want to remind you, as I was calling out the council priorities, we will return to those later on this afternoon. That's a, a fairly large segment of the session today for councils to talk about those six priorities and, uh, and at ultimately have a formal approval on that. Right now, we're asking, open, opening the floor for council questions, comments to the uh, focus areas that you just heard. And we would like, we're going to run right up a little bit over lunch here at, at noon. And so if you could keep this to no more than five minutes each, that would be great. Uh, council members uh, uh, be as concise as possible. Sean, okay, can yeah. I, can I jump yeah, in please. one second? Yes, Vice Mayor. Uh, sorry, just building off of that, because uh, to help my council colleagues, I think one thing I'll do is, uh, I we won't cut anyone off when you're asking questions, but I might put a five minute timer on my phone. So if you hear it go off, you don't have to stop mid statement, but uh, take it as a nudge to just, significantly truncate whatever you have left as well so very good uh, and also everyone's more than welcome to continue the conversation during lunch during the break so you'll still be able to keep asking very good thank you for that vice mayor okay who would like to get started okay council member Mellinger. all right so i have a number of uh, questions here and uh, i will endeavor to be brief um, i'm going to start with trudy i'm just going to go through my notes here um slide on promoting adus do we have any efforts underway or under consideration to promote duo units as well they're wrapped into the same effort yes okay excellent um so next up uh, the housing element. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the consequences of this state deadline, you know, things like the builder's remedy, uh, that sort of thing? 
the, the consequences of not having your element certified and adopted by January 31st um, means that you're now uh, required to implement your rezoning within one year of that date. So by January 31st, 2024. Um, however, with the Moffat Park specific plan um, coming to the council in the spring, we'll meet that, we'll meet that deadline. All right, and does this subject us to the builder's remedy? Um, it, it always depends, right? Yeah. All right. Um, so one of the things I've heard quite a bit about, and I saw that we had uh, seven vacancies in community development is staff capacity for planning. You know, there's a lot of development efforts underway. And, you know, obviously with the Moffat Park specific plan, that's been a huge lift. We've had a number of major specific plans that have wrapped up in the past few years. Um, can you talk about where we're at with planning capacity? Uh, what is the impact of those seven vacancies? You know, how are we doing with, you know, getting things through? Um, yeah, I will. And, but first I'll say, yes, it does subject us to the builder's remedy. So I just heard from Jenny Carloni who clarified that it does subject us to that. Okay, so. But a developer has to want to do it and meet all of the provisions of that builder's remedy. Okay, and so could you talk, I'm gonna say, could you talk very quickly about what the builder's remedy is and then we'll get into the capacity. Um, well, let me talk about the vacancies and then I'll ask David if he could tee up um, Jenny to, to respond to that question. Perfect. Um, the, um, so there are vacancies are in our building and planning divisions. Um, mm -hmm. In the building division, we have, um, we just recently hired two uh, permit clerks. Um, we are um, looking for building inspectors and plan checkers. We have been using some consulting um, um, services that keeps us kind of mobile, if you will. Um, and then we do have a vacancy in planning um, we recently promoted someone which created a vacancy. Um, we did the sort of, we're on the second promotion <laughs> that we have to create the, um, uh, hire the position for. And I, this one is also a closed promotional. So it's gonna be a while before we can completely um, uh, finish that. We do have um, a consulting staff that works with us, but we also have someone out on family leave. So that kind of net, net zero, net negative. All right. Uh, and then uh, Jenny. Sure. Good Good morning, everyone. Um, Councilmember Mellinger, I just have a very brief comment on the builder's remedy. I don't know the full extent, but one of the key components is that um, a developer would have to provide 20% affordable housing to meet the requirements of builder's remedy. And that's one of the main reasons city staff found builder's remedy to be a fairly low risk to the city. Um, asking a developer to provide 15 has already been a bit challenging. So them volunteering 20 is pretty minimal. All right, thank you. Um, one last thing. Uh, I know we've got this issue on, we're calling it permanently closing Murphy Avenue. I would like to not use the word close in association with that. Um, I see this as opening Murphy Avenue and, you know, I certainly don't want to risk people getting the idea that Murphy Avenue is being shut down or something. Um, okay, real, uh, moving on uh, for Ramana. Um, so we have a lot of programs dedicated to advocating, uh, evangelizing electric vehicles for our residents. Um, are we doing anything around evangelizing like electric bicycles? Because there's really been a revolution in electric bicycles over the past five years or so. Uh, I don't think we have a specific program to advocate for EV bikes, but um, electric, electric bikes, but I know 
um, Public Works has just um, signed an agreement with with a vendor to provide EV scooters. Yeah, so we have a, a, a an agreement with uh, Bird uh, to actually provide scooters throughout the city that are electric, but it's not for the residents to own. It's just to be in the yeah. city for people to use to be able to have that alternative mode. So at least that is in place right now as a pilot. And then once the pilot gets done, we'll evaluate it and potentially expand that to more opportunities, more uh, companies maybe to come in related to that. Uh, but, but it is a good idea and that's something that we will consider. Excellent, thank you very much. And I'm gonna have just one more question for Chip. Um, and this is about the active transportation plan. It calls out, you know, we've got cl uh, class one through three B facilities. I do recall there being class four facilities called out in the active transportation plan. And I understand that there have been some historical blockers on that involving street sweeping and other things. Can you talk about, you know, what those blockers are and what the city is doing to resolve them? Yeah, so some of the class four facilities actually kind of a buffer with an actual like barrier in between essentially. So it kind of separates the bicycles from the traffic there. We have a lot that are buffered with uh, paint and striping. Uh, we do have a stretch on Mary that has a little bit of a buffer with some kind of uh, the small dots are in, that are in the roadway that kind of separate the vehicles to some degree. Um, but one of the challenges that we have is related to sweeping that area. Uh, right now we use a street sweeper for the roadway itself that fits in there and it's a, it's a larger uh, piece that fits within a lane. So as you remove that ability for that street sweeper to go in there, you have to find something that's smaller. The challenge is there's not a lot of great things on the market right now. Most of them were really designed more for like shopping centers, more internal type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a few cities that are starting to use some of these um, and we're gonna be meeting with uh, Fremont and uh, this probably in the next month or so to actually go over how they're using their uh, facility or their sweeper to actually uh, do those lanes. Um, and then we'll report back to council on what we think it may take to actually um, uh, purchase something and to be able to maintain those areas would be uh, free of, of debris and whatnot. The challenge is the sweeper itself is as much as a quarter million dollars and then you have to use it and it's a challenge to get back and forth with a street sweeper we can actually drive it from the courtyard out there and then drive it back with these sweepers are small and they get filled up quickly so it's trying to go through that process as well all right thank you and one last comment on the fire station number two redesign i hope that we've got um that we're surveying the dps officers as we're doing that redesign and i will stop there Council member Cisneros and you're um, loading up your phone, right? Vice Mayor, <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> I had a lot of questions and I've narrowed it down a couple times now. So hopefully we'll <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'll email all of this. <laughs> all right. Uh, so first, um, this is on the equity access and inclusion. Um, so council, uh, as well as staff participated in the seed collaborative uh, organizational uh, assessment. Are we considering a, a training for a council or some kind of intervention to uh, since we were part of the study? Yes, actually, in the last um, ask to increase uh, EEI funding that you did, I believe in December, we did incorporate some funding for a council training. What we're thinking about now is um, since we are doing that training, if we should incorporate commissioners in that training as well, but that yeah, will be planned. Absolutely. And, and that it goes so well into the Human Relations Commission that we're doing. Um, maybe they could play a part in that as well. Uh, that would be great. Um, and then still on equity access and inclusion, um, is the C Collaborative team going to present their findings and recommendations to council 
or can that information be shared with counsel in some manner? It can be shared with counsel um, because the work right now is focused internally, organizationally, they will be presented to Kent because Kent um, as our, our leader will be um, deciding if those uh, internal recommendations are to be implemented, but we can, um, once Kent makes that decision on what we're actually gonna take action on, I'm sure we can find a way to inform council. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I, I'd love to show the community what we're doing to further that goal. I think that would be important to our, um, our residents to understand uh, how we're gonna support that, especially because it is a council priority. Um, Next one, are we responsible for the ADA compliance of signal retiming and pedestrian access on Caltrain roadways or Caltrans roadways? And I can answer that. Yeah. So um, basically it depends on the traffic signal itself, right? Mm -hmm. So some of them are actually within the city and that we, Caltrans may uh, manage them, but the ramps themselves may be ours, like the corner ramps and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and then uh, others would be fully Caltrans responsibility. Uh, the signal timing itself, as far as the amount of time it takes to cross the roadway mm -hmm. that has to meet certain parameters, those are usually all set by uh, by requirements and Caltrans tends to meet those, uh, but they would be required to meet whatever was required in the ADA codes and whatnot. Okay, great. Um, and as we discuss those ADA upgrades uh, going forward, I'd love to see the breakdown of kind of what we're responsible for and what Caltrans is responsible for and what the timing on those improvements would be side by side. Um, that would just be something I'd like to see and look for. Um, then um, going to the residential develop or the residential development uh, bar or the, the graph that we had there on what we have both pipeline and anticipated. I would love to see that graph uh, disaggregated by North and South Sunnydale. And that's been a really important part of our housing element. I was wondering if it would be possible to see what develop, what do we expect, uh, how much development for residential do we expect in North versus South Sunnydale? And to me, that would be a really good way to track, like, are we affirmatively furthering fair housing. Well, the, the, just to be clear, what you saw was actual. So yeah. there's no projection that in, in any of the tables of where it'll be coming from. Um, we, we can certainly prepare a map that shows where future housing is likely to be located. Um, that, that's, I think, um, already incorporated into the draft housing element. Yeah, uh, and, and that's perfect. And so that then maybe next year when we see the bar graph with the actuals, having that, like we're seeing, this is the, the total, this is in North Sunnyvale, this is in South Sunnyvale. This is what we've seen over time to see if we're uh, meeting a balance there. So I'm not gonna promise you yes at this meeting. I'll promise you that that's I'll fair. look into it. <laughs> that's, that's totally fair. That's just a suggestion of something I'd like to see in, in that particular piece of data. Um, and then this is a public safety question. Uh, there's been, you, you know, you just hear a lot from the community about concerns with, you know, do we have adequate public safety staff? Um, is that impacting crime rates? And wanting to make sure that we're not putting too much burden on existing officers in the overtime. And what I saw was really, seemed to be really good news uh, on staffing that we were going to meet, uh, that we're going to fill the gap and then maybe even exceed a little bit. Is that right? Like, what can we say to the community about where our public safety staffing levels are? Well, it's a lot that we can say. I, I think we can start out by saying staffing. I think staffing, we always want to be at the 201 authorized uh, level, but I think where we're at, we're positioned to, to reach that goal uh, probably within the next uh, fiscal year, uh, hopefully. Uh, in terms of uh, safety, um, it's a perception issue, but I would urge uh, our residents to look at our website with a new crime reporting system, which is NIBARS. Uh, 
very different from the uh, previous uh, system where they ca they counted crime stats. And so it's not really good to compare how we uh, provided stats in years past uh, to currently. Um, and I, I, I would urge our residents to go to our city website, you know, to look at the crime stats to educate themselves. Uh, we pride ourselves on being one of the safest cities uh, in the country consistently. Uh, we're ranked as a very safe city uh, at a national level, state level, and at the county level. Uh, but I understand the fact that if you're a crime victim, uh, that uh, regardless of the stats, you're going to feel unsafe. And so I would encourage our residents to continue to engage with public safety. Uh, I think we do a very good job of engaging with the public, answering questions, being as candid and as transparent as we can. Uh, and our job is to respond to uh, the concerns of our residents, uh, no matter what the stats are. Um, I continue to look at the performance measures in terms of response times uh, and calls to service, both in the fire and the police services. And I, I would say consistently, uh, the, the stats remain sort of like uh, consistent. Uh, I have not seen anything that would cause me to be significantly concerned uh, with uh, our response times and uh, both the fire and the police signs. Um, and so that is where we're at. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a complex picture when you ask that question. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad and I'm happy to hear that we're looking at staffing, uh, we're filling that gap, and we have all those wonderful tools for our residents to use. It. I'll make sure to um, get that information out to people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. Council Member Sell. Uh, I just have a quick question. Um, so for the um, City Hall, it's uh, the new City Hall has been a great feat. It's won awards that'll bring a lot of departments together. So it's um, currently a priority for the council. Um, has How has being a priority for the council helped the city hall? And is there a lot more to develop with the city hall modernization with the um, civic center? I'll, I'll wait into that one. Um, being a council priority certainly helped. You know, one of the things we, um, we pay attention to and uh, one of the challenges we face every day is the length of time it takes to procure different consultants and award contracts and when you have something like the civic center that's a council priority it everybody knows it and, and we do try to emphasize and move those through as quickly as possible so that's one of the advantages as far as continuing as a priority the, it's it really would then focus on civic center phase two, which is a consideration for uh, major renovation and expansion or replacement of the main library. And so we're just getting started on that. We have a $1 million budget to do conceptual design studies and cost estimates this year. And so there is a lot of work that's continuing on the civic center modernization program overall. Okay. And then my second question, I don't know, it's just from Mona or you, that um, the climate is one of the priorities. And then on the other respect, I hear that the climate action plan up to uh, 2028 is not funded. So how does that equate to be a council priority when um, it doesn't appear to be funded to the plan? Did I get that correct? to 2028 yeah i'll, I'll uh 
try and answer that. Um, uh, in our budgeting process, I mean, one of our biggest challenges and, and uh, uh, practice, I think, in Sunnyvale for a long time is um, we don't guess about future costs. We don't just guess and throw a bunch of money at something and say, we're not, we know we're going to be working on climate, so let's just put a bunch of money in the budget. We don't really know what it's for, but we're going to put a bunch in there. We don't do that. Um, we try to be very uh, specific about what type of programs and projects we could deliver, how much that's going to cost. And so we have specific proposals. Um, and so consistent with that, that uh, process, the, the future phases of climate action, we don't have the specific programs defined. I will say we put permanent staffing in place. That will continue. That is already in the budget. So we have some staff capacity to continue programs and projects. It's the funding that might be an incentive or we might need outside consultant support that's not there yet. And so there is some funding in future budget years, but we haven't fully defined it. Okay. And so when the climate, last question, when the climate action plan is completed and there's um, moves and actions, it, does that define like a budget or does that not yet? It does. it does. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I was just going to add the reason why you don't have funding for it is because we have actually not created the game plan. So as part of the creation of the game plan, we will also identify how much funding we will need for each one of those actions, and that will come to the city council for approval. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the departments. Great work, and I don't have questions because you provide so many great answers and summaries. Thank you so much. Very good. Next, yeah. Council Member Shalini. Yeah, thank you very much. Great presentation. Thanks, everybody. I'll make it really, really quick. Ask simple questions and then uh, send the uh, tough questions offline. Uh, first question. <laughs> <laughs> Staff appreciates that. <laughs> so, first, Trudy, yours is very, very simple question. You mentioned about uh, PL, the PLHA uh, regarding senior rent assistance and uh, on the next slide or two slides afterwards, age-friendly uh, initiative. How are they connected? The one is a rent program providing money for, for um, being able to be someplace, whereas the age-friendly is more the, the the, the physical environment. So grants for people to modify their existing residence or um, designing things that way from the beginning. Um, there's, there's also a program in, in um, library and, and recreation services that um, deals with age friendly as well. So some partnering um, with those two programs. Okay, I see. Yeah, I used to volunteer for uh, organization which used to build ramps and then bars and oh, yeah. other things. Right. So the next one is for Jackie. <laughs> Jackie, you mentioned uh, uh, organization equity. Uh, you look at recruitment from equity lands. How does that match with the decrease in the application we are getting? Well, we don't know yet because okay. this is an area of focus that we're going to have and internally what we're going to do is um, we're going to have some seed team members along with invite other uh, staff employees to really help us look at the issue through an equity lens and come up with recommendations for the city manager. 
So um, it's certainly, as we're thinking about retention issues, um, I, we're really curious about ideas from our own staff um, about what would help them have better professional development, promotional opportunities, or um, ideas around um, hiring and retention. Thank you. This one is for Ramna. <laughs> Only one question. Uh, you mentioned a nice, you showed a nice graph about water utilization per year, per month. Yes. I would like to see per year the decrease. It's a the consolidated one. That way we can track year by year instead of month by month. Uh, we'll be able to provide that to you. Okay. That's about it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Okay. So uh, the request uh, from the mayor is we'll um, break for lunch now. We'll come back. I know Councilmember Melton, Vice Mayor Dean, and the mayor will have questions and comments. We'll pick those up after lunch and then segue into this three strategic topics after lunch. So um, uh, we let's do let's do uh, thirty minutes. Does that work for folks? If we break now, we can reconvene at twelve thirty. Works for folks. Excellent. Um, and Michelle, the uh, process for lunch here. We're walking across the courtyard. Is that correct? Very good. So we are on lunch break now. We will reconvene at twelve thirty across the courtyard into the into the uh, community room for lunch.
the other hand. At least keep them on. <laughs> I think our projector needs to move. Sorry, the camera changed. Jackie and Marlene are not on Okay, we're ready. So we are now wrapping up the focus area uh, segment that we concluded before lunch and we'll hear from uh, three council members uh, to wrap up this segment. Uh, the vice, vice mayor then, uh, council member Melton and Mayor Klein. Uh, preference, who wants to go first? Oh, I'll go first, Sean. Okay, go ahead. Omar, is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. I right a more annoying ringtone for the timer this time. So, <laughs> we'll go so thank you for the opportunity to speak. I was just taking some notes during all of the excellent presentations. Um, so I'm looking ahead to what's going to be on the ballot in November 2024. If I had to guess, Sunnyvale is going to place a library bond on the ballot. That's just my guess. If I had to guess, we're going to place an ATE bond on the ballot. And also the State Chamber of Commerce is probably going to put an initiative on the 2024 ballot called the Taxpayer Protection Act, which will strip the ability of local governments to change um, fees and taxes that we can charge to residents. Um, before November of 2024, during the presentations, I heard that we're thinking of a new um, stormwater funding fee or tax, that we're thinking about a new public facility impact fee or tax. Um, and then we had a bid come in at the water pollution control plant, $24 million over the engineer's estimate. So this is just more about pressure for um, funding for the city. I said to Tim during the lunch break, I said, I think the amount of increase that we're going to have to do for sewer rates, my over under is 12%, but Tim assured me that we're going to be able to keep it at 10%, but that's still a lot. And there's a thing called a Prop 216 challenge that residents can do if they feel that rates are increasing too much. So I think there's going to be a lot of building fatigue in the community about how much they're willing to bear for fees and taxes. Here are some other thoughts, um, Kent, that I would like to share about um, uh, the um, presentations we just heard. I agree with Councilmember Cisneros about um, public safety and concerns from the community. And I'd like um, Chief Note to provide a deep dive at some future presentation about budgeted service level indicators that we have in the budget and what the reality is in Sunnyvale with an eye towards um, what would cause staff to recommend a change in the number of sworn officers based on those service level indicators and what's really going on in the community. So sort of Alyssa's question, but a deeper dive in a presentation format uh, from the chief. I'd like to propose that. I'm really glad to see on um, public works that we're coming up Chip, with an active transportation plan webpage, because you had no fewer than six foils 
that you went through of ATP stuff. So I see, you know, we're absolutely doing it and I'm glad we're doing a web page on that. Um, I'd like to see um, KSI metrics on that web page. I'll just toss that out there, sort of historical KSI trends from the Vision Zero plan. Um, and when the web page is released, I'd like to see an assessment from staff as to whether we are or are not on trajectory to meet the goals and policies of ATP and Vision Zero. Um, so I'd like to see that assessment. Uh, we talked a little bit about electrification of existing buildings from the Climate Action Plan. That's my number one thing for the year 2023 is we've got to um, push hard, faster, stronger, higher, whatever on electrification of existing buildings. So it's a policy statement that I would make. And then with regards to civic center modernization, um, I'm looking ahead, uh, of course, to phase two, but I'm also looking ahead to phase three, which will be public safety. And I've said this before, I think it's absolutely critical for phase three that we get the courthouse back under the control of the city of Sunnyvale. And that's half political, half operational. And we need to keep working with the state judicial council and with our legislators in Sacramento um, to get the courthouse back into Sunnyvale control so we can successfully accomplish phase three. I appreciate Mayor Klein's advocacy on all of these um, efforts and thank you for the opportunity to speak. Very good, thank you, council member. Uh, Mayor Klein. Sure, thank you. Uh, so I have lots of questions, comments. Uh, let me narrow it down. First, it's obvious that that city staff has a lot on their plate and we're getting a lot, th lot of things done. Um, I did, let me go to a few quick questions. So <clears throat> Jackie, thanks for the, for the uh, description about our ADA evaluation that's going on um, and the ADA transition plan. Uh, Jackie Chip, from a budgetary standpoint, uh, and I know that we've talked about unfunded ADA, you know, implementation um, from an ADA transition plan, is it, uh, is it, will it be better defined as an unfunded pro uh, project as well as, let's say, a phased un unfunded project? I'll, I'll take that, Chip. I think as long as we are making progress in our transition plan, we, um, we're okay in terms of legal risk. We do have ongoing funding um, that is in the budget every year to make changes. Um, in terms of, of how we characterize that, I would, I would say probably partially funded ongoing, um, but we're never gonna complete the project. So it's hard to say it's unfunded because the rules change every year in terms of ADA. We're, we're never gonna catch up. Um, things are always gonna be changing even, even um, if we complete projects this year, in 10 years, they're gonna be out of compliance. Even in maybe five years, they're gonna be out of compliance. So it's just this continual change and it's about the level of uh, funding that we can put, it, put in to really um, make those improvements continual, address any immediate needs that come through the complaint process. Okay, uh, and I appreciate that. You know, and 
and whether or not we need to move faster. You know, I understand, and we and I hear residents' complaints, and I've forwarded them to staff so that they have went out. And thank you for implementing, you know, this ADA curb cuts in, in neighborhoods where residents, you know, are in wheelchairs or having issues. But but it's how quickly we respond, and and I think conceivably having a better um, a, a better <clears throat> advertising campaign that this is something that we're doing that that I think a lot of people don't know that 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 we're ready to respond to resident questions so I think that's an important thing uh Ramana a quick question about the you mentioned trash reduction programs and des, and devices can you clarify that just a little bit on on what's being planned what's being implemented by I think 2025 from a smart station standpoint um, so there's two um, trash reduction areas that I touched on. One is in relation to the stormwater permit. So as part of the stormwater permit, um, this, the trash that gets collected uh, on the streets, um, our, our focus there is to make sure that it doesn't enter the storm system and then yep. get into the creeks. So um, the goal for that in this permit is 100% reduction. We are about 85 um, no. Although that okay. number actually comes down to 80 because of the way they count it. Um, so we uh, expect to add trash capture devices in a number of our storm catch basins as part of that um, initiative. And I think we'll probably need to add upwards about close to 400 new uh, trash capture devices. And we do have the funding allocated in our budget for that. Good. Okay. And then the other piece of trash diversion, our reduction is on the solid waste side. So as part of the storm, the smart station retrofit project, we expect to get, once we complete the, uh, the improvements, we expect to be able to divert another 10 to 15% more um, solid waste from the landfill. Okay. And that, and that to me is, what's happening, you know, it's, it's that landfill diversion and what we're doing there. So, so definitely keep us up to date on that. Um, Chief, it was good to see that we're getting close to full staffing. I would definitely like to tell us, tell have you tell council what the barriers are to continuing to staff as well as, you know, meeting any service level um, uh, goals from that standpoint. And especially as, as we look at conceivably adding a lot of additional housing, office, retail into Moffat Park and conceivably what changes need to happen from a from a public safety standpoint in order to make sure that that we're part of that. And I have lots of comments, questions. Um, I'll be following up with staff as far as that's concerned. Um, but it's good to see it, actually one thing I do want to mention, Kathleen, you know, thanks for all the work in helping the whole organization to innovate and improve its services. I think, you know, your organization <coughs> ultimately improves the efficiency of, of the entire organization. And, you know, if there's other things that need to get done that would improve efficiencies, I think it's please bring those to council. I think that that is a critical, you know, critical operation. And, and you know, to everyone else, um, 
Thank you. I have lots of comments about, you know, what was presented here, you know, from affordable housing to keeping the plane flying while you're reworking the wastewater treatment plan and, you know, all the, and, and ultimately opening up a new city hall, which I think will be positive for city staff, for Nova and what services we provide there as well as other things. But I'll leave it at that. Uh, thank you. I wish I was there to, to talk to you during the break, but um, it's been a great discussion so far. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And you did miss a good lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Vice Mayor D. Thank you. Uh, and it's worth saying that the mayor was also missed at lunch. Um, yes. But I, I'll, oh, actually, let me set a timer for myself. Okay, well, the timer is set. Um, I think my, my first, I, First of all, just thank you so much to all the different staff for the presentations today. Uh, definitely learned and benefited a lot from them. Uh, my first question is to Trudy. Uh, I appreciated the slides related to the pipeline of major development projects that's coming up. Uh, I think it was slide 66. Um, one thing I noticed on it that I was very excited about is you put the percentages that are affordable. And uh, I think over the last two years, we've clearly done a very good job where the figures are around 19. And it seems like before that, they were a lot lower. Uh, so I wanted to A, just highlight that we're doing well there, but then B, I wanted to ask uh, specifically, what are we doing right? Why, why is this the case? And uh, yeah, what is it that we're doing right here? Well, it's a combination of factors. Um, we've been, we've uh, collected enough of the housing mitigation funds that we were able to purchase property. Um, so that was, that was uh, part of it. And, and actually, even before we had the housing mitigation funds available for that, um, the city proactively purchased land in the downtown um, to help with a lot of consolidation. So I think that's a big factor. Um, we are also, uh, I hope it's still true, known to be um, easy to work with. Um, we you know, we work with a development community, whether it's a nonprofit or, or a for-profit developer on, on getting their um, projects done efficiently. Okay, thank you. Um, and then uh, to Romana, um, you talked in the uh, slides about the path to carbon neutrality, and you mentioned how, uh, you know, some of, of the different things that we were seeing, some of them had more of a quantitative impact, uh, specifically promoting clean energy, decarbonizing buildings, and decarbonizing transportation and sustainable land use. Uh, between those three categories, how, um, how impactful are each of them in relation to the others is uh, in getting us to where we need to be in our goals? Is one of them going to play more of a role than the others? Or what's the sort of level of impact of each of those? Um, I think we've already seen the impact of um, using clean energy. Because of SVCE, 98% of all our users in Sunnyvale use clean energy. So it's either renewable or greenhouse gas free. So one of those. Um, the next big um, area that we made a big change or improvement is on reach cords. So all our new buildings will be all electric or very close to being all electric. So um, the, the next phase of it that will make or that will move the needle is the um, electrification of existing buildings. Um, and then the, the other big piece is electrifying transportation. So those both of those um, will probably account for about 60 to 70% of our greenhouse gas emissions going forward. Okay, thank you. And then uh, just my final question for you is, uh, I know the, the storms have obviously given us a lot of water in recent days. Um, what do we see as the 
in your opinion, how do you see the outlook of the drought itself? I know you mentioned we used to be in severe, we're now down a level. Do you think we're sort of past the, the thick of it of the drought or do you think this is just a temporary relief of that but we might you know, go back or is it just, it's hard to tell? Well, I think the uh, outlook looks very promising, but I think we will have a better sense of everything around April. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why April is, is what we consider a good starting point is that's kind of when the winter ends and people look at the snowpack at the time the winter ends um, because that's when the snow starts melting and then you start collecting all the water. Um, so, but it looks very promising, but I would caution that by saying, you know, drought is really a way of life in California. It's just, mm. you know, we're just another three years away from the next one. So that's why uh, having reliable and sustainable water supply is such a critical component of our planning. Um, yes, this drought is, you know, we might be getting over this one, but we're only like a few years away from the next one. Okay, I appreciate that framework. I think that actually is a really important way to look at it. So thank you. Uh, those were all of my questions for now. I think I obviously had a couple more that I'm going to hold back on. And uh, I think through talking with staff, it sounds like the best approach might be to just email the questions directly to the city manager. And then I think you'll just, okay. And I guess I, that would go for all my colleagues as well. Just email them to the city manager and he'll distribute to the rest of staff. Um, and then I just, in one comment, I also just wanted to echo uh, what Councilmember Cisneros was uh, expressing an interest in uh, when we see some of that housing stuff return, uh, getting that distinction between North Sunnyvale versus South Sunnyvale and projections for where our housing is going to go. I would also be really interested in seeing that breakdown the next time it's presented to council. But otherwise, thank you so much. Very good. Thank you, Vice Mayor. We are now ready to move forward. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it would be embarrassing if I wasn't. Right under the gun. Very good. <laughs> Excellent. OK, we are ready now to move forward uh, for our afternoon topic on three strategic uh, topics, economic development, strategic plan. We'll hear from Connie in just a moment. And then we'll turn it over to Ramana for Enhanced Recycled Water Program. And Terry will talk about services for unhoused individuals along with, uh, along with Connie. So we'll set this segment up slightly different. After each presentation, we then open it up for council uh, comments and questions, not holding them until the end. And uh, uh, Mr. Vice Mayor, when we come to that time, love to get your, uh, your uh, phone out with the timer on now to give everybody five minutes. It's working perfectly. Okay, are we ready? Um, Connie, are you ready sure. to get started? Okay, let's so let's get started on economic development strategic plan. All right. Um, Good, even, uh, good evening. Look, I'm so used to going to council meetings. <laughs> those carbs are kicking in. Um, afternoon, uh, Mayor and Council Members, Connie Versellis, Deputy City Manager. Um, I'm, I'm here to provide an update on the Economic Development Strategic Plan. Um, I'll start with a little bit of background. Uh, we began this project uh, back in 2019, um, and we began the very energetically, you know, we started talking to our community. We uh, did a very uh, robust community engagement. We talked to small, medium, large um, companies in all the sectors. We talked to retailers, hotel operators, as well as service providers. Um, we held focus groups. We did business visits. We ran a survey um, to ask the community about their shopping habits, how they felt about commercial development in the city, and also what the city could do to promote its businesses. Um, we what we found is that Sunnyvale is viewed as a very desirable location for development, but that we did have some challenges as well as some opportunities. Um, the challenges that we identified uh, was that we needed to provide 
you know, additional level of business support in order to maintain the business diversity that we enjoy in Sunnyvale. We also continued uh, engaging our stakeholders. Well, as we continued talking to them, what we really saw is we saw some themes. Um, themes began to emerge and we started talking about how do we develop some goals and some strategies to address those themes. Um, and I'll go into detail in regards to the themes and the goals that we propose in the next slide. Um, I, um, actually, I was looking at my notes and I provided council with an update um, on the themes um, that we had identified at our last in-person council strategic session back in February 4th of 2020. And at that time, I told council that I would be back shortly um, <laughs> with a plan. Had I had a crystal ball, I would have said three years, but you know, um, because you know what happened, obviously, right? COVID hit us pretty hard. And during that time, staff, uh, we quickly pivoted to assist our businesses in ways that we never had really done before. We didn't have a plan. We didn't have a book um, on, on how to do that. So we quickly created um, programs and initiatives to assist our business community during that time. We created our Sunnyvale Cares uh, small business grant program. We banned I was gonna say we closed Murphy Avenue, but I'm a quick listener. We banned cars on Murphy Avenue to allow um, outdoor dining. And we um, also allowed businesses throughout Sunnyvale to do outdoor dining on um, private outdoor areas. And we also created a shop Sunnyvale website to encourage people to support our businesses during lockdown. Um, then uh, in a, at a study session in May of 2021, we presented uh, council with an overview of a draft economic develop, uh, development strategic plan where we shared our proposed goals and presented some short-term actions that we could accomplish um, while we were fine-tuning the plan. Next slide. Um, I mentioned the themes that we identified based on our stakeholders' feedback. Um, now, keep in mind that these themes were identified uh, prior to COVID. Um, and the themes that we heard is we needed to support our existing businesses by continuing to provide site selection um, support, as well as helping those businesses become engaged um, within our community. Um, before COVID and actually based on Trudy's um, chart, even now, um, demand for development services was at an all-time high and you know, continues to be so. And our businesses demanded um, a very streamlined and fast review of their development projects. You know, We kept hearing time is money, we need to get into that building very quickly. Um, we also heard that our residents wanted uh, more amenities and um, entertainment venues, such as movie theaters You know, that kept coming up. And um, Bowling Alley was also mentioned at that time. Um, also, stakeholders had very strong opinions about the amount of traffic in the city, as well as the um, high cost of, uh, of living um, in, in Sunnyvale. Um, next slide. So based on those themes that we um, identified, we proposed and recommended um, some goals, um, four goals to uh, within the draft economic development strategic plan. Um, we wanted to, as I said, continue to support our existing businesses because what we found it's easier to retain existing businesses that we have in our community that are already vested in here versus trying to go out there and try to attract new businesses to our community. Um, we want to help our uh, residents by, uh, we want to provide a city where residents and our businesses enjoy a good quality of life um, and that our em employees working in our Sunnyvale businesses 
enjoy working in the city and also want to stay here to enjoy other amenities after work. Um, we also want to promote the services that the city is able to provide to its businesses, as well as provide those business, those services that those businesses provide to our residents and visitors. And of course, because Tim always calls me, um, we want to make sure that our city is in good financial um, in a, a position by retaining those businesses that generate revenue, as well as uh, targeting businesses to come to our city that help our um, revenue stream. Next slide. So to accomplish the goals um, that we proposed, we also recommended uh, five strategic um, priorities. Now, please keep in mind that the order um, listed up there is not necessarily the order of importance, that's just the number we um, gave them. Um, and you know, the first priority was to support our small and medium-sized businesses. And this is really important because over 95% of our businesses in Sunnyvale have 25 or less employees. So that's a big bulk of our business community. Um, our, also, our residents told us, and we have data that shows this, um, that they need some items that are just not available in our, in our businesses um, currently located in Sunnyvale, and that sometimes our residents have to leave the city um, to buy those services, or they go um, online to shop for those goods and services. Um, Pre-pandemic, economic development had two um, employees and the, the demand um, during, during COVID, what was really evident is that the, the demand for our services um, was really stretching those two employees. Um, and we were working um, just very hard to try to catch up. We were being a little bit more reactive versus proactive and being able to take time to think about what strategies, how to best help our business community. So to address that, um, the, the increase in demand of our staff and our services, um, we recommended adding a position in economic development. Um, as I mentioned earlier, our stakeholders also told us that traffic was a big issue um, and they um, stakeholders asked uh, if there was uh, areas where the city could look at um, if we could partner with companies that I, you know, technology companies or companies specifically working in the artificial intelligence area um, in those uh, working out to help transport goods and services as well as people how could the city take advantage of those partnerships and then finally the fifth strategy that um, was recommended was to support um, initiatives that support um, affordable housing in our community next slide um, in the next few, uh, few slides, I'll share what we've done and what we proposed in the draft for each um, strategic priority, but I'll, I'm gonna start with priority one. Um, and, and we've done a lot to support our small and medium-sized companies. Um, I mentioned our Sunnyvale Cares program, and within that program, we created that from um, nothing to be able to award 195 grants to small businesses all within a period of uh, four months. Um, we also created and supported a, the robust outdoor dining program. We created a web page um, that we called Shop Sunnyvale, um, and that was to help uh, promote our businesses during that time. Um, the long-term strategy actions that we're looking at um, next is we want to review our home-based um, business policies. And we recently just heard that there may be some new state and, count and or county laws that may uh, be streamlining that permit uh, process for home-based um, businesses. So we wanna make sure that we're up to speed on to what those regulations may be. Um, funding for business incubators was also another um, 
priority that came up from our stakeholders. Um, and, you know, post COVID, we need to go back and confirm if this is still needed and to also continue to advocate um, for the preservation of areas that are commercially zoned where businesses could locate. And specifically what came out of the stakeholder discussion was uh, an area that we call the woods, um, which is over by 237 and um, Lawrence Expressway and um, an area on West Evelyn between Mary and Bernardo. Next slide. Um, we completed actually several um, actions under strategic priority number two. Um, we used our social media channels to promote businesses during COVID um, and actually uh, our communications department received an award for um, this effort. Um, we were also successful in attracting several retailers. Um, one of the biggest one was REI, which I think all of us know where it's located and what they sell. Um, and long-term, we recommended a, um, an initiative focusing on promoting the downtown area um, with all the new businesses that are um, being opened in the area. You know, Trudy touched on those um, a little bit early by name, but you know, the theater is a big draw for the downtown area as well as the additional businesses. And El Camino Real is a big retail draw where people can shop. Um, so we want to be able to promote those two areas as big retail locations. Um, the web page that we created during COVID um, was in response to a very specific need. So we recommended doing a formal um, social media campaign um, to promote, really promote the services that our businesses and Sunnyvale provide. Um, and then um, this was actually really interesting and it came up in several focus areas and um, even from a residence. What we heard is that a lot of people, you know, we mentioned Silicon Valley, but there is no Silicon Valley. You know, where do you go to Silicon Valley? Um, so an idea that came up is, you know, maybe the city should look at doing a big, um, Silicon Valley art piece, you know, but really big. Think of like the Hollywood sign, you know, scale. Um, and this really ties in really well with um, our uh, trademark that we have, which is the heart of Silicon Valley for the city. Next slide. We um, also completed, you know, several um, action items under priority three. Um, council approved funding for a uh, economic development manager position as part of the budget process, uh, process in 2021. And uh, hot off the process, I'm very thrilled to announce that we have hired, uh, we just recently hired Christine Velasquez to be our new economic development manager for the city. And she's going to start in about two weeks. So super excited to get some assistance. Um, as COVID restrictions lessened, we um, returned uh, to doing business visitations um, and really with the goal is to check in our businesses, what, how are they doing, what kind of assistance they need and start gathering data as to, uh, to be able to better assist them. Um, we also began uh, doing business roundtables um, with the mayor, um, and this, with the goal of those roundtables is to hear directly from businesses um, what their needs are and how the city can help them. Um, and then finally, this was a really good project that we did. We partnered with Google and what we did uh, during COVID, we started offering quarterly webinars um, with the uh, goal of teaching our small businesses about how to increase their online presence, how to, how to um, update their website and how to really use um, their website presence to drive higher sales to their business. Next slide. But of course, you know, there's still a lot more um, 
to do. Um, and we recommended additional action items under the priority. Um, now that we have the economic development uh, manager hired, we want to move forward to create um, an annual work plan. Um, and the plan would be um, designed to focus um, staff resources on specific areas and to better help our business community. Um, we also recommended continuing to um, work with um, staff that's um, involved in the development review process to maintain what the city has a philosophy of uh, one bite at, uh, at the apple. And this is to assist with the permitting process. Um, we recommend doing an annual assessment um, of our businesses to determine, again, how to best serve them, what are their needs, how to be strategic on how to, um, from the city's perspective, be able to fulfill those needs. And we also recommended enhancing our website and social media presence to promote our businesses to residents. Next slide. Um, for strategic priority number four, we um, had recommended two short-term actions. Um, the first one was looking at pursuing um, partnerships with companies that are involved in the movement of goods and people um, and using artificial intelligence. Um, and then also by allowing those companies to potentially use public um, space um, and public um, or areas that the city owns um, in order for them to test their products and launch their um, services. Um, prior to COVID, we had started uh, a annual uh, technology um, business expo that we did every year. Um, and that was starting to grow, was be, uh, being very successful because of COVID, we put a pause, uh, a stop to that. But before COVID, what the feedback was that we really needed to expand that and make it bigger, um, make that event uh, an annual event, but much bigger than what it was. And then long term, um, the actions that were recommended was to um, look at supporting the formation of a citywide transportation association. And to also at that time, because commutes were so bad, was to ensure that we advocate um, for additional baby bullet train stops in Sunnyvale. Next slide. Um, strategic priority number five was um, recommended to ensure that economic development was involved in supporting policies regarding um, housing affordability. Next slide. Um, so here we are today, you know, where are we today and where do we want to be? Um, again, these are the five um, recommended priorities and they're not in any level of importance or ranking. Um, these are the priorities that we that we recommended prior to COVID. Um, where we are, we want to, we want your feedback um, to see if these priorities still are they're valid. Do they still stand? Do they you know are they still applicable? Do they resonate? Um, particularly since we learned a lot during COVID. Um, for example, you know we we learned that many small and medium sized businesses have drastically. Um, change their operations, um, customer habits have changed, you know, the way they do business, the way they advertise, the way they draw customers to their stores um, are very different. So the, the type of the support that we were providing before is that still applicable or do we need to change that? Um, retail trends have also changed. You know, a lot of us turn to online shopping during COVID because of the restrictions that our stores had. Um, but now it's starting to change and people want more experiences versus just buying something online and, and trying it on. So we need to be able to get a better understanding of what that is. Um, 
Also, you know, the city recently implemented a um, new permitting system, and we're also going to be soon moving into a brand new building to be able to provide those services. So we, so, you know, the question is, do we still really need to focus on that, um, you know, high touch development assistance that we were providing before um, work from home trends have really impacted our companies and what we're hearing is that that may change the amount of real estate um, that they may need in our city and development may be impacted because of that you know they may need less space because now they have um, less number of people um, you know, is the transportation um, management association citywide, is that still something that is desirable or, you know, is it going to be needy, um, needed? Or should we look at spending our limited resources somewhere else? Um, Tim this morning talked about the importance of, you know, sales tax as a revenue source. Um, you know, how do we focus um, assisting those businesses that, contrib uh, that contribute to the economic base and also maintain our, our business diversity, which is really important. Um, and then also regarding strategic um, priority number five, you know, should this continue to be strategic priority for economic development? Um, economic development has played a you know, key role in working with um, community development on the Moffitt Park specific plan. And what we're studying in that area is up to 20,000 housing units. So, um, and then also uh, working with community development on the, you know, provide input on the housing element. So should this be a priority that continues to stay? And really our ask here today is to look at those five um, recommended and proposed priorities and provide your feedback if this is, you know, where economic development should be focused should it be changed? Do you support that? Are they, um, are they applicable? So start thinking about that. Um, and then our next steps is, um, you know, we're obviously going to capture your, uh, your feedback that you provide today. Um, we're also going to be going back to our stakeholders to ask, um, ask for additional feedback. Because um, what we really want to hear is, again, post-pandemic, what, what's that new normal look like? What are um, what do you need from the city? What are your, your priorities and how do you rank them? Um, and then based on all that feedback that we gather, we will um, update the current draft plan and um, be able to come back to council later this year for final adoption. That concludes my presentation and happy to answer any questions. Very good, thank you, Connie. Um, and so we'll, we'll open it up for council questions and comments, and we will do a slightly different approach here. The request from the mayor and vice mayor is for the clerk, is for David to put the uh, timer up on the, uh, on the screen here. Yes. So your, your, your phone, your, you can give your phone a rest. Uh, and I think we're gonna put it to four minutes for everybody. Yeah. And to my colleagues, I'll say, if you run out of time, uh, you can always forward more questions to the city manager. We'll get it out. Um, could you make that just a little bit smaller and I can go back to one of the screens, slides? Is that possible? And if not, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. Okay, so um, obviously we'll open it up for question, uh, council questions and comments and feel free to ask Connie anything, but Connie did specifically ask and, and staff is specifically asking for your feedback on the economic uh, development strategic plan, the five priorities there. Those are not the council priorities, right? These are the strategic plan, economic development strategic plan priorities. So if you could provide that feedback, that would be very helpful to Connie and staff. We'd like to get us started. Thank you. Yeah, I'll Council go. Member Melton. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Uh, Connie, great presentation. Really glad you're working on this. I'm also glad that we can increase um, staff and resources. 
uh, and that we've been able to hire a new um, economic development manager. So all very positive stuff. I was thinking about um, the five um, priorities that you listed here. Um, I love them all. Uh, a thing to think about adding uh, would be um, EAI. Uh, we have council strategic policy priority about that. And the, the way I'm thinking about how EAI could manifest itself in um, this, um, and within these five uh, priorities, um, I think about disbursement of grocery stores uh, within the city of Sunnyvale, and some of our residents have to go farther than others uh, to access that basic service. So, uh, you know, that registers for me on EAI. I think about home-based businesses, um, and can EAI be accomplished uh, by people um, making it easier to, to start a home-based business. So those are some examples that on short notice I, I thought of. Um, and then the other one um, is just about fees and taxes and how we can support our businesses in Sunnyvale uh, via not suppressing them too much with um, fees and taxes and charges and just making it um, easier financially to do business with the city of Sunnyvale and get things done. Those are my comments, thank you. Sounds very good. Council Member Cisneros. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Council Member Melton, for bringing up uh, the equity access and inclusion component of that. Because I actually have that in my notes as something to bring up as well as to add to the priority list. And I think like, a couple of things could fall under that. Specifically, something that the Chamber and the Downtown Business Association has brought to my attention numerous times is that when we have programs and support for uh, small and medium businesses, there are a lot of business owners for whom English is not their first language and actually it can be quite challenging for them, especially as we're talking about technical things like websites and, and different ways to support social media. That's all great. But figuring out a way to either have the materials printed in a language that they're comfortable with and, and uh, very fluent in or have uh, some volunteers or support staff to go in and speak with them individually, because that's something that the chamber and the downtown business association has been struggling with they want to support them but it's it's tricky and that Mate, can i just yeah. and I, I apologize i you know i didn't mention this because again you know there's a lot of stuff that we've done but uh we started collecting data and we'll make sure we'll share uh we'll share that data with the downtown association on the business license renewal we are asking questions in regards to if business classify themselves as either women own or ethnic own and then there's choices we have so we just started gathering that data about two years ago and so we don't have a full cycle yet but as soon as we have a full um two-year cycle because that's how long our businesses um renewal cycle is we'll make sure to share that information so thank you for that yeah that would be amazing like we yeah. have an um, international women's day right it'd be yep. a cool social media campaign to these are our women-owned businesses in yep. Sunnydale. let's go support them i i can see it now and it's beautiful um, <laughs> thank you yeah, great support for them um so and, and this might this is a question maybe for community development or um, other staff members too, but when, when we have our, we have prioritizing affordable housing initiatives, is there a way to prioritize those who work in Sunnyvale on the affordable housing list or is that yeah. dictated by other regulations? We already do. We already do. <laughs> that was good. Yep, it's done. Short Check. answers, right? <laughs> yep. Well, saying yes and, and asking a question and getting yes is awesome. So uh, <laughs> we like those kind of questions too. Keep them coming. <laughs> Great. And so then another thing I'd like to think about, and I don't need answers for this now, but it's something that I think about a lot, um, especially as we're thinking about revisiting the village center master plan, is how do we retain existing, especially small businesses, 
when we redevelop, because there, that's a lot of community concern, losing those small businesses that, that have been there for a long time. That's a tricky thing because I think you'd have to give up some uh, you know, community benefits to do that. It becomes really expensive, but just to have that is something that both goes into our community development goals and this, uh, that's something that I'm thinking about a lot. I think it'd make, make it a lot easier to meet goals on both, uh, in both ways. Um, and that's all I got. That's great. Thank you Excellent. so much. Very good. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go to, let's go. Uh, let's go to, um, we'll go to you, Council Member, <laughs> and, and then we'll go to Melisha. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, great presentation, Kami. I have a unique background of a small business owner and home-based yes. business owner. <laughs> yes. So I can relate to a lot of initiatives listed here. One of the things I am really curious about Sunnyvale Cares, uh, I think advertising or marketing that program might be useful because I have not heard about that as a business owner. I pay my business tax every other year <laughs> to Sunnyvale. And then the other thing is, uh, you mentioned about incubators. That's an awesome program. I know uh, San Jose Incubation developed a lot of startup companies, which were really, really uh, later on became very, very big. I think Sunnyvale also had that, but I don't know where it is now. And then regarding the priorities, most of the priorities uh, uh, has got relationship with the other uh, departments also. For example, pursuing technology and transportation pa uh, partnership. That's uh, <laughs> ESD, right? Yes. And then one of well, the things- Public works. Public <laughs> works also. Yep. Because this is greenhouse gas reduction programs. And then similarly, uh, affordable housing is uh, CD, uh, <laughs> Trudy's uh, area. And then regarding the uh, other review process, okay, where is my notes here? Uh, uh, the social media presence, obviously, IT should be involved in that, and then so that it's all in sync with the overall goals of uh, the IT in the uh, city. But regarding ordering these five priorities, these five priorities look very good. I think this will promote uh, businesses and uh, small uh, SMEs in uh, Sunnyvale. Thank you very much. Council Member Nellinger. All right, uh, Connie and I are gonna have to share a microphone for a little bit. Um, first of all, thank you very much for a great presentation. Um, so there's a few things I wanted to call out here. Uh, first of all, you know, enhancing retail vibrancy, where do we see those gaps specifically? I have my guess is, you know, clothing, white goods and groceries as council member Melton said, what else is there? Furniture. Furniture, furniture yeah. but general household um, goods. Um, and we do, uh, we could do, we call it, I don't like the word leakage analysis, but that's, that's, we're leaking sales somewhere else. Um, so there is a chart that we can, um, you know, we'll be able to provide as part of the plan, but it's, you named it, household goods, clothing, um, those white uh, services. Excellent. Um, I'm going to take this back. Um, so next thing, uh, I want to thank Council Member Cisneros for calling out the village centers. I think it is absolutely critical that as we're approaching, 
approaching the village centers, that preserving retail in the village centers is a top priority, that preserving the existing retail there is a very high priority. I'm, I think that there are lots of creative options there. I'm not going to go into too much depth on that now, but that's something that I really want on the radar here. I really want to thank Councilmember Melton and Councilmember Cisneros for bringing up EAI, bringing up the grocery access issue. Uh, you know, North Sunnyvale has a serious lack of supermarkets, um, and that's a, been a real problem in our community for a long time. Um, I think this is worth adding as a priority to the five listed here. I am going to say that I really like one, two, and five, and there are some tweaks I think might be worth making to three and four. Uh, and I also think that the city clerk may not have restarted the timer for me. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I promise not to abuse that. Uh, on number I three, I think, he, I think the council member gets a couple minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> um, on number three, I think that this is a really good direction. I would like to emphasize, you know, having a no hassle process for our businesses, you know, making things as simple as transparent and as easy as possible for them, you know, whether we're talking about permits, licenses, whatever. Uh, and on number four, pursue technology and transportation partnerships. This is great, but I really want to weight that very heavily towards transportation rather than technology. And I want to talk about why. I have seen not so much in Sunnyvale, but in some of our neighboring cities, a lot of let's call it magical thinking about transportation technology. Uh, Self-driving cars have been five years away for at least the past 10 years, right? Um, and uh, I'm not going to get into some of the other stuff that we've heard about, you know, really the solutions to transportation, in my opinion, do not require a tremendous amount of technical innovation. We're talking about things that we already know how to do. We're talking about bus service. We're talking about bike lanes. We're talking about increased train service. Yes, technology can complement that. Technology can support that. But the problem with overemphasizing technology is that a lot of the let, I'll be frank, a lot of the technology and transportation space right now, a lot of it's vaporware. And I'm very cautious about being over-dependent on technologies that don't yet exist or are not yet mature. Um, so on number four, great to be pursuing technology. Let's really weight that towards transportation and let's really weight that towards proven solutions. Uh, and I think that about does it for me. Thank you. Very good, thank you so much. Uh, who would like to go next, Councilmember Sal? Hi, I just wanted to say that um, a couple, maybe two weeks ago, the Moffat Park business um, community invited me to come speak to them. And I thought that I would be inundated with don't do this, don't do that. And they were so happy with the Moffat Park specific plan. And they complimented the staff, they complimented the staff's dedication. They said they've been working on that they've been giving input on that plan in partnership with the city for 10 years. And of all these, whatever you can do to do that in other sectors, to be working hand in hand with the business community so that it's not uh, the city working in a vacuum or them working in a silo, it's working together. And that's um, just a recipe for success, whatever that'll take. Um, the other thing is, uh, 
believe that when I talk to um, small business owners, what they tell me is they're afraid that small businesses will not be able to afford to stay in Sunnyvale. So uh, staying close to the small business community, trying to understand their needs and what can Sunnyvale do to make it be more affordable for them to have a business in Sunnyvale. Some of what they tell me is that um, it'll be hard to find employees to uh, work in Sunnyvale. So some of the um, things that have been on this list is affordable housing. So that is still good because it helps the um, employers, employees. I also think having um, uh, the transit to do the last mile so that a worker um, may be able to get on transit. They won't have to like uh, go through traffic and then there'll be some last mile options, whether that be biking or taking a shuttle that's very important and makes it affordable for them and um i think that's it so i i think you're doing a great job you know you um uh, your efforts enable us to keep funding many aspects of our community and and so i really appreciate uh the work that you do and it makes my work as a city councilor, much easier and much more pleasant when I meet the business community. So thank you very much. Very good, thank you. And Vice Mayor Dean? Thank you. Uh, and I think I'll just uh, start off where Councilor Brissell left off by echoing just my gratitude to you for the work that you're doing and for the presentation today. Uh, in terms of the priorities that we have listed, uh, I'm very happy with them. I don't think there are any major changes that, I'd want, that I'm proposing from my end, uh, but to, you know, kind of go off of what I've heard actually some of my other council colleagues say, I'm really appreciative uh, to both Council Member Cisneros and Mellinger uh, for underscoring, uh, you know, the importance of as we develop the city and redevelop areas of the city, maintaining the small businesses and the retail that are in place. Um, but I'll even add on to it that uh, for me, I look at this through another lens, which is uh, it's one of the best ways to preserve sort of the diversity of our city. I think uh, some of the best expressions of our ethnic communities is via the retail we see. You know, some of my favorite retail places like Bazaar, India Cash and Curry, right? Um, as we redevelop, making sure we don't lose touch with those is so important. Um, and then, you know, I just wanted to specifically underline uh, number two on the list, which is uh, enhancing retail vibrancy, because uh, A, it's so important just for, you know, supporting our retail community, but B, it serves another purpose, which is that uh, one of the big sort of priorities of my own for the city is uh, increasing our walkability and bikeability. And I think having vibrant retail actually is almost at the core of that because uh, it's what I think gets people to want to walk around. You know, when I visit other cities or I go travel, the thing that I think in the morning actually gets me to finally get out of bed or leave my hotel is the knowledge that I could go walk around and see everything that's there, go into coffee shops, go into retail places. Uh, and so a vibrant retail community, I think is actually what, we could have all the infrastructure, we could have everything in place, but uh, we need to give people a reason to be walking around and biking around. And that's one of the most important ones. Uh, so that's why it's a, an especially important one to me on that list of priorities. Uh, but otherwise, thank you for all the work that you're doing. And those were my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. And Mayor Klein. Thank you. And, and Connie, I just want to thank you and your team for what you've done over the last three years during COVID. And, you know, I know it hasn't been easy and, and you know, an ever-changing world, but 
what you have been able to do for our small businesses and finding new partners and finding funding for Sunnyvale Cares has been critical. Uh, as far as these, and I've been happy to partner with you and your team. It's been it's been a joy. Um, the five priorities, as I see them, are fine. Thanks for Councilmember Mellinger on talking about what the retail vibrancy looks like. <clears throat> um, I do want to kind of concentrate on small business, um, small and medium-sized businesses, and what we're doing from an incubator standpoint. And and I understand we have you know kind of plug and play from a technology standpoint and all that. But how do we maintain? You know how we maintain keeping affordable locations in Sunnyvale, and that's village centers, as as Councilmember Cisneros was saying. Um, it's also El Camino. It's it's several of the smaller. It's things that we aren't aren't village centers right now, but are critical to the operation of making sure that there are small businesses that are able to start out. And so, so for me, I think that that to me is is the number one priority. You know, and I'm not sure what tools that I would like to see uh, to try to maintain rent prices and things of that nature. I'd also like to see, you know, better incubator spaces and I and and talking to different developers, talking to, you know, um we for a while we had a pod, a food pod truck uh location uh within the city. Um, we also, what I would like to see is some sort of food hall, you know, where you get that same, the diversity that's so strong within our community, but it allows, it's a, it's a dedicated place that would allow, um, small businesses, small restaurant owners to go from, from a small, um, let's say a small counter with a backroom kitchen to conceivably a brick and mortar. And right now that's that's in some ways done through the food truck, poss um, um, a food truck start out and then moving conceivably into brick and mortar later. But having a location that is conceivably a multitude of, of businesses, I think would be very useful. Uh, as far as um, technology transportation, you know, we're all hoping that the electrification of Caltrain, it finally gets rid of the need for you to advocate for a baby bullet. I think, you know, at that point, the, the once everything's electrified, things become pretty much equalized along the along the corridor. So we're hopefully that comes to pass um, sooner rather than later. But I would like to see how we're trying to keep that um, the diversity of our of our restaurant of our of our retail of all types and and from a small business standpoint, making sure that that we continue to have corridors for very small construction and very small and because we see the results of business to business sales, which are really critical to our ultimate ultimate sales tax. But but in general, you know, I'm happy with these priorities. I'm happy to see them come back. Uh, and see in, in different faces, but but definitely what, what we can do to support our small businesses, uh, small, medium-sized businesses, enhancing our retail um, vibrancy, which is critical for our residents. You know, this is what, what we hear most of, that I can't find this within the city. And I'm not sure how you do that, Connie, but you did a fantastic job of getting REI here. And I'm sure that you'll do something else uh, right along that right along that um, same, same um, measure. So with that, you know, Thank you, and and I do think that we're in the, we're going in the right direction. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. And we are ready to move on now. And so we'll move on to our next strategic topic, which is enhanced recycled water program. 
and Ramana will be presenting on that. Okay, Ramana. Thank you, Sean. Um, good afternoon, uh, Ramana Chinakotla, Environmental Services Director. Um, thank you, uh, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and members of the council for um, allowing me to present on this topic today. So um, on enhanced recycled water. Um, next slide, Sean. Uh, to give you a background, um, we um, have a policy in our general plan that guides our uh, Sunnyvale's recycled water implementation, and that is to maximize recycled water use for all approved purposes, uh, both within and in areas adjacent to the city where feasible. Um, next slide. Um, just to give you an overview of the recycled water system, um, Sunnyville has been ahead of the game um, in terms of actually creating um, a viable recycled water system. Um, Sunnyville developed their system in the mid-1990s. Um, we have um, close to 120 customers that currently use recycled water. Um, on average, we have about uh, 800,000 gallons per day of um, demand. Uh, most of it is, is generally used during the um, summer season, less during the winter season, is because it's all used for irrigation. Um, we have close to 13 miles of distribution pipe. We also have a storage tank at, uh, we call it the San Lucar pump station. Um, and then that can store about a million gallons of recycled water. Um, we, uh, the two pump stations and also, um, just wanted to mention that in 2022, because of algae issues um, in our wastewater ponds, uh, we've not been able to produce recycled water for most of 2022. Uh, next slide. So this is a good um, view of our recycled water distribution system. Uh, you see a series of purple lines um, and um, those represent the, um, the distribution system. As you can see, uh, almost all our customers are all north of 237 uh, in the Moffitt Park areas. Um, and then we also um, serve the Sunnyvale Golf Course. Um, that uh, line actually goes all the way to Maud um, Avenue. And then um, on the south side, um, we have a 24-inch line that goes all the way along Wolf Road. And, and serves the Apple campus in Cupertino. Next slide. Uh, in terms of what we've been doing, um, in terms of working with Santa Clara Valley Water District, um, the Water District has also been working on their own water reuse master plan. Um, Sunnyville has been working with, with Valley Water um, for the last 10 years um, on um, different water reuse options. Um, one of the projects that we did jointly with them is to extend the recycled water line along Wolf Road to be to serve the Apple campus that was in large part funded by Valley Water. Um, then we also have, um, uh, we were part of the master plan that um, the, the Valley Water developed um, and completed over the last three years. Um, a number of different cities worked with Valley Water on that. Um, and as part of that, 
um, we are one of the we have been identified as one of the options to um, um, develop a an advanced recycled water facility. Um, currently, they also have an agreement with Palo Alto um, to develop um, an advanced purified water facility in Palo Alto, and they're in in negotiations with San Jose. Um, also, um, and that that has not really made a lot of progress right now. Um, next slide. So, in terms of what we've been doing with Valley Water, um, as as I mentioned, Valley Water executed an agreement with Palo Alto to build a 10 million gallons per day purified water facility at, at the Palo Alto based water plant. Just to clarify what um, purified water is, it has different names, but basically what we provide is what we call recycled water, which is uh, the wastewater that comes out of our wastewater treatment plant after it undergoes treatment. Um, then we, we do a more treatment uh, add chlorine to it to basically provide to meet certain standards that we can use uh, for non-portable reuse. Uh, that includes irrigation. If it's enhanced more, then you can use it for things like um, uh, dual plumbing. Um, it can be used for cooling towers, but they're all non-portable reuse. Um, the, um, the, the facility that Valley Water is planning in Palo Alto uh, is what you call advanced purified water, which is purified to certain to such a level that it can be used for groundwater recharge, um, and uh, it essentially enhances our water supply, drinking water supply, uh, in the future. So they're currently engaged in feasibility studies um, with uh, on that project. They're also working with San Jose um, on creating an arrangement to have a facility in San Jose. Um, so what they've told us is that Sunnyvale is, is also an option, but it's a very low priority option for them. Um, couple of reasons. One is Sunnyvale has limited land to site a purification facility in Sunnyvale. Um, we're already pretty land limited. And with all the improvements we're doing as part of the clean water program, um, we don't have that much space to build another facility. Um, the second um, limitation is that we can only provide about 5 million gallons a day of source wastewater. And um, Valley Water's objective is to finally have about 20 million gallons a day of uh, advanced purified water available. Um, next slide. So from um, a water reuse perspective, what we see as a future for Sunnyvale, um, because Valley Water's focus is really on advanced purified water, um, and our possibility, the possibility that they would use Sunnyvale's wastewater is kind of remote at this time. Um, they, they have told us that they would like to engage with us after 2028. Uh, so it, 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 that possibility always exists. Um, we do want to recognize that um, advanced purified water production in Sunnyvale is extremely expensive. Um, if you think the clean water program is expensive, this is basically on the order of magnitude of two to three times that cost. Um, so, um, and then um, we at this time don't have a use for advanced purified water in Sunnyvale um, because currently the only approved use is groundwater recharge. Um, and then so, 
from our perspective, uh, Sunnyvale's focus should be to really expand our current recycled water system um, and use. So with that, um, next slide, Sean. So just to kind of give you some challenges that we, some short-term and long-term challenges that we have with expanding recycled water. One is um, we have been, um, you know, um, dealing with this new type of algae that um, is very difficult to treat. And that has been affecting our ability to produce recycled water. Uh, we have our staff is very diligently working on a solution and we hope to find a solution by this summer. Um, and uh, if that's the case, then we will be able to again produce recycled water like we've been doing before. Um, the other aspect of recycled water quality is the what we call total dissolved solids. So this is the amount of solids that are actually dissolved in wastewater. Um, and those, um, our current TDS is about 1200 parts per million. And those are not, that's not very conducive for dual plumbing use, for flushing um, toilets or for cooling towers. Uh, so those are the two other big uses that you can use for recycled water. So one of the, um, with, with our secondary treatment project, once that is completed, um, our TDS is expected to improve slightly to about a thousand parts per million. Um, but what we would need to get to is about 500 parts per million. Um, the master plan update that we're doing for the clean water program is going to look at options to achieve that level of water quality. So we hope to understand what it would take um, to do that as part of the master plan update, which we are starting this year and it'll be completed in the next two years. Um, next slide. We're also working on, we have a recycled water uh, feasibility study that was completed in 2013. Um, and so the city council approved a study issue last year and funded, uh, gave us funding to update the study. Um, so we are just beginning that process. Um, and the scope of that study, it will evaluate different water quality treatment options and alternatives. It will also look at the recycled water expansion opportunities. So where else can we actually uh, expand our distribution system um, and provide recycled water to our new customers? Um, and then recommend capital projects and cost estimates um, for those, those projects. Um, we're also gonna be, as part of the study, looking at funding opportunities. There's funding available from state and federal level um, for anything that's, you know, that basically promotes sustainability. The Inflation Reduction Act is expected to provide some additional funding. So we are going to be looking at those. Um, and hopefully we will come back. Our goal is to come back to the city council with an update and recommendations and uh, findings in the spring of 2024. And as I mentioned, as part of our clean water program master plan update, we are looking at addressing the TDS or total dissolved solids reduction. Next slide. So some of the expansion opportunities are, one is expanding it to existing areas. So where we already have the distribution system, um, the common name for the distribution system for recycled water is, we call it purple pipe. So wherever you have purple pipe, um, 
we look at opportunities, you know, for example, any office or commercial buildings that are along the existing recycling, recycled water routes, uh, what does it take to provide recycled water for irrigation for these areas? Um, with redevelopment, for example, Moffitt Park, um, El Camino area, uh, Lawrence Station area, these areas, um, those open up more opportunities to, to supply recycled water to these facilities. And then along the Wolf Road corridor, exam, one of the good examples that uh, it's a low hanging fruit is the Sunken Garden Golf Course. So that's, that's a prime candidate um, to use for recycled water use. And then expand to new areas. So as part of the study, this is something that we'll be looking at um, city parks, school play, play fields, uh, new commercial buildings, where do we have good density, where, where it makes sense for us to expand the, the, the distribution system. And then the third part is expanding the type of use. So I mentioned cooling towers, uh, dual plumbing for toilet flushing. So for those to happen, the recycled water quality also needs to improve. So. Um, one um, other area that I really want to mention, uh, next slide, Sean, yeah, go ahead. Um, the city manager's office had worked on and obtained a grant um, and they're working on um, the Harvard Bloomberg Innovation Track. So as part of that, um, the city manager has selected um, recycled water as a, as a project to uh, apply some of these templates. And um, as part of that, they will be looking at in the short term, what can you do? What, some, what are some of the strategies that you can do to connect new customers and extend the current system to large customers? Um, so some of the things they will be looking at is, um, uh, can we change your policies and provide incentives to, um, to get more customers? Uh, what marketing and outreach do we need to do to target new customers? So um, they're currently engaged in that study and they hope to finish it um, by fall of, uh, of July. And so we will use that information as input to basically move um, the, the needle on recycled water. So next slide. Um, some of the other things that we are also looking at is um, we, we anticipate that there are several state and federal grants that are available for recycled water. So we will be actively pursuing those. Um, the city council um, recently approved about $1.25 million for matching of a local match for, for some, some of these grants. We also, um, we have about a million dollars to match construction for recycled water expansion. We also have about $250,000 available for actually uh, hiring, um, some a consultant to help with this grant writing. So, um, so that's something that we will be definitely pursuing very actively. Uh, next slide. So with that, the next steps, um, as, as I mentioned, um, once the, um, the, the Harvard Bloomberg Innovation Track project is complete, we hope to have um, uh, come up with a project that will um, help us expand the recycled water pipelines, the new sites. Um, we also um, hope to do some community engagement to drum up more interest um, and provide a, a way for people to use 
um, to get get engaged with with recycled water. Um, we also want to find opportunities to plant trees. There's at least 500 uh, tree wells that are basically um, in need of trees. Uh, one of the big challenges is is being able to water these trees once we actually put new trees in. So one of the thing, one of the opportunities we are looking at is uh, being able to use recycled water for that purpose. Um, the, we will be uh, awarding the contract for the consultant to update our recycled water expansion study, expansion feasibility study in um, around May, May of this year. Um, and then we hope to complete the study by next year. Um, and as I mentioned, we'll, we'll continue to grant, uh, explore grant opportunities. Um, we will continue to collaborate with Valley Water on future recycled water opportunities. So that door is always open. Um, so if, if opportunities come up, uh, we have an open communication line with Valley Water to pursue those opportunities. So that concludes my presentation. I'll be happy to answer any questions. I also have Mansoor Nasser, who's our division manager for water and sewer, available to answer any questions that I can't. Very good. Uh, thank you, uh, Ramana. And so in addition to any uh, questions and comments that you're looking for feedback input from council, is there anything specifically you're looking for in terms of input? Um, I mean, we basically wanted to kind of share our uh, direction on recycled water. So I'll be happy to receive any direction that's Very contrary good. to what we're planning to do or any other new direction. Excellent. Very good. Thank you. So uh, we can put our four minute timer up and David's one step ahead of me. And uh, who would like to get us started? Recycled water. Go ahead, Councilmember Melvin. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll go. I, I was really excited to see this as one of the three focus topics that we're talking about today. Um, Ramana, you said it um, to the vice mayor earlier today, we're never more than three years away from the next drought and everything's looking good right now with all the rain. Um, but clearly the more we can do with recycled water, the less we have to draw from SFPUC and Valley Water. So um, it's a critical topic today and it's just gonna be more critical -er in um, upcoming years. One tactical question, Ramana, that I had on page 160, I, to my recollection, this is the first time I've seen the phrase enhanced recycled water. So is that a defined term, Ramana? Is enhanced recycled water different than recycled water today? Um, no, that's not a defined term. Okay. It's just, um, in fact, I would say it's the enhanced recycled water program. So we just wanna enhance our current program. Fantastic. Um, so I had a, a lengthy conversation, Ramana, with Kent earlier this week because I was looking ahead at the foils and I found myself kind of struggling with some of the conclusions that I thought I saw being proposed. And so I had a very good conversation with Kent. For, for me, as I think strategically about Sunnyvale and water in the future, I want a Sunnyvale AWTF, a Sunnyvale Advanced Water Treatment Facility. And I get it that Valley Water is skeptical about Sunnyvale for the reasons that you mentioned, Ramana, because you and I and Gustav and Mansoor were in those conversations with Valley Water where they expressed you know, what they felt the issues were. And that's, that's when I came to the conclusion 
that Sunnyvale, we need our own AWTF to control our own water future. And I view that as being part of the Sunnyvale way and that we're a full service city. Um, so obviously the difference between recycled water or enhanced recycled water as we're gonna do it in Sunnyvale and an AWTF is about potable uses. And I, I presume that um, California will change state law to allow operators of an advanced water treatment facility to be able to blend that water into potable water supply to pump it into the recharge ponds in addition to all the uses that you listed up there about dual use plumbing and, and all of that. So um, as I've said to the city manager, what I want to see and what I think we need to see in the upcoming recycled water master plan Redux, the, the rework of that plan is we need a chapter by the consultant dedicated to what it would take to get an advanced water treatment facility in Sunnyvale, a cost benefit analysis. And, and believe me, we all know it's going to cost $200 million or more uh, to get an AWTF in Sunnyvale. Land is limited. Yes, we agree, but there is some land available. Um, next to the water pollution control plant. And then what would really the benefits be of an advanced water treatment facility in Sunnyvale versus the trajectory that we're on, which is um, enhanced recycled water. So that's my pitch. I've said it all earlier this week to Kent as well. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that recycled water master plan when it comes to council down the road. Thank you, Ramana. Um Councilmember Melton, thank you for the comments. And um, the city managers had, um, uh, he did um, give me the information from your meeting. Uh, we've already discussed it with our um, clean water program consultant who is going to be updating the master plan. So it's actually going to be scoped in that because um, it relates to the plant um, because it, it would, the facility would be at the plant. So we would be including that in the scope. Thank you, Ramana. That's great. Very good. Other council members, council members Cisneros. Yeah, thank you for the presentation. And this is so exciting, uh, especially as we think about climate change and how uh, I think it's really important whenever we're thinking about infrastructure to think about resiliency first. And I think that this is uh, a key component um, because like it or not, we're gonna struggle with this more and more, unfortunately, uh, for a you while. Your mic a bit. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so my first question was, so you mentioned that we were having trouble, we've had trouble producing the recycled water because of an algae issue. Now, how do we, so do we get regular water to the facilities who use recycled water now? How, do, how is that done? Is that easy or hard? Yeah, we basically mix it with potable water. Okay. So they, they basically don't know the difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. Def, definitely. And so as we, um, you know, it's great that we want to expand that program to have more facilities, especially the golf course, which is a big water user. So that's going to be helpful. If we have another um, issue with supplying the recycled water, do we have the capacity right now with the reserves to continue to mix it with portable water as we have higher demand? Yeah, and again, this is something that we hope is a short-term problem. Mm -hmm. um, the other um, aspect that will really help is once we get the secondary treatment um, project completed, which will be another five years, then we will not have to use the water from the ponds. So we would not, we will not have the algae issue anymore. Oh, that's good to hear that. That totally takes care of that. And, and puts yeah. my mind at ease as we expand that we have that capacity, that resiliency in our system built in. 
Then the other thing I really enjoyed hearing about was how we can do tree planting near where it could have access to the recycled water. Um, and on our docket of study issues that we consider, we have the tree equity study issue, which is very interesting. We haven't been able to address it in recent years, but do we have a, a map of where we need more trees along that pipeline so we can focus on areas where we need to increase tree equity and just this works out really well? So this would not be, um, the water would not be uh, provided to the trees using the pipelines. Um, if you would just use the recycled water, it will probably be trucked trucked in because ah. the wells are basically distributed most likely all over the city. I see, I see. So it's the wells, not the pipelines. So that makes it even better. So um, as we think about that plan, I'd love to see like a map uh, of where we have high need and, and focus on getting trees in that area. Because I, I know that being able to supply the water has been uh, has made it challenging to plant a lot of new trees. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, we do have good maps of where both we existing trees are in Sunnyvale and, and where those locations are where we identify sort of a vacant site where we cut down a tree or we just know there's room for another uh, street tree. And so we do have good mapping. I, I do think there's also uh, some opportunity if we bring recycled water to more city parks, uh, potentially school sites, that we could plant trees in those locations and they would use recycled water. But for the street trees uh, in residential areas or in industrial areas, um, again, we want to look at an option of the cost for, for using uh, a water truck. Absolutely. Um, I think it's a great opportunity because we have that, that chance to, to have the additional resources and as we go forward to have that considered and maybe it doesn't work entirely, but um, I know that's a need. Uh, then my next question is, uh, I know council has prioritized making sure that staff has adequate time and resources to go after those grants, because it, you know, you have to spend money to make money in yep. this case. Um, and I, I see here we have a you know, good amount of grant opportunities and things coming up from the state and federal. My question is, uh, do you foresee us having adequate staff time to go after these grants or is more needed? So that's why we are going to hire a consultant to help us. Typically, all these, each of these grants have very specific requirements mm -hmm. and um, very specific knowledge to leverage and get the grants as required. So that's why um, the money that the city, city council authorized will really help us. So we are actually planning to get a consultant on board very quickly. Fantastic. Good to hear. Uh, just making sure we have what we need. And, and thank you for the presentation, for answering questions. Thank you. Okay. Council Member Sell. Hi, thank you for your work in this. I know that you have expertise in your group and you with this, so thank you. Um, in terms of um, other smaller cities, which are not able to have their own recycled water treatment plant, is there an interest of smaller cities nearby to be able to use some of this water? And so um, that's why we um, rely on Valley Water, Santa Clara Valley Water District. Most of the smaller cities look to guidance from Santa Clara Valley Water District to provide um, sustainable water supply. Um, we have partnered with Cupertino um, on the Apple Campus site. So and we, uh, cities like Palo Alto and Mountain View, they partner together um, on recycled water. So cities do work together um, where opportunities exist uh, for collaboration. Okay. And then where there is a pipe or where it will be laid out, 
Um, do businesses along the way, is there ability to outreach to businesses that um, eventually they might be able to use this for their landscaping and it might be more cost economical for them? We do that for um, when new projects come in or redevelopment projects come in. Um, that is something that we definitely actively pursue. Um, with the um, with the new with the Harvard Bloomberg Innovation Track project, one of the aspects that we are going to be working on is community engagement, where we identify specific locations that are reasonably close to our distribution system, um, and then seek out those opportunities and see what it would take to get them to use recycled water. So that's definitely one of the plans, things that we have planned for. And then with Moffat Park being new and um, in development in the future, will um, they be able to access this recycled um, water? Absolutely. In okay. fact, Moffat Park is very primed for it because almost all the distribution system we have is in Moffat Park. So it would be very easy to access our system. Okay, that's great. And um, my last question is the consultant that you're intending to hire. Is that the consultant for the grant writing or is that a technical consultant or what um, is We are actually hiring two consultants. Okay. So one consultant is going to help us update our recycled water uh, expansion uh, feasibility study. Um, and the second consultant is we're going to use just for help on grant writing. Okay. Okay. Well, that's all my question. Thank you so much for your great work and your department's work on this. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Thank you, Ramana. A great presentation, great work. Uh, uh, I work with the ESD as a sustainability commissioner. Uh, council member Cisneros uh, stole my question. Or, <laughs> So I wanted to know, uh, basically you answered her saying that what happened in 2022 when we couldn't generate uh, recycled water. The question adding to that, you mentioned that potable water was mixed in. Was it economical? That is we bought at a higher price and then distributed at a lower price? Actually it's cheaper. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> because recycled water actually costs us more to produce okay. than, than buying potable water. Okay, the second question is, uh, you also mentioned about groundwater recharging. Uh, did we do anything with the recent rain? Uh, so much of water came down and then uh, did we attempt to do anything or did any cities do anything? So most of this happens naturally. Um, okay. When you get rain in the watershed, the groundwater automatically recharges because that's where most of the water actually first goes. Okay. So the groundwater table would have been replenished by the pit. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. And then in your slide, uh, once again, it's a, a clarification. You uh, in slide uh, one sixty two, you said that eight hundred thousand gallons per day average demand. Uh, one sixty five, you say that uh, we have a current capacity of five million gallons. What do we do with 4.2 million gallons? <laughs> so the 5 million gallons a day is, is just a theoretical number. Okay. Um, that means that's the amount of water that we can actually give to Valley Water okay, if it. they wanted to use it for advanced purification. 
uh, our capacity actually is around 2 million gallons. We can actually produce about 2 million gallons a day, uh, but we only produce as much as we need. Okay. So just to understand that, they want 20 million gallons. Right? They, they would like to have the ability to uh, you know, produce 20 million gallons a day of okay. advanced purified water. And uh, if they want to partner with us, they're looking for someone who can at least give them 10. Okay, and we can only give them five. Million How come Palo Alto, which is a smaller city, can produce that? They actually have a regional wastewater facility. Okay, they, they also treat water from Stanford, from uh, Mountain View, um, and I think some county also. Okay. So their facility is actually bigger than ours. Okay, okay. And then you also mentioned about community engagement. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, this is community engagement for uh, for potential customers. customers. Potential customers. So um, basically, the idea is that um, if there's a line that exists that is close enough to a business that we can supply the cycled water, then the engagement would involve reaching out to these customers and seeing how we can uh, make that happen. Okay, got it. So we are not targeting residential, but more on the commercial. Right, Resident, recycled water is not an approved use for residential okay. use. How about the gray water in uh, residential? The gray water is an approved use. Approved use. Yes. But how does that work with the? Soil? It doesn't. It's no. There's no relation to that. Those, gray water is just water that you get out of your laundry, okay. or your kitchen. So um, you can basically use that for your own. Um, oh, it doesn't gardeners. connect to this pipe. It doesn't connect to our system. Okay, yeah. those are the questions. Thank you very much. Thanks Thank for a great work. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much for. Thank you very much for a great presentation. Uh, first of all, the map of the existing uh, service area. Could we get that at higher resolution, please? That'd be excellent. Um, you know, I think one opportunity that we should be thinking about is extending the a line down Matilda, down Sunnyvale, Saratoga. Um, lots and lots of, you know, substantial density, substantial uses along there that I think could really benefit from it. Um, question for you, um, what fraction of our water use is requires potable and what fraction does not, roughly speaking? Well, theoretically, all of um, outside use can be non-potable, right. so irrigation. Unfortunately, um, recycled water is not an approved use for single family homes. Mm -hmm. So probably about 25%, 20 to 25% um, of uh, total water use could be non-portable. Good, and, and Mansur, you wanna add anything on to that? No, I think it's covered. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So twenty to twenty-five percent is uh, can be non-potable based on current regulations. Got it. Um, so you know, uh, are private water trucks much of a thing in Sunnyvale that gardeners use that sort of thing? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. I know that we have not really. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look at Chip. Uh, do we use any private uh, trucks for watering our trees? No, not for us. We don't yeah. use anything related to that. So the property owner, Jason, is the one who waters and deals with the trees. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering because if there are private landscapers using water trucks, selling to them, selling to the them might actually be a viable option. Um, 
Let's see here. Another possible site, I'd love to see us starting to try and get recycled water to the orchard. Um, that's a very intensive use. Um, I think, you know, I'm not ready to come down with like a firm yes or no decision on this. I do think it's roughly the right track to not to be focusing on the recycled water rather than the advanced treatment facility. I am open to convincing on that. Um, but based on, you know, sort of the use numbers we have and that, you know, the fact that we're, it's going to be hard for us to get up to what Valley water is looking for. I do suspect that focusing on recycled water first makes sense. Um, and I'm glad to hear the secondary treatment facility will remove the, the risk of further algae-related issues. And I think that that does it for me. Thank you. Very good. Uh, Vice Mayor Dean, Mayor Klein. Uh, I'll, I'll be very quick because okay. uh, the two questions that I had already thought up of asking ended up getting asked. So my appreciation to my colleagues. So uh, I'll just say that I appreciate the work that you're doing, Ramana. And I'm sorry to see you back there as well. And I appreciate the work uh, that you guys are doing. Thank you. Very good. And Mayor Klein. Sure. Thank you very much. Uh, Ramana, thanks for the presentation and the update. You know, water is definitely a precious resource, <clears throat> especially as we go through this continual drought. And yeah, the last month has been wet, uh, but uh, just wait a year and we'll be back in a drought the way things have been going. But I want to thank, I want to give my thanks to the entire Tiger team that's been working with Bloomberg Harvard. You know, I've heard very positive feedback from that program so far. And, you know, um, Bloomberg Harvard providing resources um, to get, you know, basically to help us change our processes to, to improve um, what we're trying to do here and doing this 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 quick project, I think, is is a fantastic opportunity um, to innovate in the long run. So so thank you for everybody who's part of that team and and looking forward to see how that progresses throughout this year. Um, Romana, one of the things that you mentioned was cooling towers required um, TDS of five hundred ppm. Great. Yeah, that's correct. What is it required for dual plumbing? Because that's, is it the same or, or you know, trying to figure out how, how much cleaner we would need to make recycled water if we went to dual plumbing? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to ask Mansoor. Is that something you have? Yeah, I think 500 also is a good number for a little, little closer to your mouth. Yeah, there you, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so 500 for uh, dual plumbing is also accepted. Uh, any higher, it causes plumbing uh, problems. Okay. And do we have a feel for, so I understand purification and trying to reach the levels. And, and, I, and I, I appreciate that conceivably we are, you know, Valley Water comes back to us in 2028 and says, you know what, we need to move forward faster. Um, from what we currently have planned, how much, uh, when, when, when we're updating the recycled water plan, I would definitely like to see how much it takes us to get to 500 ppm, because as, especially as we're going forward with Moffett Park and adding residential, new office, making sure that all that is, is dual plumbed, I think is critical. You know, this is our one opportunity. And if, and if in five years, 10 years, we now have that capability, it would be, you know, very wasteful to, to continue to be flushing our toilets with, with potable water. Um, 
And then as far as Sunken Gardens, I'm, that's music to my ears. You know, I brought this up with a previous city manager back in 2017. And it was, well, we'll get to it at some point. And I'm happy that it's taken another five years or so. But we're finally, you know, looking at, at utilizing that, you know, for, for water that we're creating from a Sunnyvale standpoint, if, if we can use it on any of our public land, you know, it's great. And, you know, I, I appreciate what uh, Councilmember Cisneros asked about trees. You know, this is um, the, the water truck that we got away, got rid of. 15 years ago or so, um, and now conceivably bringing that back as a recycled water truck is great for um, improving our, our urban forest for new locations within the city, as well as conceivably a few of those trees that haven't been getting the watering from their owners as the owner said that they would. So for me, you know, there's there's lots of opportunity here. I'm I'm happy that, you know, this is one of the reasons why this is a, a topic of discussion from a council standpoint. If there's additional resources, funding that you need from, from council, please bring that back. You know, the sooner, the sooner rather than the better, just so that we start doing appropriate planning if there's things that need to be part of this year's budget to talk about what needs to be purchased in order to make sure that this program is moving forward, all the better. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you for everybody who's working on that program, um, on that Tiger team. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, Sunnyvale was doing the right thing from a sustainability standpoint and and not, you know, not relying on, on well, hopefully Valley Water and, and SFPUC will continue to provide the water that we need. So thank you. Thank you, Mary. Very good. That takes us through the second of three strategic topics. And now we'll move on to the third one, services for unhoused individuals. And this will be an opportunity to hear for the first time today from Assistant City Manager, Terry Silva, and she'll be joined by Connie. Good afternoon. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Terry Silva, thank you for um, having me, Mayor, uh, Vice Mayor and Council. Um, the topic is something that has impacted our community, the county, the state, and our country. I wish there was a simple answer, but overall, in my limited experience working on this project, I believe it will take a variety of solutions to address the issue. Even with multiple solutions, it's not guaranteed that homelessness would not still occur in our community. I want to thank um, all of the partners that helped me with homeless services in Sunnyvale. We have several departments, Department of um, Public Safety, our Office of the City Attorney, Public Works, and our Parks Division, and several other individuals that um, we stay in constant contact with in helping our homeless um, in Sunnyvale. As you know, we have an agreement with Home First who um, provides case management and shelter services for us currently. And in addition, the County Office of Supportive Housing has been um, a good resource. And I asked them recently if they could give us some information on the 2022 figures. And so I wanted to share that with you um, before I went into my presentation. So for um, housing programs in 2022, um, 185 families or individuals were enrolled in the program and 174 of those were housed in a permanent housing program and rapid rehousing, we had 134 individuals enrolled and 89 were housed. 
um, individuals self-disclose that they are Sunnyvale residents and they can use either a Sunnyvale address, they work in Sunnyvale, they go to school in Sunnyvale, they spend most of their time in Sunnyvale, they lived in Sunnyvale prior to homelessness, or there's a zip code that um, they last used was in Sunnyvale. So I just wanted to share with you um, that that's what we're dealing with, and those are the numbers of individuals um, so far that have received services through the county. Next slide. So our, um, oh, I'm sorry, um, Sean, we went ahead. It's current and upcoming projects. So I wanted to share with you just at a snapshot what we're working on. And we're, um, we've identified homelessness as a, a concern that continues in Sunnyvale. We have our first year pilot project with um, shelter beds and case management, and that started June 1st. We, in addition, have a study issue supported by Council on Homelessness on the Overnight Warming Center in Sunnyvale. I have an update that I'll share with you today as well. And in addition, we have a component of our housing strategy, which is safe RV parking. Next slide. So homelessness services funding through nonprofit partnerships. So we have grants that are provided through our um, community development department. So we have um, Sunnyvale Community Services and Downtown Streets team, and they received um, just over um, half a million dollars in federal CDBG funds. That's a one-year contract, and it supports homeless individuals with job training and employment placement. And then we also have a program called TIBRA, which is our uh, tenant-based rental assistance. And through um, Sunnyvale Community Services, it's $2 million in federal home funds, a two-year contract, which runs through June, 2024. And it provides um, two years of rental support for up to 40 formerly homeless um, households. And next slide, please. In addition, um, through the nonprofit partnerships for lower income Sunnyvale households, community development through their human services programs has uh, allocated um, over $400,000 to several nonprofit agencies. And I wanted to list the nonprofit agencies on the left-hand column and the dollar amount on the right-hand column, just to give you an idea of the types of services that the city currently supports through nonprofit agencies. So it doesn't impact homeless directly, but there's an indirect connection. Next slide. So shelter beds and case management services. So I provided the contract with Home First and the information that they provided with the individuals that they've engaged. So 52 individuals, two of those have been housed, 14 have been temporarily housed. But in addition to that, um, they have reached out to 158 individuals uh, of the 158 that they make contact with, only a handful, I would say, you know, are agreeable to engage with the case managers. So we hope that as they continue to go out and they go out and make multiple contacts with the same individuals, that we hope they'll build a relationship with them and they will start accepting services. So we have um, of the 52 individuals that were engaged, 38 um, 
what they identify as no exit interviews were completed. So they started the intake process and they chose not to finish. We have um, 39 that have done an assessment. And this is, I, I put the um, initials because it's very long. It's a vulnerability index and it's service prioritization decision assistance tool. So they get a score and based on their score, it determines what they're eligible in services through the office of supportive housing. But also in addition to um, trying to complete the assessment, provide services to the individuals, we also give them DMV vouchers so they can get their California IDs. We do uplift passes, which are um, the universal pass for um, transportation for individuals who are experiencing homelessness. And we have um, shelter beds that we contracted through our agreement with Home First. The shelter is located in San Jose, but we have had six homeless individuals accept beds since we started the program in June. The pilot program is $500,000. And um, one of the considerations for council that will come before you through the budget process is a consideration to continue the program for another year or longer, depending on your decision. Next slide. So we have case or study issue um, OCM 22-02, which is to investigate potential locations, funding and outreach for overnight warming centers in the city of Sunnyvale during inclement weather. I presented um, a study session on October 25th to receive direction from council. So the council direction was to investigate pop-up warming centers, to look at the use of the Kiefer Road property, which is a warehouse space we purchased um, from Sunnyvale Community Services, and then to look at a partnership with the county to provide um, staff support and supplies. Next slide. So we reached out to the county of Santa Clara and um, I spoke with their Office of Supportive Housing at this point in time, they don't have staff support for a pop-up shelter program, and they don't have money in their budget to provide um, supplies for our pop-up warming center. Um, they did give me a referral to three nonprofit agencies, and I reached out to those three um, nonprofit agencies. Two of them um, immediately responded and said they don't have the expertise or the staff capacity for a pop-up warming center. And the third agency I spoke with, um, I spent about an hour in a meeting with them going over our program. And um, this really isn't something they do, but they, they indicated they would take it under consideration. And then I haven't heard back from them. I, I did tell them, you know, if, they, if the answer was no, I would graciously, graciously accept that. But it, it would be nice just to get a response one way or the other. So we knew um, which direction we had available to us moving forward. Um, we researched the Kiefer property. Um, Kent and I met with um, Chip and Shireen, our property manager. We did a walkthrough of the location. I went a second time and did a second view of the property. Um, and there are some issues. Um, first, we don't have um, heat in that warehouse space, so we would have to heat it. Um, there are some concern with um, some of the locations of our electrical 
um, panel box and security alarm system. So there may have to be um, some additional construction modifications. Um, the building um, location is a warehouse, so there's some concern with ventilate, um, heating and insulation. In addition, um, I reached out to our um, to our community development department and talked to our chief building official. And we're actually changing the use once we um, house individuals in that location, even on a temporary basis. So it becomes a mixed use uh, facility and would require uh, more ins uh, insulation, sprinklers, and potentially some firewalls. That is the latest on the Kaifer Road property. We could continue to further um, explore that. I think it would be um, an expensive endeavor um, to make it um, something that we could keep individuals housed for a period of time. And I would say very expensive for a pop-up event and um, probably if the council wanted to expend funds that are necessary for this location, it would probably be better suited for a, a temporary warming center that was a longer duration than a few weeks out of the year. Um, and in, in addition, um, we still need to address the staffing um, that would be needed, needed to support um, a warming center. Um, and if the um, nonprofit agencies aren't available to support us, we would have to look internally to have having our own staff provide that service. Next slide. So we've um, focused on homeless locations. We've used our relationship with Home First to give us a, a sense of where the um, homeless encampments are. We do get a lot of communication from our community advising us of homeless locations, especially when they pop up in our neighborhoods or they're encroaching on some of our sidewalks and roads. Um, most recently in the last six months, we focused on the Sunnyvale Office Center and the library. Um, this is going to be a construction site as we demolish the Sunnyvale Office Center. We fenced that area off. We do have a few encampments that have remained outside of the fencing area, but we are going to have to expand that um, slightly just to make it a safe place for um, the demolition of those buildings to occur. We had an encampment at Lakewood Park that had popped up, I believe during COVID. Um, we did go through a cleanup and um, relocated those individuals. Um, unfortunately, they didn't accept um, shelter services from us. Um, we're not sure where they've um, landed at this point. I do know that Helping Hands had offered them um, motel stays. And then I heard that a minister, a local minister had also um, extended their motel stay for several more um, for days. So, so they did receive some temporary shelter. And then we have our Caltrain station. Um, we had several individuals at, at Caltrain. Um, we've been working with um, Sam Trans to update our garage hours. Unfortunately, before we've been able to get an agreement in place with Sam Trans, we did have a fire. Um, at the Caltrans, Caltrain station um, caused by one of the homeless um, encampments there at that facility. Um, I am learning from the Department of Public Safety. They are concerned 
about homeless um, taking up an encampment on the stairwell because the elevator currently doesn't operate and that's the only um, emergency exit for that location. So we will be focusing on the Caltrain station um, encampment in the very near future. Uh, the one individual that currently remains is a veteran. He, he is eligible for benefits. He um, has self-selected to remain at that location. Next slide. So we do have a council study issue that's pending. It'll be coming before you at your um, study issues budget proposal workshop, which is OCM 23-01, evaluate funding, a full-time position to address homeless concerns in the city of Sunnyvale. Next slide. So this is um, a slide that Connie will go over. Thanks, Terry. Um, and you will notice that the slide up on the screen is different than the slide in your book. And the reason for that is that this is a very um, new um, project and very preliminary. Um, this is a site that is owned by the city over at the intersection of Fair Oaks um, 237 in Java. Um, we were approached by Life Moves and John Sobrato um, to potentially look at that site. Um, the state, and I apologize, I'm assuming all of us are familiar with Home Key, the state grants that allowed for um, affordable housing. Um, th there is discussion and thought that the state is going to release a third round of, of Home Key um, funds. And the idea is, uh, the projects that are going to be um, eligible for it are, are those projects that are uh, not shovel ready, but have identified, have a location, have the partners, and are ready to go. And the way that um, the previous grant applications have been doled out is that the, the state announces the date, people submit their applications, and they start processing, processing them as they receive them. So it's really first in line, first get served. Um, so Home First and John Sobrato has approached us and said, hey, let's look at potentially identifying this site um, where we think we might be able to fit up to 100 um, units on this area. It is very preliminary discussions. We just um, started meeting with them, but we wanted to bring it to council um, as part of this discussion to determine if there's council interest um, and uh, recommending that staff move forward and start allocating resources because, you know, this is an, an easy project and we don't have staff dedicated that are specifically working on housed, um, unhoused issues. So any project that gets um, absorbed, staff is going to have to figure out how to reallocate the resources and figure out maybe what other priorities or, or what other projects we're currently working on. Um, to be able to start working on this. And this is a heavy lift because we haven't done it before. Other cities that have, you know, that did it the first and second phase, they had a lot of, um, they don't even have lessons learned because it sort of kept changing. So what they learned may not be the same as to, for the same process when we apply. Um, there's also needs to be a very robust community engagement. That is something that we have learned from our other um, 
neighboring communities that, that have started similar projects like this, sometimes there's a lot of pushback. And as soon as um, neighborhoods uh, are informed that this is a project, it's just, it requires a lot of staff resources and time to do a very good engagement and understand what the um, neighborhood concerns may be for that. Um, so again, we're presenting it to council to ask for feedback and direction as to this is something that the council would like staff to start um, allocating and spending staff resources. Next slide. Okay, so where do we wanna be? So options include all or some of the following. Extend the one-year pilot program for case management and shelter beds for 23-24 fiscal year. Explore additional funding and staffing options for a warming center, either pop-up or short-term. And prepare project home key application for the Fair Oaks Java property and begin to outreach. And in big white letters, yes to any one of these projects requires the addition of staff resources. <laughs> so, so I wanted to just add a, a comment on that. And the good news is, see, if you say yes, then one of those study issues that said, should we add a staff person? You won't have to deal with that because uh, the answer will be yes. We won't have to study it. Um, it. So if particularly the most pressing of these is the home key application, we have to get prepared. Um, it's complex. Um, the long-term financing will be challenging. And to get started, if you say, yeah, we're interested, let's let's explore it more. You're not making a final decision, but if you say, let's explore it more, um, I will come back to council um, within a month uh, to add a full-time management level position for homeless services. And then you'll have to decide, yes, you want to spend the money on it or, or no, you don't. Um, but that would get us in a, in a much better position to be competitive. The fact that we do own a piece of land that looks suitable for a project like this is a huge advantage in competing for that state funding. Um, the other thing that would start is community outreach. And when that starts, I think you all have awareness that some of your constituents uh, may speak with you about it more uh, in pro and con, both. Um, and so really the, uh, the question about uh, Continuing our pilot will be a budget question, so that's not an answer we need today. Uh, but the home key application is a process uh, we would need to get started on soon to position ourselves well for uh, to compete for a grant. Okay, so everybody okay there, clear there on the scope of the feedback, and I'll just put it back on that slide since as uh, city manager said, this is where the priority focus is for the feedback here. So um, everybody okay here and giving feedback? Um, who'd like to get a Sean, start? Can I, I, Please. I'd like to ask some clarifying questions of the city manager. Yes, Ken, yes. Do you need a motion on the um, Barrow's Java thing, home key? Um, I, I don't necessarily need a motion today unless there's a mixed reaction. If there's a bunch of different opinions, <laughs> I would prefer a motion and clear direction. Um, if, if, the council, if there's a council consensus, again, I will come back with a formal item where you, you would be asked to approve staffing. You'll have to vote on that. So let's see how it goes. Yeah, I got it. Sean, I know Larry has his hand raised as well. Oh, yes, okay. 
Oh, I, 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 I still have the floor. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Yeah. I thought you had the one question. That's okay. So finish up, council member. So just, no. a, just a thought. I think, Sean, you need to turn off the clock for this one. So okay. Kent is looking for direction. Yeah. And then part of the important job of council is the deliberative process. And that's not facilitated by a clock. Very so good. I, thank you. Okay, we, uh, I'll, I'll jump in as well. I think we can turn off the clock, but I will try and keep us to the to the schedule as best we can. Sure. And uh, uh, Mayor Klein. Sure, thank you very much. And, and I just wanted to kick this off because um, I've been spending a lot of time in different areas. And, and, for, and for one thing, Terry, I want to thank you for your efforts and this, you know, the, the issues of unhoused within our, within our neighborhoods have affected multiple departments, you know, chip and, and chief. And, you know, this is, this is a big, a big effort that has been undertaken in many ways and is beyond the quote unquote pilot program that we defined, you know, a year ago or, or the, you know, dealing with the Fair Oaks unhoused that program a year before that. Um, it's, it is, you know, critical from from a community standpoint of of how we can get people housed and so to me you know looking at the pop-up warming center to me that's a stopgap problem um <clears throat> i do think you know terry from my standpoint continuing to you know work with service providers trying to find somebody that will do that emergency um emergency pop-up whether or not and and i don't think that redoing all of the Kaifer location makes a lot of sense. You know, we do have park buildings around the city that that are heated that we can actually utilize if we find a service provider. And I will be talking to the county, uh, our county supervisors yet again. It's disappointing to hear that that the county says that they don't have any money. Um, and I understand providing services, they don't have staff. And that's why we're looking for service providers to partner with. And then conceivably between us and the service providers and the county funding, which Supervisor Lee has said in the past that he's happy to, to help carve out this pilot program, to me, I think is critical. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I think um, continuing to spend at time and effort on that uh, makes sense. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, for me, um, it's to create transitional housing, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, I don't, I don't think that that you know the warming centers will be a perfect solution. That being said, for the for the critical extreme weather events that we have during the winter times every season, which we've had multiple this year already, uh, this is a possible solution. So, so for me, you know, Terry, keep going or. And we'll get to, you know, what what council decides from from that standpoint. But but if we add a resource, um, that's that's one of the tasks that I think that they need to do. You know, in in touching base on that study issue, and I don't want to go too much on that. But Terry, you know, you being the center point for Sunnyvale Community Services, downtown streets, um, helping hands, other other service organizations that have been helping out. You know, this is this is critical and shows that that, you know, I'm sure you, you know, you're doing a phenomenal job, but there's a lot on your plate because of that. So, so I think, you know, this, this kind of leads us down a path to a certain degree. And then as far as the Fair Oaks Java site, you know, I think 
in talk, whether or not it's life moves for somebody else, you know, thanks for, you know, John Sobrato meeting with me and, and staff trying to uh, get this project going. You know, I, I think having a life move site, having a, a home key site, home key funded site in Sunnyvale is one of the best things we could do, you know, having more control of transitional housing, you know, the, the congregate shelter bed at Hamlin is, is good. I'm happy that it's 20. I'm, I'm happy that it's, you know, uh, year round now and the beds have increased slightly, but, you know, as we heard in Tuesday night's meeting, there are still issues as far as that's concerned at that location. Home first is handling it. The County is handling it, but we have no control on who goes there. And to me, that that's one of the that's the biggest drawback of yes, we have a shelter in our in our midst, but we have no real control to deal with that. So so having you know something on city land, um, much like we're doing permanent housing at at Iowa and Matilda and Charles, having transitional housing you know location on our on our on our property on city property would make a big difference. And so so from my standpoint. Yes, Kent, you know, if that's the direction that you're looking for, you know, yes, we need to look at these grants, whether or not we get them this first year, but moving forward to get this shovel ready to make sure that we can start looking at other funding options. You know, we're not sure what the what the state budget's going to be looking like to this year. You know, we talked about the big deficit and, you know, and the governor put out a preliminary plan. That being said, he didn't remove project home key from that. So, so we'll see where the budget goes at the end of the day, but I am, you know, I'm a big um, advocate that we should be moving forward with this. You know, it's, it's the right thing to do from a city standpoint. You know, you look at, you look at several of the cities around us and they've been well-timed as far as that's concerned um, to get facilities like this. And I think, you know, this would be a, a feather in the cap for Sunnyvale. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Good, thank you, Mayor Klein, and we'll go to Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you, uh, and first off, I'll start by saying uh, thank you to both the mayor and the city manager for prioritizing this as uh, one of the strategic topics for this afternoon. I really think, uh, especially based off of the course of the last year, this is something that our residents have shown is such an important issue. And I, I hope that to our residents that are either watching this right now or watch it later, you're seeing that us as a council are taking it with that level of seriousness. Um, and then take, thank you to Terry for the, or sorry, to assistant manager uh, for the presentation and for the work on it. Uh, before we jump, I jump into this topic of the Faroes and Java site, I did have a couple other questions uh, just on the topic of, uh, you know, the unhoused in general and within our city. Uh, the first is, is there a set notification process in place uh, for letting council know when a sweep is going to occur or there's any potential for something like that? So we have not set up a formal process of engaging council when we're doing an encampment cleanup. Some of the larger encampments, uh, Lakewood Park, I believe we did provide you a notice, but we do have some um, that are that are much smaller, um, but we can establish a process where we're notifying you. We don't do it often. Um, we usually focus more on when a site is identified, having Home First go out and make um, contact with them. I'm gonna be experiencing what I've watched Councilmember Mellinger do all day, which is share the microphone between me and staff as we talk. 
Um, no, definitely. I appreciate that. And I, I think from my end, at least that would be something I'd be interested in seeing. And I'd be curious to hear from my colleagues as well, um, just to be kept in the loop as those things are happening, because I know mm -hmm. how important it is to the community. Um, and then another question I have is, is this, does the city get engaged in any way when other agencies or other governmental entities are doing their own sweeps within our area? I know that recently uh, Water, Valley Water even tried to do it. And I remember seeing their notice when I was out visiting one of the uh, encampments. So do they, is there anything in place where they have to notify us or we can get involved and if it's happening and maybe you know, we're worried about the outcomes of the timing of it. Is there anything from a, a city standpoint that the city can do about that? So it was Valley Waters property. So there really isn't a lot we can do, but they did reach out and ask for our support. Um, and our support was having a Department of Public Safety presence at that location. Um, they did communicate with the council of their cleanup. They did notify us probably a week or two ahead of time. It wasn't a significant amount of, of notice of their cleanup. Um, they were cleaning out the space and reinforcing um, the fencing to hopefully um, eliminate the unhoused from going back into their property. Home First already goes to that location and does outreach with those individuals. Some of those individuals are the same that went through our motel program when we did the modernization at Fair Oaks Park. They aren't interested in um, permanent housing or participating in the case management. So it's difficult um, to provide services to those individuals, but, but Home First does still continue on a regular basis to make contact with them. Um, unfortunately, I'm not sure um, where those individuals finally um, relocated to. I know there were um, some shopping carts at Fair Oaks Park and those might be a couple of individuals that were um, from the encampment. But um, our support with Valley Water was um, public safety and case management. Thank you. No, I, I really appreciate the information. And, um, you know, if I guess if there are future discussions around it, I think I would also really be interested in hearing more from staff and down the line about even uh, something like that being included in updates to council too. If uh, Valley Water or any other entity were to do something like that, I would definitely love to uh, receive information about it. Um, and then going into uh, the topic of the Pharaoh slash Java city owned site, uh, I think one question I had first though is just from a high level in the way that home key works. Um, I know we've heard a lot about it and, uh, but just to really like a, make sure I'm on the, the same wavelength. Um, it, how, what exactly is the, the structure of the program? Is it cities can just apply and get funding for any kind of project that's related to it, or it's a very specific types of ones. I remember in the past, it's been home key funding has been used for things like renting out motels and using that as shelters. So how prescribed is it? Uh, and what does that look like from just a general and quick high level? I, I I can take Sorry, it. I'll, I'll start. No, I'll start. I was looking at Kent, but uh, I'll take it, and then Kent uh, might be able to fill in some of the gaps if I miss any. Um, it's a state-funded program that primarily funds uh, construction. Um, so, you know, some uh, cities applied for motel conversions, um, but those we had looked at that previously at a high level and doing hotel conversions actually cost more than ground up, um, just because of different 
you know, building um, issues that might, might arise from an older building or just the way you configure the site. But Home Key, um, for the past awards, and there's big assumptions, right? Because the home, this will be the a, a different round of grants. So we don't know if they're gonna change it or, or, or keep the same criteria that they did in the past, but it's primarily for construction. And there's a, a maximum amount that they'll give you based on different criteria, the size of the project, um, the type of housing that you're going to be um, providing, um, the levels of, of income that people might qualify for different um, housing. Uh, and again, but it's capped at a certain amount for construction. And then cities um, would have to apply and then fill the gap. And this is where the gap is for operations. And what most cities found, um, at least in the, the past applications that we saw, is that there's still a gap in construction because even though the construction amount that the state provides, um, it is not enough to um, cover the cost, especially in the last three years, because construction costs have increased anywhere from, you know, 10% up to 40%, depending on um, certain uh, construction materials. A couple other things I'd add, and, and we've been learning more about this program. And, you know, the saying pretty structured, I think is a good way to describe it. <laughs> um, if you do accept the funding from the state, and it can be large amounts, I mean, it can be 25, $35 million. Um, but that's how much it costs to build 100 units. Um, you have to commit to operate the facility for 15 years. And that commitment is from the applicant, which must be the city. So we can partner with an operator like Life Moves. We can, we can bring other you know, funding sources uh, together potentially, but we have to commit to operate it for 15 years. Um, and for the first seven years, you need a very detailed financing plan on exactly where's all that money gonna come from. And so that's one of the challenges I think is the long-term operating. Typically the home key grants have been used by cities upfront to pay a good percentage or all of the construction costs. They have, there's a limit per unit. Uh, so it, it favors smaller units that are less expensive to build so you can get more of them. Um, it also, uh, one of the requirements that's very aggressive is uh, you have to build it in one year. So if we, if we apply for this grant and get it, it's do it right now. And we, so we have to structure this um, with partners that could move very quickly. It's not public. Chip wouldn't have to do it because it. <laughs> it's not it's not low bid, you know, construction that that takes much longer than that. Um, it's also the way this is conceived. It's modular construction. It's fabricated off site. Uh, it's then stacked up and but it is um, fully accessible. There's elevators and it meets code requirements and and, and that sort of thing. Um, so it, it's very structured and Connie and I have had numerous meetings with Life Moves to really learn more about it. Um, I've toured the facility in Mountain View. There's others that are under construction and, and in planning and design around our immediate area. So um, Life Moves is very experienced in uh, delivering these types of projects. And so we appreciate their knowledge and, and uh, but there's a whole bunch of rules. Thank you. I, I think that actually really helped quite a bit with getting me onto the same page. Uh, so I'll, I'll wrap up quickly because I know, you know, we're obviously time's not something we have too much of right now. But uh, I think 
I'll say in no uncertain terms that I would be very interested in seeing the city move forward with exploring this kind of grant and this opportunity. Uh, you know, we hear a lot of people that uh, don't want to see these kinds of encampments, you know, across the city. But you can't uh, not you can't not have encampments and then also not pursue ways to have shelters like this or move forward like this. You really can't have your cake and eat it too. So I think it's well within our best interest, the best interest of the city, and in the best interest of, I think, even our residents by and large to have these kinds of opportunities explored. So uh, I would be really interested in seeing this move forward. Thank you. Very good. Thank you, Vice Mayor Dean. And we'll go to Council Member Cisneros next. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all so much. And thank you for taking off the time, the timer. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but first, sorry, Sean, yeah. could you go one slide back? Yeah. Oh, yeah, good idea. Thank you. Um, first, I would like to just kind of issue a reminder, and, and I know it can be kind of hard to conceptualize Forward. it. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but our unhoused residents, those who are in Sunnyvale, uh, housed on the streets in our shelters, or living in RVs or cars are all Sunnyvale residents, just like everyone else. They have the right to vote in our city. They could they vote for city council. They, uh, they have a lot of the same rights and responsibilities as a housed resident. So when I look at this, this is a very important resident service to a very vulnerable subsection of our residents. They're not outsiders, they're, they're here. So just like any of us. So first I like to, to point out and say, I, I'm really glad to see the Home First uh, project go through that pilot. Um, really great work. And uh, if I can ask a question, and I, remind me, what are the resources that the Home First team provides? The resources, so they, um, so, you know, Office of Supportive Housing through the county is the one that manages the um, housing, temporary and permanent housing. So they'll get them um, signed up for that assessment to see if they can qualify for housing. They'll get them connected with BA benefits if they're eligible for benefits. They're getting them the uplift passes, the um, California ID through the um, voucher. Um, they have access to a lot of services if the individuals are interested. I even know when we used Home First for the motel program, they brought in um, dental and medical coverage um, for those individuals. In, in helping establish relationships, they'll bring them toiletries and other types of um, items that will benefit them um, in their current situation. So they've done that in the past. We've also connected Home First with Helping Hands to see if um, they can help each other out. Um, in some cases, Helping Hands may have a relationship with particular individuals that are unhoused and they can kind of connect, right? That relationship and help build that credibility um, and allow individuals to be responsive to home first services. Yeah, and, and that's fantastic. And, and I'm so happy that we were able to spend the year doing that. And just as a note, a lot of these individuals, I mean, it's very traumatic to be unhoused. And so there's a lot of mistrust with institutions and a lot of fear. And it takes a lot of time and work for that home first team to go out and build that relationship, bringing them things, and then eventually helping get them into services. Um, but I, I think this year, what this has shown me very plainly is that uh, we took a year at this more light touch program uh, helping, which has been impactful, but that if we are to be serious about confronting uh, homelessness and supporting the unhoused in our community, we're going to have to do more. And that's going to cost money. But think of it, of, of it this way. We spend money supporting our house residents, right? 
they have uh, homeowner uh, and mortgage deductions on their taxes. We make sure that they have you know, trees in front of their yard and that they have adequate water services. So we spend a lot of money on them too. This is just a different category of spending on resident services in my mind. So in order to continue to build those services, I think that especially since we're looking at not only doing what we're doing now, but expand into really big projects like a, potentially a home first project and putting like working on uh, doing the pop-up or, or a Kuiper location that I think it would be really appropriate to have a full-time person. Because as much, I, I know Terry, you have a lot to do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm sure uh, talking to these stakeholders and doing all of that, I'm sure you wish you could spend more time on it. Uh, but I think that it would be well within, if we want to take this on, let's get somebody whose whole job is <laughs> to take those meetings and explore those avenues. Continue to work with the county, they'll have money. All right, where's the money next year? Help me get in line first and have somebody there to build that relationship with those organizations so that we're top of mind when they get new resources. That's key to be able to access uh, what we need in order to uh, reach our goals here. Um, so, you know, on top of that, I, I would really like to um, explore both the keeper option, continue to do that. And there's a big reason. So I know that we have uh, these parks and we have heating in the parks facilities that could be much more convenient, less expensive. However, when we move this project into a more predominantly residential single family hope neighborhood, the political viability of this project goes through the floor. It becomes so much harder to get that community buy-in and not completely tank every political career on this council by putting one of those right there in the middle of the neighborhood. So being able to actually put it, have it go to fruition may take more money, but that's politically viable to have it somewhere that we've had homeless, uh, homeless services in the past. Um, and then I think we would be remiss not to take advantage of this op home key opportunity and work as hard as that as hard as we can to get those resources to have, I think it's great that we now have modular building uh, for, for these facilities. I've visited also the Mountain View location and they're like shipping containers that have been modified. It, it's a lot cheaper than it was, you know, say five, 10 years ago. So I don't, but I do want more information on what kind of population they'll serve. So we have the Santa Clara Home Key Project that's proposed for families and women specifically. So before we do community outreach on any of this, I want us to have all of our facts completely straight so that we can answer questions because this is a unique topic. There's a lot of bias against the people we're supporting, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of fear. And you know, we even have the mayor of Los Angeles going out and saying, we can never really confront homelessness because it's a drug addiction problem. Well, that's about 15% of the population that's unhoused that has a drug issue. So we need to combat against all that misinformation and all this misunderstanding. And that means having all of our ducks in a row and a solid plan to communicate to our residents. Because I don't wanna say, I don't know. I don't know if this is like a drug treatment facility, you know? Um, that's gonna be important to the political viability of any of this. And on that topic, I actually would love to see if we can get another partner instead of Life Moves. And perhaps I can share it with uh, staff personally why I think that, but if there's any way we can search for another one, I would like it to be competitive because I would have <coughs> concerns about that facility for reasons I will not mention publicly. Um, let's see. So, oh, so, so we're exploring RV parking as part of our housing goals and in our housing element to do this. And a big part of the reason why uh, a lot of unhoused people won't take advantage of shelter opportunities 
is for the same reason why you or me or anyone in this room might hesitate moving out of their communities, right? It's, they know that situation. They're familiar with it. They often have support systems or people nearby that they trust. And so getting them to move communities is a hard step. And so thinking of that, and even if we built all of the best case scenarios in these plans, you would not have adequate room to support it and not support the people who are there. So I'm not gonna bring it up now and propose it as a study issue, but, and I know we've discussed it before and it didn't go well, but a sanctioned encampment where individuals who would otherwise be in our Caltrain station, somebody who served our country lives in a Caltrain station, that's not okay. Having them in a specific area that isn't built up like a shelter to receive services from our home first team, make it easy to get there and also be around their uh, safe community people that would, could be helpful. So as we could do this discussion, I'm not gonna propose that now, but it's something that I think may be appropriate at some time as we go through this to see if we have, if we're taking advantage of these opportunities, but to have that uh, capacity to support them. Uh, is there anything else you need for me? No. Okay. We're good. Thank All you. right. I didn't have a lot of questions this time. I had a lot of opinions. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Um, if anything else comes up, I'll, I'll email staff. Very good, council member Seller. Okay, thank you for this. And as you saw the other night, um, how much the community, when they um, talk about the need, uh, they talked about um, schools being impacted. Every school in Sunnyvale, the school board trustees said that every school we have homeless kids and we have extra staff. And so it's permeating the whole community, encampments and parks. You move the encampment from Lakewood and then another encampment shows up with the same people there. So it's pervasive. And I'm a big believer in solving the problem instead of pushing it around. So um, I think um, having someone that's a full-time staff in Sunnyvale uh, would be good uh, because that person would build up the relationships, the knowledge, the, uh, you know, chief know, would he be able to call them, uh, you know, and be able to know what to do with the unhoused and know what's the best service and where to go. Um, you know, there'll be this grant opportunity, there's other grant opportunities too. So there's multiple benefits of having someone on staff that's not Terry or not Connie, so that you can focus on doing other stuff that is so important to the city. Um, the, uh, I've actually, in Sunnyvale, a couple of years ago, there used to be this program, which it was like a rotating shelter in which um, uh, different uh, churches would host unhoused people. And it was heartwarming to uh, go to their end of the year dinner and they had success stories of people moving on, people getting the help they need and getting resources and moving on with their lives. So I do believe that if people get the resources, they can move on, but they need to get that little help to get the resources. And as um, Council Member Cisnero said, uh, you verified that these are Sunnyvale residents. So um, I like that aspect of it. The other thing I'm thinking is that we have this safe RV parking. I was on the Housing and Human Services Commission. And so about two or three years ago, we had the housing um, plan. And one of the plans that we authorized and the city council approved was having safe RV parking. and. Um, there's parking in which churches team with the cities and have safe RP programs. So I was just thinking that if we have this, um, this dedicated full-time person, then maybe those programs can move faster. And I've read that families 
60% of the people in the RV programs are families and families are, you know, children, homeless children are some of the most vulnerable. So if their families are able to get into that situation quicker, then that would be great. And um, the other thing is as a Housing and Human Services um, Commissioner, um, I saw the progression of the programs and there used to be like separate programs it seemed like in there and then they decided to make it um, more efficient and have uh, one organization uh, delegate out some of the services they would work with not and that was Sunnyvale Community Service was chosen as the umbrella organization and that they would work with other nonprofits to do the aspects that the nonprofits would uh, work on and and the Housing and Human Services Commission staff seemed like they did that because they studied what would make this program more efficient and um, it would so I and Sunnyvale Community Services has had a long term um, relationship with Sunnyvale City of Sunnyvale and we trust them, so I would hope that. Um, that they would be a trusted advisor in this in this path for going. Um, and yeah, I reiterate again, I'm a believer in long term solutions, and so I support uh, the full time person and. In that respect, I would support that full-time person looking for grants to support these resources. Thank okay, you. yes, that's it. Very good. Okay, council member, you're up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mayor, City Manager, and Taylor for a wonderful job. This is a critical issue. Having served on the board of Sunnyvale Community Services and also helped the helping hands, I know this for a fact. Housing, uh, homelessness doesn't discriminate. Anybody can become homeless. It's, it just takes one or two major events. It could be health reasons or any of the life changes. So having said that, this is a critical, critical issue we need to look into. Uh, one of the things I wanted to look uh, address is, you mentioned about the Womki uh, project on Fair Works and Java, which will cater to about 100 uh, families or 100 beds or something like that? We said it'd be, but the, the drawing that we presented and just preliminary drawing concept plans potentially would be up to 100 units, yeah. but, but we haven't settled on that yet. Again, okay. very preliminary. So my question is that plus safe uh, uh, parking, what kind of percentage of announced we can house them or is that a number we can look into or is that the 50% of the population or 100% or what exactly are we looking at? Our, our population of homeless um, based on 2022 counts is um, a little over 300. So it probably wouldn't serve everybody at the Project Home Key site if that's what we did. But it could, um, you know, to incorporate that with safe parking, it, it could um, reach a much higher number than what we have available today. Okay, got it. But I the know other thing, if I could, sorry. if I could chime in, um, a project like this and in, in the model that Life Moves uses yeah. is that um, this is short-term housing. Yes. It's Correct. not permanent Transition housing. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. their their goal is to transition people yes. to permanent yeah. housing. In some cases, reunite with family members, 
there's multiple ways that people could live at a project like this for a period of time and move on to a, a stable, uh, permanent housing situation. That's the goal. So over yep. time, people cycle through. Correct. It's not static where people move in, that's it, it's full, sorry. Um, right, that's what I heard. It's a transitional housing option, right? <coughs> yes. So uh, the question I have is then the, the uh, we also talked about uh, the six beds home first provides in the warming facility, right? Well, okay, so um, we have shelter beds that would be um, temporary shelter for up to 90 days. And they've had six individuals um, take advantage of the, of the shelter beds that Sunnyvale purchased five shelter beds for the duration of our um, pilot program so that we would have a, a shelter bed as we engage with the unhoused population. They've also um, been able to shelter um, individuals, especially during this recent inclement weather. Um, they sheltered three individuals that didn't go into um, our secured um, beds. They went to other locations. Yeah. Um, so they're so using Home First, they have other resources, so they're able to get um, individuals into some housing outside of of what we've secured for them. Okay. Thank you. And then I also heard that uh, yesterday or this week, last week, uh, this week, Sunnyvale Community Services is sending out volunteers to count the unhoused, right? Right. So that's a point in time count that I, I believe the county um, manages that, but they look yesterday. at Sun Sunnyvale yeah, Community Services to support them in going out. And Home First was part of that. Okay. And then I also heard uh, you reiterated that Helping Hands has got some uh, connection or co contacts with these homeless, uh, some of the yes. unhoused people. Yes, working yes. With and Home Versus reached out to them, and I believe um, they probably have a relationship with Sunnyvale Community Services as well. Okay. And I, and, and I want to say, um, Marie Bernard's email, I thought um, some of the advocates were going to be helping them with the point in Correct. time count. In fact, she sent me yeah. a good personal and, email. And that so, point in time happened yesterday. On yes, it was yesterday. It happened yesterday. Yep. Exactly. So having said that, I fully support a full-time staff. And then this is a full-time opportunity. And then I have seen Sunnyvale Community Services, how much it takes to write grants and obtain grants. And then also monitor grants because certain grants have some specific conditions you need to meet. Otherwise you are in violation. So it requires a full-time staff. I fully support that. I also fully support the permanent solution as my, one all the colleagues have mentioned uh, because it's a, it needs permanent solution. It's not, it cannot be a temporarily house somewhere. So. That's my comment. Very Thank good. you very Thank much. Thank you. So we'll go, yes. And then to uh, Council Member Melton next. All right. So I'm going to say, you know, speaking from the heart here, there is one emotion that I feel overwhelmingly whenever we deal with this issue, and that is shame. Yes. Shame as an American, as a Californian, as a resident of the Bay Area, as a resident of Sunnyvale, all levels of government have failed at this crisis. And Obviously, Sunnyvale is extremely limited in what we can do to address this. This is a crisis that is much larger than our city. But I want to, I want to emphasize that, that this 
that in the richest, one of the richest regions to ever exist in human history, that we have our neighbors living on the streets should fill us all with deep and profound shame. Having said that, I wanna talk about some of the specific things here. So one question I have on the one-year pilot program, do we have success metrics? Um, you know, I'm looking at some of those numbers and, you know, as council member Cisneros pointed out, it takes a while to build these relationships, but those are some fairly small numbers, I have to say. Right. And I'd like to get a sense of, you know, did we have success metrics going into that? Are we meeting them? What so, so I'm going to just share, this is, you know, Terry Silva speaking, uh, one person getting housing is success. That's true. Six people getting into a shelter bed is success. Is it 158 people getting into shelter bed? It is not, but I'm, I will share with you my, my limited experience. There are people who do not want to go into a room with four walls. Mm -hmm. So you can do project home key and you will still have individuals that will choose to stay on the street because they do not want to go into a room with four walls. We had individuals at the Fair Oaks Park Motel program they would take their pillows and blankets and go to Fair Oaks Park and sleep the night there and then come back during the day. So we can do what we can do and success can be measured by each individual and what does success mean? Would I like it to be a higher number? Absolutely. But will it take six months to get 158 people off the streets? No, that's just not enough time. And to be clear, I don't wanna, Obviously, as you said, one person getting housed, six people getting into shelter beds is a success. I'm just looking at all of the things that we have here, and I'm wondering if the if it is, you know, I'm debating whether we want to continue the pilot or whether we want to focus more on the warming center and the home key application. I, I completely understand. I think, um, again, long-term solutions is a better solution if you have the resources fiscally to spend. I would I would say absolutely. And those resources still provide some case management. Those programs are still gonna have case management and they, and they still should be out in the street meeting with individuals and building those relationships and getting them into um, the temporary housing solution that we have available for them. So I don't see the extension of a one-year pilot replacing the project home key. I see it as an enhancement. I see it as a um, extenuation, extension of a service that will build with the project home key. But again, it's your, it's, it's the council's decision on how you want to spend your money and, and what you value mm -hmm. as a service that we provide our residents. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go into a couple other things here. Um, you know, one of the concerns I have with sweeps is that fundamentally it's just pushing the problem around. And sometimes sweeps are necessary. Sometimes there is an encampment in a place where an encampment really cannot be. But, you know, fundamentally, it's not a long-term solution. And, you know, from my understanding, you know, some of the residents from the Lakewood Park encampment ended up in an encampment on San Alesso, which then also had to be swept because it was blocking the sidewalk and spilling into the street. And so now they're going to go somewhere else. And so this gets to something Council Member Cisneros pointed out, which is, I think that we should be looking at a sanctioning, uh, sanctioned encampment site. Maybe not as a study issue this year, but if we're going to sweep people, 
we need to have a place for them to go. And if they're not gonna go inside, as you said, four walls, um, you know, if, if we're gonna say you can't camp here, it would be good if we could say, but you can camp there, right? Um, so on Tuesday night, we heard a lot about the need for a family shelter um, from you know, some of our school district officials and other advocates in the community. Um, that's something I hope that we can look into. Um, and I'm now I'm gonna come to the three questions that you had for us. Um, I would say, first of all, we absolutely need a full-time person on staff for this, 100%. Um, I would say that I'm in favor of extending the pilot program. Uh, bless you, Mr. Vice Mayor. Um, I think we should be looking at the warming center. Uh, the weather that we had over the past month really drives home the need for that. Um, that's, I cannot imagine being outdoors in the storms that we had over the past month. Um, I think that the mayor had a very good point. You know, I do think that we should probably be prioritizing park buildings for this more than the warehouse site with the amount of work that would be required for the warehouse. Yes, many of our parks are in residential neighborhoods, but they're, you know, the park buildings themselves tend to be set back quite substantially. Um, so, you know, but that does leave us the Kiefer site. And one option that we might consider there long term, maybe not this year, is, you know, we might consider that as a future home key site. You know, we do own the land. Um, and lastly, I do support the home key application for Fair Oaks and Java. I think that that is something. You know, I think that would actually be a tremendous boon to our community. I think that would be something that could really, really help move the needle on this. Um, and so, you know, this is something, you know, I'd like to see us, obviously resources is, are constrained. I'm deeply aware of that. But, you know, this is an issue that is quite literally life and death for our residents. And people are dying on the streets because of lack of shelter. You know, they're, even if they're not dying, you can count the years that get taken off their lives. Um, so I am strongly supportive of the full-time position. I am strongly supportive of continuing all three of these initiatives. And I'm supportive of us looking to do even more. So thank you very much. And I yield back. Very good. Council member Melton. Yeah, thank you. close us out on this topic. Please. Yeah, that's a, Richard, that's a, that's a tough act to follow, man. So. Um, I'll do my best here. I, I uh, wanted to express gratitude to Councilmember Mellinger for bringing up something um, that, frankly, I didn't hear discussed a lot, uh, which is about the actual resources that we have to bring to bear and the fact that they're limited. Um, and I, I get it. I, I understand that the majority, the vast majority of the conversation that's been taking place has been talking about the need because the need is deep, it's human, it's real, um, it's compelling. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, the limitation of resources and the trepidation that I feel if staff doesn't put some guardrails on what we're about to embark on. So I guess I'm saying I'm feeling the emotion of trepidation right now. I don't think that staff can tell us on FOIL 183 right now at this point in time, what is meant when it says we'll require major staff and financial resources, except that it's major, right? I think that's as big as the definition can be right now. I feel grateful that um, Terry started off her statement by saying, what we're embarking on today will not solve the problem. And I don't even think 
we could get to a statement of you know what percentage of the issue could be resolved by what we're embarking on today the, the issue is that great and that deep um but i'll try to put some context on it so a headline uh, popped across my news feed earlier this week and somebody did a study the study was what would it take for california to solve the homeless crisis and the headline said the answer is 8.1 billion dollars per year for 12 years 8.1 billion dollars every single year for the next 12 years would solve homelessness and this survey's opinion this study's opinion i didn't even open the article i didn't even read the report i just said to myself yeah that sounds about right so then i thought to myself what is sunnyvale's portion of that 8.1 billion dollars so i took 8.1 billion divided by the total population of california times sunnyvale's population just to get a pro rata assessment by the way that turns out to 30 million dollars a year right i said to myself yeah that that kind of sounds about right and i know people are going to tell me oh wait russ right some of that 8.1 billion comes from the state some comes from the county you're right mayor some of that should come from the county but right the sort of the bottom line right the city that's the bottom line where where our homeless individuals our homeless residents reside yeah, that's 30 million dollars a year so our prorated share of that does the sunnyvale general fund have 30 million dollars a year for the next 12 years to solve homelessness no it does not um so that's my way of expressing the need is great and the resources are limited um, and i would like to focus on the home key project i think um, like we did with the housing study issue back in 2020 when there are many proposals and many ideas it's time to zero in and focus and i think the first place one is the project home key at um, Barrows. So I would focus on that one. Um, here's, here's the thing about starting a new service to our residents is that once you start the service, you can never turn it off or it's very difficult to turn it off. So we're really embarking on a long-term thing here. Um, and I would put forth that as Kent, you and Terry start to define what really is the budgetary impact on this is that council consider instead of embarking on a program of providing direct services as a city service, we can just take more money and allocate it to Sunnyvale community services. We can take the general fund allocation that exists today, Linda, that you know is handled by the Housing and Human Services Commission every year just turbocharge that at least that's a thing that we can control with more of an off on switch than commencing providing direct services um, i think community outreach is going to be critical on this and mayor klein you and i were on council when we were talking about a county homeless thing near victory village central expressway california avenue um, community response to that was intense and deep. Um, then just within the past 18 months, the County of Santa Clara wanted to do something in my district, in District 4 on White Oak Lane. 
um, in the city of Santa Clara, but on what is traditionally the Sunnyvale side of Lawrence Expressway. And the response from the community immediately was intense. It was deep. Um, there was a lot of confusion about the process, which um, I think is something that can be handled better this time around. But I also think um, since resources are limited, Terry, when we're doing the outreach, not only do we need to be prepared to talk about all the benefits, all the operational issues, we need to be ready to have a deep conversation about the cost, the budget, and what we're going to have to sacrifice from the budget. What services are we now not going to provide to start to provide these? And I think that will help the community have a complete understanding of um, what we're embarking on here. Um, thank you, colleagues. Yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> oh, no, I was thinking of it. Oh, very good. Excellent. Okay, um, Kent, do you have the direction that you need on the home key and the staffing issue? Yes, but <laughs> um, so I, I did hear support from every council member to pursue the home key yes. grant to explore it further. Yes. Um, one of the comments that came from council member Cisneros, and I thought it was a good one, is you know we should look at alternative for service providers. It should be competitive. Um, that uh, if you thought this would be easy, it won't be. <laughs> so with, um, we've, we've been talking to life folks and we've made no commitments to them. However, their partner, uh, and Connie mentioned, uh, is John Sobrato, who's informally offered us a donation of $5 million for this project. Um, now he hasn't said if you pick somebody else, I'm out because you know, we had no way to anticipate, you know, how that might work. Um, but that could be the result. Um, I'd also say that doing a competitive process to find a partner in a home key application, it's a four to six months process to do that. So it'll, that doesn't mean, you know, it knocks us out, we won't get it. It means it reduces our chances if home key opens up soon. If it doesn't open up soon, it may not matter. If it opens up soon, our chances diminish to be at the front of that line. Um, generally speaking, when you have competitive processes, you get better results, you get more choices and you can consider different factors. What's really hard is, well, is it worth it? Is it worth it for the time? Is it worth it for the risk of losing a large donation? And I don't know the answer, but I thought we should talk about that. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I thought it was two separate issues. There's home key, which is, it seems like life smooths and John Chabrotto, and then there's a pathway there. And then the other one was the home, is it home first? Is it uh, to continue home. the pilot? And I think that's where um, council members just narrow thought, um, have we actually explored like other options for that? So that, no, no, okay. Mm -hmm. Don't, I, Life, life, yeah, life yeah, moves it, is the partner for yeah. the home key project. I mean, I, no, I mean, life moves is the home key, but separately, there's the pilot one year, mm -hmm. and that's the, the the pilot one year will be a budget decision for the council. So that we have funding currently to take us through the end of June of 2023, and so in your budget, you, you will have an option to extend it, or you could say. Can't I afford guess, 
or, or it didn't produce good enough results. Council or, Member Cisneros mm -hmm. had some reservations with home. No, 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 not with home no. key. I had um, uh, with our well, yes, with our home key with the organization that applies with us. So not necessarily having it be Life Moves, even though they're the ones who are coming to us with Sabrata right now, but to look to see if there are other organizations that oh, could partner with I us. I thought it was a pilot, the um, Home First or whatever. Okay. They're doing a great job. This this communication. Okay. Anyway, Vice Mayor Dean. Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in quickly to what uh, the city manager is asking about. And uh, I will respectfully ask my colleagues to also just let's uh, see if we can rapidly get through it because we are running against the clock. Um, but uh, I, one question I had that I want to start off is, is there a timeline on making that kind of decision? Does it need to happen very quickly? Uh, yeah, we'll start there. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll chime in because um, there's no deadline right now. But the you know there's a ticking clock that we're looking at, and you know everybody anticipates at some point in time, um, uh, the state will say home key three is now open or will become open in 30 days or 60 days or whatever it is. When it opens, um, they accept applications on day one of opening, and as they find applications are acceptable and meet the criteria, they fund them. When they run out of money, they stop funding them. So it's, it's not like a traditional grant where everybody turn in your application and we'll look for the best applications. It's competitive and it's sequential as yes. in terms of how they review applications. So there's a, I feel time pressure, but there's no deadline. And, and the, the thought or, you know, the rumor or thought is that potentially the um, state will say the applications are going to be open in, in, in early July, which means that we'll notify us, you know, in, in early um, June, which is, and it takes us a while to get the application going because there's going to be a few council meetings, study sessions, you know, again, a very heavy lift for staff. So I think this is where Kent and I are feeling the time pressure that, you know, the, the, the time may be shortened. Okay, I appreciate it. Um, I think what I will sort of to go to your question from earlier around how do we want to prioritize these different things where <laughs> I'm at right now is I still think I need a little bit more information. Um, and so uh, my request to the city manager and to the mayor is if this is something that could be brought back to council with more information attached to it, I think that would help a lot because uh, overall my priority would be similar to what you were just saying, uh, which is getting in quick enough that we can get the most out of uh, the grant process. Um, but as to, you know, do we do a competitive bid? What does that mean with, do we lose this opportunity with Sobrato, et cetera, et cetera. From where I'm sitting right now, I just don't know if I have enough information to make such a call. So I would want uh, a little bit more. That's that's my take on I'd love to hear from my colleagues and uh, let's see if we can just do one round each. Good, council member Cisneros. Yeah, and, and just to clarify real quick, I'll kind of jump back to, to why I said that. I have significant concerns about Life Moves ability to staff and maintain a safe facility. I will not go into any more detail unless uh, I, it becomes clear to me that we can't. I can't overcome those concerns, but because we're on a time crunch, I'm gonna accelerate significantly those conversations and try to get to a yes, because that, that would be the easiest option and I hope we're able to do it, but I'll leave it at that. I don't wanna say specifics, but um, we'll get back to that. Very good. And so we're responding to uh, Vice Mayor Dean's suggestion yes, of getting more information back from uh, council. Uh, who would like to go next? Go ahead. Question for the city manager. So the project home key has to be in the state budget. 
which means at least that's my understanding, unless they're going to do a special appropriation for it. If I may, there's um, the, 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 the funds for home key are federal funds, so they may not be able to be used for something else. That's, that's our early understanding. So it may not have an impact in the, in the state budget. Okay. I, what I was thinking of more was along the lines of timeline, right? So the question I have is if this is, and let's assume this is an early July timeline, could we open a competitive bid process now so that we have something in hand come July, or would we have to wait until the home key application process opened before we could open our competitive bid process? We don't have to wait. Um, we, we have to have an identified partner to start the application itself, but we don't have to wait till the state set. I mean, we have to front look. We, we mm -hmm. have to work on the application before the state says it's open. So we, there's risk if the state somehow says there is, there's no such thing as home key three, we're out of money. We could do a lot of work and never get anything. Right. So here's where I'm coming down on this. Um, Kent is right, competitive bid processes generally lead to better outcomes. Um, and I would prefer to do a competitive bid process if possible, but I'm not gonna risk losing out on home key to do it. And so what I would say is that if we're gonna do a competitive bid process, let's open that process tomorrow or as soon as practical so that hopefully, and accelerate that process to the maximal degree possible so that hopefully whenever the state opens its home key process, we have already selected a partner to work with. And if that is not feasible, I would say just go with life moves, but that would be my preference. Okay, very good. Uh, I, I know the mayor has his hand up, and so please jump in, Mr. Mayor. Sure, I'll, I'll be very short. You know, um, first, I agree with Councilmember Cisneros. You know, looking at beyond life moves, you know, we kicked off that effort, let's say, two years ago, and it wasn't the best beginning of that effort. That being said, <clears throat> I would suggest that, that Connie and the city manager talk just to, to John Sobrato and see his interest is, is it only a life move site or are there other providers that he's actually looked at? I've heard issues about staffing and other issues with life moves. That being said, I'm sure they can get through those barriers, but but ultimately let, let's see what let's see what they can do. You know, for me, um, Kent, I appreciate what you talked about earlier about, you know, from a budgetary standpoint, making sure that that. Um, the pilot program is part of the budget, you know, meaning continuing what the home first efforts are, because that will not end, depending either way, uh, either, whatever we're dealing with, with a potential transitional housing site at Java and Fair Oaks. Uh, one of the big things for me is, you know, it's like, yes, we've utilized home first, you know, there's, and, and figuring out data, you know, so definitely collecting that data and getting that feed, feedback is useful and showing, you know, that option of putting, um, making available shelter beds, I think is critical. So, so I do think that that's important. And, and I didn't get feedback on the permanent position. I kind of jumped around the whole idea since I was speaking first, but obviously, you know, having a permanent person here that's looking at home key, let's looking at, you know, home, working with home first, working with downtown streets, Sunnyvale community services, I think is critical, but I'll leave it at that. Um, thank you. Okay. 
uh, Mayor, uh, Vice Mayor Dean's um, uh, question on the table of having staff come back with information, including a consultation with Sobrato and what the results of that would be. Council Member Sell? Um, I've been on Housing and Human Services Commission for two years, and always when we come back to the issue of RFQs and everything, it came out that Housing and uh, Sunnyvale Community Services came up top. Um, so I hope that in this process that we are conferring with them. And I think um, Councilmember Melton suggested a way of being able to turn control this process in terms of could we contract out that full-time person to Sunnyvale Community Services? And so uh, just wondering, and then it wouldn't be us having to get up to speed and hire someone, it would be someone that's already part of this, uh, you know, they go in for federal grants, they've been awarded like millions and millions of dollars from the federal government through uh, Sunnyvale's um, programs, and then we uh, get the money to them. So, so can I comment on Please. that? So the reason the city is managing homeless services is because Sunnyvale Community Services doesn't have the expertise to do that. When we um, had the Fair Oaks Park renovation project, we tried to partner with Sunnyvale Community Services at that point in time. And Bernie, um, Marie Bernard reached out and said, I don't have the expertise, I don't have the staff resources to be um, working with homeless and finding shelter for them because we were trying to find the motel program. Even Marie wrote a letter and supports the city council in hiring somebody on a full-time basis to handle homeless services. To, so um, I appreciate, we give Sunnyvale Community Services a lot of funding, and I think they do a phenomenal job. And what Marie expressed to me, and I don't want to speak for her, but what she has said is we, our goal is to avoid them from get, becoming homeless. Exactly. You know, that that is their goal. And so... Um, for our council to try and, and expand their area of expertise, I think um, would be a far reach for us to take that effort, especially okay. without yeah. having any engagement with them. So, so I just wanted to share my my own experience in working with Home First. I mean, um, Sunnyvale Community Services over the last couple of years on homeless issues. Okay. Okay, um, let's go Thank here you. and then we'll see about uh, yeah. wrapping this up and then to melt. I so. agree with Terry, I was on the board. Uh, SES is about homelessness prevention. Yeah. They are not directly uh, working with homeless, but homeless uh, uh, issue. Uh, having said that, I like uh, what Vice Mayor said, getting more information is always a good idea. But I had one question for, uh, city manager, when we, uh, there must be very finite number of companies or organizations working uh, uh, are responding to these RFPs, right? Is that correct? Or is um, there a big- There pool? would be, there'd be a small group of people we could talk to <laughs> yeah. about operating a facility like this in, you know, in, in our region. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would have, I guess. Because even we can talk to the neighboring uh, cities and then find out what they are doing and then uh, figure it out. That's my suggestion, but then I agree with uh, Vice Mayor getting more information might be a good idea. Okay, Councilmember Melton. Yeah, thank you. Um, so thank you, Councilmember Sell. I, I really appreciate what you just said. Just to, just to clarify, 
I think an alternate for the city of Sunnyvale that I, I want to hold available um, as an alternate to embarking on the provision of direct services, which is what we're talking about here, would be just providing cash to Sunnyvale Community Services or the other excellent service providers, more than outsourcing the service, just increasing the amount of cash that we allocate. Um, getting back to the question of um, life moves, home key, all the names that I'm not recollecting. So when um, the county was talking about White Oak Lane and a home key project there, the contemplated service provider to the best of my recollection was life moves. There was a lot of conversation in the community about um, the perceived shortcomings of life moves and a lot of people pointed to a facility they have in Milpitas. So I feel like I've kind of heard uh you know good parts of the story although the vice mayor also seems to have information um i've probably heard enough to just stick with life moves but then also kent is going to be finding out some additional information yeah. and i'll i'll keep an open mind very good thank you so i'm hearing consensus for uh staff to collect more information to bring back to council um, do we have a sense about what that what it is that council is looking for information wise? Well, a couple of things. I think you know what we can move forward on immediately is creating the job description. So working on the full time staff. So that's gonna um, that's gonna keep Tina busy for a little while. But we can start on that right away. Okay. Very good. Um, and then I think certainly. Um, in terms of additional information about if we had a competitive process yeah. for a partner for a home key grant application, does that jeopardize our relationship with Mr. Soprato? Does it not? Does he work with other groups? How are they? That sort of thing is that initial conversation and then perhaps looking at the landscape of what other service providers are in the Bay Area that provide these, these types of services. Is there anything else, just real quick, council members, that would be helpful to you in your deliberations? Those do seem like the major questions that were circulating around the table here. Okay, hearing none, I think we can close out. Are we okay closing out this segment here? Okay, so I'm looking at the clock and um, I think we need a break. Uh, um, I'm hearing five minutes. Okay. Um, I, I'm saying let's, I think we should do a recess until 3.45. Till 3.45, okay. So we're, we will reconvene at 3.45 and that is the open discussion with council on the priorities, council priorities.
city manager's not here, so. And the mayor's not there either. Or mayor. Okay, we are ready to reconvene for the last segment of the day, and we're at the point on the agenda, which is discussion on council priorities. And so there are the six priorities, and we've been calling them out throughout the day. The staff presentations around the focus areas address the council priorities. And uh, let me get my clicker here. And so the questions on the table for uh, council here for this next segment are, are these priorities, are those six priorities still relevant and meaningful? What is council's preference for each of the priorities for 2023? Keep on the list, make changes, take off the list. What are going, what are council, the council priorities for 2023 going to be? So that's our that's our focus here. Any questions around that? And so this is uh, we uh, we don't have a timer. This is going to be more of a, a free flowing conversation. Just raise your hand, and I'll remember to call on the the mayor as well, and uh, give us your sense. Let those questions be the guide, and give us your sense about whether or not these priorities are still relevant and meaningful, and what you see for 2023 keep on the list take off the list make changes to the priorities what is your sense here going forward okay get us started can we go back to the list of six please yes so the thing that really leaps out here to me and this is what i'd like to start the conversation about is on downtown sunnyvale i think we are approaching the point where we can plausibly declare victory on downtown sunnyvale as it were. Uh, this priority was added several years ago after our downtown had been in limbo due to legal cases and fallout from the Great Recession for the better part of a decade. You know, there was a rusting parking structure that had just been out there exposed to the elements for years. Um, you know, at this point, the major construction is ongoing. Most of the major planning work, you know, Block 20 is coming back, but you know, that uh, if I'm remembering the map right, that was one of only, I think, two sites left that still needed to be planned. Um, you know, part of the word strategic, strategic means long term, and it feels like we're really getting close to done here. And I'm not saying that we're not going to finish the work on downtown Sunnyvale, but that this is coming down to more tactical rather than strategic. So I'd like to get a sense from my colleagues about whether it, we should consider taking downtown Sunnyvale off the list. Very good. Council Member Cisneros. Yeah, thank you. And, and thank you, Council Member, um, for that comment, because I agree with you. I think we are winding down on that is, it, is terms of, in terms of being a major priority. I think we still have the one more year. Hmm. And I think we still have one more year on this one. And that is because we want to open up the street to pedestrians and ban cars from the street. That, as it turns out, is a logistical nightmare. Uh, it's ex an expensive logistical nightmare. So it's going to take uh, significant resources to figure out if that even gets done. Because the sense I get 
is businesses do not even want it close to cars if it's going to cost them that much money to keep it open. It doesn't pencil with their businesses. So I think that for another year, we're still going to have to work on downtown Sunnyvale uh, and keeping it open to pedestrians close to cars is the thing that I think Sunnyvale residents agree on more than like anything. It's like over 90% want that closed. And so I think we should honor that and keep that for another year. That would be my preference. And then evaluate that next year because we may be done with the major major things, but I think we're really in the home stretch there. Very good. So let's just stay on downtown. Um, let's just stay on that and get any other thoughts around the table. Yes. Yeah, uh, no, I'll do something different, Sean, but I, I hear where you're coming from. I'll, I'll start off just the general conversation by saying I have a, having worked with the strategic policy priorities for six years now, uh, one thing I believe in is that uh, the maximum number we can have is six. The target number I have is five. So um, we'll let the conversation go to see if we want to add something. But I'm very firm in the opinion that if you add one, you have to subtract one. And I could see getting back down to um, five. Um, and then just for the benefit of our new council members or anybody who hasn't really had an in-depth exposure to council policy priorities. And Kent, maybe you went over this during the new council member orientation, but just sort of like, what is the council policy priority? What does it mean practically? Um, did, did you have those conversations, Kent, in any sort of depth, or would it be helpful to just go over, you know, practically, what does something mean if it's a council policy priority? Um, we, we did include that as part of our briefing for new council members, and, and I can briefly sum it up. It's, it's not anything mechanical. So we didn't add an extra million to each one of these, you know, every budget year. Um, it focuses the staff. Um, it focuses me as the city manager. It focuses the staff on what council priorities are. And it ends up being reflected in a variety of ways. It, it, you know, can it influence what I put in the recommended budget? Yes. Does it automatically mean a certain amount of money? No. Um, and that's, it's really, um, it, it's a, it, it's, it's good for the council to really, you know, share its, its priorities so that we as a staff stay focused and on things like, again, <coughs> there's competing priorities and there often is, um, <coughs> these rise to the top. <coughs> Very good. Uh, and then, yeah, so I, I know you want to move on, Sean, but I think I still have the floor. Okay, I'll, go I'll, ahead. I'll be quick. Um, my sense from the conversation that we just concluded is that homeless or providing services to homeless or solving homeless or whatever, uh, it is a council strategic policy priority. We just need to figure out a way to put it on the list. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that I concur with um, council member Cisneros. Downtown Sunnyvale is not yet ready to be removed from the list, but if something has to go, um, not because it ceases to be a strategic policy priority, but because I would just rank it the right, lowest, right. it would be the um, improved processes and services through use of technology. I could mm. see that one falling to number seven and therefore coming off the list. Okay, very good. Thank you. Um, and and uh, to just to reiterate the point, just because it's not a council priority doesn't mean it goes away, right? It means it moves down into the everyday work of staff. And, and, and is not above the waterline, so to speak. Uh, uh, Mayor Klein. Thank you. And, and I'll second what Councilmember Cisnero said. You know, I think the downtown is, you know, close to being, you know, not a priority, 
but I do think that that it is still a priority. You know, it's uh, I know that city staff has weekly, if if not, or at least biweekly meetings with with some of the downtown developers. Uh, we haven't we haven't finalized what we're doing with you know a a whole block of the downtown, which is right at the heart of of downtown, as well as exactly what Councilmember Cisnero said. We haven't finalized you know, what we're doing with historic Murphy Avenue. There's lots of details that still need to be finalized there. Um, I do think that having it on the list for another year makes total sense. You know, I think uh, there's lots of importance in making sure that that the heart of our city is in a good place. And, you know, I got involved with the city 20 years ago when we weren't sure where that, what that vision was for downtown. And we're close to completion, but we're not there yet. And, and I think, you know, what, what construction we'll see over the next year, what decisions we'll be making as council will get us to a much better place. But at this point, you know, downtown Sunnyvale is still a priority in my mind. Thank you. Okay, very good. And for other council members, the uh, issues on the table are downtown Sunnyvale, uh, stay on, come off, uh, adding homelessness as a new priority and uh, uh, the council member Melton's suggestion of improved processes and services through the use of technology might come off the list. Those are the options on the table. You can speak to those or any other items. Yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, I would like to know from city manager, what are the things left in downtown Sunnyvale to be done? Is there a, a <laughs> because that could trigger because uh, whatever mayor said and uh, council members. Um, there are several large construction projects left that have not started. And so one that's been permitted but hasn't broken ground is at the corner of Matilda and McKinley. And so that is an office project that's been approved for entitlements, but not for, for building permits. The other uh, block, entire city block, uh, that's in the specific plan that they, the developer has not proceeded with is block six, which is bounded by Washington, Sunnyvale Avenue, Murphy Avenue, and McKinley, right? Trudy? That's correct, but I, I do like to refer to it as sub-block, so it's a sub-block of mm -hmm. Block 18, just okay. because we also numbered other things from Arizona. Okay, okay. Thank that's you. a technical detail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I call it Block 6. I am a... So that... So, you know, that we have a land use plan for that, but that still has to go all right. the way through the entitlement process. In the other thing I would say, and it's not small, once the current project builds out, there's ground floor retail and lots of it. And do we want to have a role in attracting quality retail tenants to that space? Is that important? Or should we just let the developer like bring in anybody? Yeah. In that case, I agree with uh, uh, council member and uh, mayor that maybe it should stay on the list for one more year. After that, I want to talk about the technology. That's my area Please. of expertise. But <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. No, no, go ahead. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, this I think we need to still retain on the list for two reasons. One, what we have focused so far on the technology side to improve the processes. I know CIO will agree with me on this, is the back-end process. Our technology and processes services are for our residents. Residents do not see the ERP systems or any of these things. 
we need to dedicate some more effort, some more uh, resources on the actual use of technology for our residents to see. It could be web page, app site, uh, social media, any digital presence we have. We have lots and lots of work to do because uh, as everybody agrees, the other day also uh, in our discussion, oh, we will just Google that. When we have a search bar on our website, none of us use that because it needs to be fixed. So that's my opinion. Thank you. Very good. Uh, Mayor, uh, Vice Mayor. Thank you. Um, and I'll, I'll jump in and take stab at the different things that have been discussed here. Um, and the first one is, I think I really agree with the or with Council Member Cisneros uh, and the Mayor in that uh, I don't think downtown Sunnyvale has reached uh, its full fruition yet to the level where I'd say it's no longer uh, one of our top council priorities. I think as uh, the city manager kind of stated really well, there are quite a number of things. And I, I appreciate, I think, where some of my colleagues are coming from and that uh, we have gotten through, I think, the most difficult part, but I don't want us to lose sight as you know we get to the end. We still need to follow through strong. And I think there's still so much left that I'd want to see from downtown and what we do with it and where we go with it, uh, that I want it to stay top of mind. Um, but then following up from that, I think I, you know, I definitely agree with Councilmember Melton in that uh, at a certain point, if we're adding too many, uh, just in terms of base number of priorities, we are diluting sort of the purpose of having the council priorities. And so I also wouldn't want to see us go above six. Because okay. um, I, I think I agree entirely with the logic that was there. Uh, and I think I actually really do. I appreciate Councilmember Melton for bringing it up because I, I agree a lot that, uh, especially over the last few years, uh, the unhoused community has risen to the level of one of my top priorities. Uh, as a council member, that's where I want to see a lot of our effort going to. I think that's, uh, and on top of that, it's what I'm constantly and consistently hearing from our residents. That is one of the top things that they want to see action on, that they want to see change uh, with. And so uh, I would like to see the unhoused community become one of our priorities. And then that just leaves us in the bind of, okay, where, how do we make it fit? Um, and I'm not too certain or set yet in my ways as to which one would need to go in order to make room for the unhoused community to be one of our top priorities. But where I'm at right now is um, improved processes and services through the use of technologies, just being that number seven. I think it really is where unhoused that unhoused that seven before, now suddenly it's at six. Um, but I'm not too tied, so I really am open to hearing from my colleagues on it, uh, if they have strong takes as to what would need to change in order to fit it in. And, and so just so I'm clear, so potentially the technology improved the services and processes could come off the list yes. as a potential for you. Let me just let me just uh, see if we can't come to closure. Downtown stays on the list. Mm -hmm. As I'm hearing and I'm just listening and counting that downtown stays on the list. Um, before we go to council member, was there? Okay, please. I just want to say that my honorable colleagues have convinced me on downtown Sunnyvale. I think it's worth Very keeping good. it there for another year. Very good. Excellent. Okay, so a um, uh, couple items on the table here. Unhoused is a potential new priority, and we have uh, not come to closure on improved processes and services through technology. Councilmember Melton. Uh, thank you for a, a second go around here. I also want to um, 
just pay respect to our members of the public who brought up earlier today and in other forums the notion of active transportation. Mm -hmm. I've heard it advocated that ATP should be a separate um, council strategic policy priority. I respectfully disagree. I find myself comfortable with active transportation where it is right now. Um, and I'm hopeful that um, once we are able to demonstrate chip via the forthcoming web page of all the incredible ATP things that are going on, uh, maybe um, provide a progress report, provide KSI metrics, all the things we talked about, the community will become much, much more um, aware of everything that's going on. Um, that leads me to the conclusion I'm comfortable with active transportation where it is. I just thought I would say that. Excellent. Very Thank good. You. So um, uh, the infrastructure, traffic, active transportation from council member uh, Melton's perspective stays on the list uh, for 2023. Okay. Let's continue the conversation here. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll come to the active transportation part in a minute so we don't have to go around again to get my opinion on that. Um, but I will say Councilmember Melton took uh, the idea right out of my head in terms of saying, hey, we're talking about, you know, if we're going to be serious about putting significant time, resources and effort into uh, working on homeless issues in a way that we've never before done in, as a council, well, let's codify it in, in this document. And we can see, you know, where we go from in next year to see what have we done and what what actually is feasible for us to do and we can reconsider that next year if we're going to continue with those programs um and and i also and i did agree the improved processes and services through the use of technology i think this was a critical uh priority to have during COVID. so i was so glad it was there because the library was setting up wi-fi you know our, our tech was setting us up with doing meetings online like what was this it was a huge component of how we run as a city we couldn't have done it without it but i think right now we can work on our current projects, um, continue that along, even grow it uh, without it being a big priority. So I would I would also agree with that. And um, I have uh, some language for the unhoused priority too. Uh, is that is it a good time to say that? Uh, let's just let's hold Here. let's okay. hold on that yeah. and just get some more input. And, okay. um, Mr. Mayor, thank you very much. Uh, and as far as unhoused, uh, the unhoused issues and kind of focusing on providing support, providing services. I do think that that is an important addition. Um, as far as improved processes and services through the use of technology, you know, I think this has been on our priorities for about five years now. And I think uh, Kathleen has done a fantastic job as far as improving the the infrastructure that we're working on. So I, I do think it's important from that standpoint uh, that the city staff is working on, not that there's additional things that don't need to be completed. You know, we've done the ERP, we're doing, you know, planning and permitting, and there's constantly new projects that are part of that. Um, I'm hoping that that conceivably could be removed from the list. You know, uh, there there's, conceivably enough forward momentum at this point. And I'm not sure, make, continuing that as a priority, um, how that would change what Kathleen and her team is already doing. Um, and since we're talking about a little bit about active transportation, I'm wondering you know, whether or not it's really part of the bullet of ability to, ability of infrastructure to support 
and whether or not it's really more of accelerating climate action and the active transportation plan, because they they definitely go hand in hand. If our active transportation plan is is in place, and and we've heard from multiple sustainability um, advocates on, yes, go ahead, work on the active transportation plan, add bike lanes here, all that, because it gets people out of their cars and you know gets them into active transportation. I'm wondering if ultimately, from an environmental standpoint, from a from a you know safety standpoint you know we're if we're if we add trans active transportation into climate action i think you know ultimately that that acceleration of both of those things they go hand in hand so that's just my two cents but but i would be you know for removing the unhappy or removing active um sorry use of technology and adding in uh, unhoused services um support Thank you. Excellent. Very good. And that idea of consolidating makes total sense, right? That's these are your priorities, Council. You can consolidate. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. And this is something I want to thank the mayor because this is something I've been grappling with. With respect to my colleague, Council Member Melton, I really do not believe that active transportation belongs in its current bullet point. I agree with the member of the public because fundamentally the issue with active transportation, it's partially about supporting growth, but not primarily. What it's about primarily is about safety. It's about safety for our residents. It's literally about saving lives. Uh, and it is also about sustainability. It's about reducing traffic. It's about reducing carbon emissions. It's about reducing congestion. And I had been thinking, you know, maybe we could go up to seven this year and, you know, have homelessness, have active transportation, drop downtown Sunnyvale. But I think the idea of mixing putting active transportation with climate action and calling out, I would also say vision zero as well as Excel, you know, with the active transportation, because I think those two active transportation plan and vision zero go together hand in hand. Um, that's something that I could see myself supporting. And I agree, uh, this time I'm gonna agree with my colleague council member Melton that homelessness is de facto a strategic priority right now. So what I would suggest at this point is active transportation, you know, accelerating climate action and active transportation and maybe sub bullet climate action playbook, active transportation plan vision zero yeah. as sort of the three things called out under that. Very good. So let's just keep this going and just uh, if you can just add on to the comments that are being made. Yes, and, and we wanna make sure at some point, let's address equity, access and inclusion, civic center, make sure we get at least some comment about each of the priorities. Council Member Sell. Um, I support the um, moving active transportation to be uh, with climate action. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a good, that's a good idea. Um, I support keeping downtown Sunnyvale for what, what was said here, I support um, making number seven the improved processes, so it falling off the list of six. Okay. And I support, since um, we've heard it here today, how important the unhoused is to address their needs. Um, I'm also wondering if one of the other issues that we talked was economic development. I was just wondering, is there any of them where economic development um, would, would have meaning? Because it is where our revenue comes in and it is where our small businesses are struggling now. And so I was wondering if you had any thoughts, would it 
kind of go with downtown or no? Just wondering. Yeah. <laughs> we are very already actively engaged um, with primarily community development, public works, and okay. um, our development partners. So, so you don't need a priority. No, economic okay. development's already okay. well ingrained. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> good, good, excellent. Council member. Yeah, thank you. Um, because you asked Sean, I'll say I completely support keeping Civic Center modernization okay. and EAI as council strategic policy priorities. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, thank you, Mayor Klein. Great idea. Move active transportation uh, to be next to its friend, accelerating climate action. And we can wordsmith yeah, yeah, bolting yeah. those two together. Yeah. I have a, a, uh, a request of my friends, um, Councilmember Mellinger, Councilmember Cisneros, as we're crafting language for unhoused community. I'll support it. Can we please add some words about sustainable, uh, fiscally sustainable support of the unhoused community? Uh, I'd make that request. And this harkens back to the conversation of the budget is limited and we're embarking on what I think is a very big thing. So I'd ask that fiscal sustainability be part of it. Excellent, very good, go ahead. I'll just respond briefly on that. Um, I don't think I would support that. And the only reason why is I think that it's, uh, it's assumed. I think all of these things need to be fiscally sustainable and that's a cornerstone of everything that we do. So when we do that, it's with the understanding that we're in Sunnyvale, we keep a balanced budget and we have a 20 year budget. And it's understood that none of these issues supersede those ground, that's like the ground rule for everything we do. So I wouldn't necessarily support putting that in there as it is assumed. Very good, yes. This is regarding the civic center modernization. We heard that there is phase two, phase three, and all those things. So I would retain that. Yeah. And then equity, access, and inclusion, I would definitely include that because that's the cornerstone. Uh, uh, I would also uh, favor moving active transportation to climate action, uh, accelerating climate action. Excellent. As a sustainability commissioner, that it's quite natural it goes in there. Very Thank good. you. Yes. I just wanted to uh, respond to my colleague, uh, Council Member Melton. I agree with Council Member Cisneros. Fiscal sustainability is rule zero in Sunnyvale. It's not even a strategic priority. It's just the oxygen. Nothing happens without it. Uh, it is assumed that every one of these priorities up there is subject to the constraint of the 20-year balance budget, is subject to fiscal sustainability. So what I will say to Council Member Melton is I very much understand where you're coming from. And as I approach this issue in the future, uh, that will be top of mind for me, but I do not believe it's necessary to put it into the strategic priority. One thing I would suggest as we discuss, oh, first of all, since I was asked, civic center modernization, equity, access, and inclusion, yes, yes, yes. Improve processes and services through the use of technology. This pains me because I do agree with Council Member Srinivasan, but if we have to pick six, and I do get the sense from my colleagues that we really have to pick six, that's number seven. Okay. Um, on homelessness, as we begin to wordsmith this, I would actually like to say that it should not just be homelessness. It should be homelessness and housing affordability because housing affordability, once someone becomes homeless, it is so, and Council Member Srinivasan, having worked on Sunnyvale Community Services, I think understands this. SCS is a homelessness <laughs> prevention organization because once someone becomes homeless, it is so, so, so much harder to help them. 
it is so much easier if we can keep them housed in the first place. And so, you know, what I would like as we discuss this homelessness uh, strategic priority is that housing affordability be included in there because the lack of affordable housing is what creates homelessness. Uh, and I'll uh, leave off there. Great. Excellent. Yes, Vice Mayor. Thank you. Um, and I'll, I'll just jump in to help round everything out. Um, I think I'll just start with, you did ask about a couple of the other ones. Uh, I'm comfortable keeping civic center modernization. I'm comfortable keeping equity, access, and inclusion. Um, I really liked the idea that the mayor had, uh, I think it was a very good one of moving active transportation uh, into accelerating climate action, putting them side by side. Uh, it actually makes perfect sense. And I think it's a good way of establishing a framework for how we think about these things uh, because they do intersect in such important ways. Um, and then I, you know, Council Member Saul, I think did a really good job of just going bullet by bullet as to what she agrees and disagrees with. I agree with everything she said as well. I think, uh, you know, for me, like I've said, improved processes, very important. I agree with everything Council Member Sir Watson said, but for me, it falls into number seven out of six. Okay. Uh, and putting uh, something around the unhoused there, uh, I think, belongs on the list. Um, and I know one of my colleagues mentioned uh, that she had some wordsmithing ready when the time was right. I'd be really interested in hearing what those wordsmithing uh, suggestions are. Um, if you don't mind, let Please. me just let me just see if we can uh, determine what your 2023 priorities are. So check me on this. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Mayor, before I do that, a weigh in, please. Thank you very much. I just wanted to do um, a weigh in that, yes, uh, continuing the civic center modernization as it's not complete is a, is a council priority. Equity, access, and inclusion is a council priority. Um, and before we enter into the wordsmith arena, um, I will ask whoever is whoever is proposing things, and, and I'll, I'll actually one one other comment. But but whoever is proposing wording, keeping it as simple as possible to me that that is important. And you know, um, and Councilmember Mellinger, as much as I say, you know, affordable housing is important. That's a much bigger umbrella in my mind than looking at you know unhoused services support you know housing unha housing or basically homelessness prevention is is important but if we talk about housing affordability you're talking about a much bigger issue and you know we we help you know we we give funding to Sunnyvale Community Services to try to make sure that that people that are on the margins that are having issues paying their rent are have additional support have additional funding to to make sure that that they main, are maintained in their apartments in their homes as much as possible that being said i think you know housing affordability becomes a much bigger task and i think just looking at housing unhoused services unhousing support unhoused support um homelessness prevent homelessness prevention is a big task and and i don't want you know i don't want this to be too and we're already merging multiple things together um i do worry about adding that to the list but i'll leave it that, at that thank you very good okay so let me just i'm going to count these off not because they're in order but just to get the number okay so uh, check me on this for your 2023 priorities uh Civic center modernization, equity, access, and inclusion. Active transportation, that's three. 
and climate action. So that's three, because those two are combined. Downtown Sunnyvale is four, and unhoused homelessness is five. Off the list for 2023. Did I hear that correctly? One wrinkle. Okay. Um, ability of infrastructure to support development and traffic. Yes. So yes. active transportation is no longer on there, but the rest of it's still there. Yes. Um, and, and so I shortened that up. So I just yes. but you, thank you for the clarification. Okay. Does that make sense for everyone? Okay. So I'm seeing nods around the table. Um, next step, uh, the uh, painful process of wordsmithing, uh, how detailed we want to get with that. And I don't think we want to, I'm, I'm, my sense is we don't want to get down to the actual sentences here with you know 20 people around the table but what is the key especially around unhoused homelessness what does that priority look like there's already some differences here and i know you have some language and why don't you get us started Council? can i can i uh, break in oh, for please, a minute please, because yeah. sean i don't think you're going to be at our next council meeting okay. so <laughs> i am looking for the final wording up or down vote I'm not looking for, gee, we want this kind of stuff in it and okay. then come back. That's okay. my preference. Okay. Then we will do that. So let's let, and, and the wording that we're going to need, it seems to me, is around unhoused homelessness and uh, the, the consolidation of climate and um, uh, traffic, active transportation. Uh, it, uh, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Your equity and inclusion, your modernization, civic center, that all, that language is all good. So let's start, um, let's see if we can't make this start on, on the co combining uh, infrastructure, develop, support development, tra traffic and transportation with clim climate action plan. Let's see if we can't combine those. What's the wording on that? And um, you had made, made a point, you had your, the point you just made, you wanna just get us started there and what, what you would propose? Um, I would say that if Councilmember Cisneros has exact wording on the homelessness one, let's start with that because I'm still trying to formulate some okay. exact wording on the climate action. Okay, I was thinking that one might be easy, this one might be hard, but who knows, maybe they're, they're both hard or both so, easy. Go ahead, get us Sometimes started. the fewer words you use makes it way harder. That's what I learned <laughs> in graduate school. Um, and I just wanted to say first, I didn't comment on the other ones, but I am hugely proud of the city for the work that we've done on the equity, access, and inclusion. And I think putting that on the list was really a good idea that this council did. We made major progress just in one year. So I wanted to point that out and give credit to all of staff for really taking that and run in a very serious way. And that's what I hope we can do with all of these things, which we do. Um, so my wording is a little long, but it's a good place to start because I think it has what we want to say, but we can kind of pare it down. So I have provide support to our currently unhoused residents and work to address the root causes of homelessness in our community. You say that again a little more yes. slowly. Sorry. Thank yes. you. Sorry. Provide support to our currently unhoused residents and work to address the root causes of homelessness in our community. Vice Mayor. Thank you. Um, and I, I'm going to jump in on one part of the conversation. Actually, well, I'll just start by saying thank you to the to Councilmember Cisneros uh, for taking the initiative to actually put some words in there. I think this is helping the conversation quite a bit because now we can get into the nuts and bolts. Um, to uh, kind of that conversation around including 
verbiage related to um, affordable housing. I think I agree a lot with the sentiment, especially because, and I think even outside of this conversation, as a council, as we move forward, when we talk about homelessness and the unhoused, keeping in mind that we could do, we could get every unhoused person off the street, but if we're not doing anything about affordable housing, about social programming, about root causes, in a couple of years, we're gonna have just the same number again. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, when I look at sort of what's the point of our council priorities, uh, everything we do as a city, I think is essential services, right? We, things like water, which we talked a lot about today, isn't making it onto the list, but that doesn't diminish its importance or how much we're dedicated to doing the best job we can on it. Uh, this list is very much a first amongst equals type of thing. And it's how do we take something that's so large and all of these essential services we need to do and narrow it into some targets for when we're talking about policy. And so I think including affordable housing, I actually really agree with the mayor's thinking on it. I kind of actually had in my own head as well. Um, it just, I think it makes the umbrella too big uh, to effectively do what needs to be done by making it a policy priority. I think uh, we need to, you know, it, it's sort of like the before and after of it. When people end up on the street, it's a very different policy conversation, very different set of actions that are needed than before. Now you can't fix the thing that's happening at the end without dealing with it before, but, you know, for the long term. but when it comes to, you know, the people that are on the street right now, there's a very different set of things that need to happen. So I would be supportive of not including uh, affordable housing or policies related to that in the verbiage that we use for the unhoused part of it. Um, and I do think we do, I, you know, I agree with them. I can't remember who brought it up, if it was the mayor, Councilor Melton or someone else um, about just keeping it very like short and simple. Um, I would agree with that. I think something even just as, as uh, simple as supporting <laughs> the unhoused would be enough for me or something to that effect. Okay, very good. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in um, to, um, to support what I heard the vice mayor say. Here are the words that I would choose on the items that are on the table. For the unhoused community, I would propose a council strategic policy priority that says support the unhoused community, short and sweet. For moving active transportation, I would propose a Council strategic policy priority that says accelerating climate action, comma, the active transportation plan, comma, and the Vision Zero plan. Boom. And then uh, for the rework of ability of infrastructure, it would be ability of infrastructure to support development and traffic. Boom. And then we would remove, um, as we've discussed before, the technology one. Thank you. Sure, Terry, that would be ability yeah. of infrastructure to support development and traffic. Okay. Yes. One comment on uh, the announced plus uh, the affordable housing. I think uh, I agree with mayor and vice mayor on this. Both are different problems. Keeping it simple is the right thing. Mm -hmm. And then I also like what council member Melton said saying support for announced or keep it really really mm -hmm. simple or announce support that's what i was thinking yes. but support for announce is also fine and then uh, can you yeah accelerating climate action active transportation uh, would vision be the and vision zero and then remove that particular phrase from the other one would be fine. okay very Thank good you. excellent ready um, I like where Councilmember Melton's head is at on active transportation. 
I think we're very close on something for homelessness. I would suggest support unhoused community and prevent homelessness, you know, to indicate that we're also, mm -hmm. you know, or some sort of some sort of indication that we're also going to be supporting the ones who are on the edge uh -huh. um, and trying to keep them from falling off the edge. Uh, and I'd be open to, you know, wordsmithing or suggestion on that. Um, and I think that's, I think the point about, you know, keeping this more narrowly scoped than bringing in affordable housing is very well taken. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'd like to also make sure that we're capturing this aspect of prevention as well. Can you, can you say that one again? Yeah. Um, so Council Member Melton suggested support unhoused community. I was going to go with support unhoused community and prevent homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that would be, I, I am open to other language there, but the idea is like having that element of prevention as well as of treatment. If you view homelessness as a public health crisis, which it is, uh, prevention is always better than treatment. Mm -hmm. Council members, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I agree with uh, my council member uh, Melinger here, but having said that, Sunnyvale has been, city of Sunnyvale has been supporting Sunnyvale Community Services, which is the premier organization in the city to prevent homelessness. So why, uh, uh, that's why I wanted it to be very, very focused on people who are currently homeless. Okay. And then, uh, so that's what I would say. Okay. If we can, and, and we'll go to the mayor and then, um, and we can just stay on this mm -hmm. so we can get the wording on the um, unhoused homelessness and then move on to the next one. Mr. Mayor. Thank you very much. And, and I'll second what uh, Councilmember Srinivasan just said. The prevention of homelessness, as much as we say it's a priority, if it, if it was added to part of our policy um, priorities, I don't see anything that we're doing that is adding to that. You know, I think I think what we talked about earlier this afternoon was mainly supporting the unhoused community, looking at you know a warming a war a potential warming center, um, potential home key site. All those are I think matching our priorities. The prevention of homelessness, Sunnyvale Community Services is already working on that to a large degree. We're funding them. We, you know, we, we, you know, during COVID, we did a lot of effort as far as that's concerned. I, I do think that we're already doing it, making it a priority. I don't see how it would, would change what we're doing. I think it's more important for our priorities to look at how how we need to change the organiz organization, much like Councilmember Cisnero said about equity, access, and inclusion, how we need to change the organization over the next year, two years, whatever. I think supporting the unhoused community is the umbrella of that focus that we already talked about. And then as far as the, the wordsmithing of ability of infrastructure, uh, I, I agree with Councilmember Melton's uh, changes there. And then adding um, Vision Zero to um, accelerating active um, climate action and, um, and active transportation. Yeah, it's, it's getting a little long to add Vision Zero, but I'm fine with that. Thank you. Very good. So um, back on the homelessness and unhoused is, is supporting um, uh, unhoused individuals, whatever the specific language is without the prevention. Is that the preference for council? I'll just say one thing. Um, point well taken about um, 
that uh, preventing homelessness not necessarily being an obvious policy area, but I could identify a couple of different policies that we're currently doing or things that we're currently doing and things that we're studying doing that would directly impact um, supporting those who are housing insecure, which is key. And those are, uh, we have a UBI study issue. A UBI is directly a homelessness prevention policy, uh, providing people with the resources necessary to get above water uh, every month. And then we do fund Sunnyvale Community Services. That would be part, that continued partnership would be part of this, uh, that this language as well. Uh, we have Nova, Nova Job Workforce, uh, and having those jobs and filling that gap of unemployment, that's another homelessness prevention policy, even if you don't necessarily think of it that way. And then we also have the streets team and we have um, CBDG grants uh, as a priority too. All of those prevent homelessness. And we should look at those things and think like, oh, wow, we're already doing this. How can we make it even more effective? And that's what including that little few words there would help us uh, to think holistically about the unhoused, homeless, homelessness and housing insecurity which is a major, major thing in our community, in every district, in every part of it. Okay, if we could just stay on that topic, where, where is council on including the prevention language? We know it's, it's the support language is there, the prevention language, that's the question on the table. Go ahead. Parliamentarily, Sean, I would say, can we call the question and just count noses? Or yeah. another way I could say it is, yeah. Can I'd love to hear from Council Member Sell and Vice Mayor Dean, and you know, let's just get to see where four four noses yeah. are. I, I we're getting close yeah. to that point yeah. here. Um, go ahead, Vice Mayor. Uh, thank you. Um, and actually, I'll I'll say to that, I'd actually be open to taking a motion at this point. But okay. uh, I'm down to just give my two cents. Turn over Council Member Sell, and then, which if any of my colleagues feel comfortable making a motion, somebody can make a motion, and I think that would move us right into the next part and. Uh, if anything actually adds more structure to the wordsmithing process, because then we can do votes on every amendment. Um, I'm thinking a lot about what I've been hearing, and I'm, I, I was kind of in the middle. Ultimately, I, I find myself agreeing with the mayor on this one. I think um, it is super vital, and for all the reasons that I've already expressed, uh, you know, the problem in the long run isn't going to go away, even if we get everyone off the streets. But that being said, the current crisis that we have in front of us of the people that are going to sleep hungry on our streets, right, the ones that I think about and I think Councilmember Mellinger so rightfully mentioned should put shame in all of us, uh, require a very specific set of actions. And, it's, and even though there are people that are on the edge and we need to do important things for them, and I'm proud of the work we've done as a city because we are doing a lot of things and there's more that we can do and we should do and we will do, it falls into a totally different bucket in my head. Um, because of the nature of the work, because of the nature of the problem. And what I think we need to first and foremost deal with are the people that are going hungry on the streets. They're the ones that uh, are dealing with a much worse crisis. Uh, and the reason that the ones who are on the edge of it or have such a crisis is because that's what they might end up having to deal with. And so uh, keeping our focuses tailored uh, on that and coming up with the best ways to deal with that to me seems like uh, the, the right framework. So I uh, wouldn't be in favor of expanding the language to include uh, those words. Very good. Uh, Council Member Sell, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you have a thought on this? I have a question. So if the unhealth is the priority, would the prevention of homelessness be secondary? That's a question for in terms of, can, how would you look at it now? If um, unhealth was there, and we've always uh, supported um, 
homelessness prevention, would it just always be the same or would it now be secondary to the unhoused? Um, I wouldn't say it's secondary, but um, let's say a new funding source came in and we could, it could either go to homelessness prevention or it could go to supporting the unhoused. This would get me to lean towards supporting the unhoused. Mm -hmm. The programs that we already have for prevention are, you know, the, are good programs. They've been in place. We're not going to undo those. Mm -hmm. um, they're effective. But as new things come in, the focus would be on uh, supporting the unhoused community if that's where the council ends up. So I had a question. It's like things are pending, such as UBI is kind of percolating. It's not all the way there. Mm -hmm. And then so if UBI was competing against the unhoused, this would determine which direction you would go. You would go to there's, the unhoused. There's more to it than that. I mean, when you look at something like UBI and uh, or a complex program, we look at lots of factors. So this is one influencing factor. It's not the only one. So I don't think this is, you know, would end up, you know, overly with overly undue influence to, on, on staff recommendations. Then I would just go with the simple, the unhealthy. Okay. Uh, do we need to, um, I think the city manager would like a formal adoption. So let's. I see Councilor Melton has, has a motion ready. Yeah. So, Vice Mayor Dean, if, if you're comfortable, I'll make a motion for the whole enchilada, the three things. Okay. So, I rise, actually, four things three, two changes, one addition, and one removal. So, colleagues, I rise with a motion that Council adopt the following changes to our strategic policy priorities for the next year. Number one, remove improve processes and services through the use of technology. Number two, modify the current one that says ability of infrastructure to support development, traffic and active transportation now becomes ability of infrastructure to support development and traffic. Three, the item that currently says accelerating climate action now becomes accelerating climate action, comma, the active transportation plan, comma and the vision zero plan and then number four is that we add a new council strategic policy priority entitled support the unhoused community thank you looking for a second go, go ahead on. second thank to your you. motion richard thank you oh, your motion plenty of advocacy already done please support this motion <laughs> <laughs> okay, before I call the sorry, uh, uh Sean can bring a motion. I might yeah. just no 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 just okay. Um council member Sharon Boston. I support that. Okay. <laughs> Be before I call a roll call, do any of my colleagues have any further comments or amendments or anything to it? Uh Mayor Klein, I see you have your hand raised. Thank you. And, and I just wanted to say thank you for to everyone um, for keeping these relatively simple. You know, we move some words around and all that. Mm -hmm. But but I do think that keeping them clean and, you know, we could we could yes, and many of these into multiple items. But but I do think that that, you know, keeping them simple for our sake, for staff's sake, for the residents sake. Uh, really kind of at least helps focus that. Not to say a year or two from now, we might add a clause onto one or one or, one or more of the items, but I do think it's important to try to, to make it, you know, as clean as possible. And I thank you for that. 
So, and I, and I will be supporting the motion. Uh, Councilman Mellinger. And I'll just speak very briefly. You know, yes, I would have preferred to have the prevention component on there. However, this is still an excellent set of priorities. It is addressing real crises in our city. It is addressing life and death issues, homelessness and traffic safety, both. You know, we heard a lot about traffic safety on Tuesday night, and I think this is a fantastic set and I will be voting in favor. Okay, thank you. And I will also be supporting the motion and uh, my gratitude to Councilmember Melton for bringing it all together and uh, giving us the motion and uh, my gratitude to all of my colleagues for finding this middle ground. I think this is really well done. So uh, seeing no other hands from any of my colleagues, City Clerk, can we please have a roll call? Uh, first, actually, I have two quick questions. One, was the intention for this to be all inclusive? So it includes the other two yeah. continuing on? Mm -hmm. Okay, just wanted to confirm that. And then second, would it be helpful for everyone to see the languages drafted so that we know for sure this is what, no? Okay. First up, Councilmember Cisneros. I enthusiastically and uh, excitedly vote yes. Councilmember Melton. Um, to twice the level of enthusiasm. <laughs> 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 to infinity, I enthusiastically vote yes. Point of order. <laughs> Mayor Klein. Absolutely yes. <laughs> Council member Sell. I went to appreciate everyone through this process, so I enthusiastically say yes. Council member Srinivasan. I can't say five times the, <laughs> the yes, but yes. Vice Mayor Dean. A simple yes. <laughs> Councilor Mellinger. Yes to 11, which we all know is bigger than infinity. <laughs> the motion carries 7-0. Thank you. Uh, city Manager, would you like to provide any closing remarks? Yes, I would. And I'll, I'll give you a reminder and then I'll, I'll make a few remarks. Um, when Vice Mayor Dean bangs the gavel, your ability to propose new study issues, our budget proposals will have expired. Uh, we got plenty Tuesday, so I'm not really asking for more, but this is your last chance here today. This is it for 2023. You'll have another chance next year. It'll, it'll be great. Um, that being said, um, I want to take a minute to thank all the staff that contributed. Um, this has been a, a really excellent discussion today. And I want to uh, single out somebody who we never put a microphone in, in front of her, but she did probably most of the work. And that's Michelle Zahari, the city manager's office. Our, our team from the city manager's office did all the support. Um, our staff from uh, uh, Library and Recreation Services with all the support of our audio system today, projectors, IT support uh, was here today and everything worked fantastic. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Um, all the directors gave us excellent presentations. Um, I appreciate um, everything that was covered and you can see how much we're doing. And then I just want to thank the City Council for such a uh, thoughtful discussion today. Um, we got, I, you know, my goal is to get clear direction on priorities. I got it. Um, I really appreciate that. And um, with that, the mayor may have some closing remarks as well. Thank you, Kent. Uh, I, and I just also, I want to echo what Kent said, you know, thanks to everyone who attended today, you know, the public who gave us 
good comment and watched along. Uh, thanks to Sean for helping facilitate this day. And it's always a great, it's, it's always great working with you each, each year, uh, as far as this process is concerned. Uh, thanks to Michelle. You know, I know that a lot went on over the last several months in getting us to where we are today. Uh, but I just want to especially thanks, thanks to all the council members. You know, I love our council. We have a fantastic council. I appreciate your thoughtful questions, your comments. You know, thanks for the lively discussions. And I think uh, these sessions really raised some good questions and gave important feedback to the city manager and city staff, uh, especially concerning economic development, recycled water, unhoused services. You know, that, that was an important discussion that, that started off this afternoon to that led us to, um, I'll say, a better a better description of what our priorities are, what our strategic priorities are for the next year. So I thank you all for going through this process, you know, and, and I want to thank the directors um, and their detailed presentations and, and the dialogue we had today. I know that we kind of rushed through some of our questions. So I'm sure that there'll be a lot of follow-up coming from uh, multiple council members, but but I do think it was a great overview. It shows that, you know, our city is in a really good place. Yeah. To, to the city manager and the directors, you know, Sunnyvale is a well-run city, and that has a lot to do with you and your staff. So please pass on my and council's gratitude. You know, staff is doing a fantastic job. You know, I, I took a lot of notes and for next steps, and I'm looking forward to, you know, all that we're going to do in 2023. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, and uh, just before I close, I want to give a reminder to all of my colleagues that if you have any follow-up questions or lingering things uh, that you want to talk to staff about, uh, please send them all to Kent uh, or to the city manager, who will then distribute them as necessary. Um, and with that, I do just want to thank uh, I want to thank everybody who's participated today. Uh, I want to thank everybody in the room and uh come from mr samson saw you raise your hand yeah i think we have one more thing one more person to think it it's you ah, thank you vice mayor dean <laughs> you ran a great meeting wow. and, and that that's tough to get all the ideas but you really kept us on track and you did a fantastic job so i just wanted to to thank you very much for your great work today thank you uh and again i think everyone makes it easy so uh any final hands motions anything okay with that uh this workshop is adjourned at 4 45 p.m wow.